Rainbird, and I can hear Cheryl. Okay, thank you. Something was funny there. All right, greetings, everybody. Um, Rama? Greetings. Sorry, good evening. Good oh. afternoon. This is Cheryl. I'm here. Okay, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Greetings and good afternoon, everybody. This is Cheryl, and I'm so welcome, so pleased to be here to welcome you to Torah and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the true planetary and galactic history, history, and true history, history of Nasaran. Uh, it's a very uh, important time in our history, and we are going to uh, address that with some divine government work here today. Um, but first, we begin with our opening. So please go into your heart center. Can forgive any background noise that you might be hearing. In any case, um, we are here to go into our heart center at this time, on this first weekend of 2023. And going into the heart center, we ask to merge fully and completely with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence with all of our multidimensional beings through to our God presence, Goddess presence. So take a nice deep breath as we invite in everyone across the planet to join us in this ascension work and in the process of bringing heaven to earth. So we do this by saying the following, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And as we begin, we see a beautiful golden light coming in that fills us and surrounds us and fills and surrounds the planet and everyone upon her, activating our Christ consciousness and activating our God presence, fully connecting us in our pillar of light directly from source into the heart of Mother Gaia where we once again recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. So take a nice deep breath as this golden light fills and surrounds ourselves and everyone. And so we invite in for everyone, all soul, soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. And we welcome at this time, for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. We welcome all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, 
the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome at this time the assistance of all of the angelic realms, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Raisin Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healing Teams. We welcome at this time all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams as well especially those that we work most closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus, and all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do, and to magnify, magnify, magnify it, 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. And we ask for the assistance of all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws, all the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask for it to be received through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc fields multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well, for ourselves, for all on the planet, and for Gaia as well. And we ask to easily and everlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. Feel the blessings that this energy brings, this golden light of eternal peace, infinite abundance, Christ consciousness, Illumination, wisdom, and enlightenment. As we call in everyone from our circle of support, from the very first name that created it, to all of the people, every man, woman, and child, all family members and loved ones, all of our pets and our animals, all the people across the planet, no matter their circumstance or their situation, everyone is included, including those that have recently made their transition and those that may be about to. And we call in all the groups and organizations, all the institutions, all the corporations, all the businesses, all the governments, all the nations, all the militaries, the executive branch of every government, the judicial branch of every government, and the legislative branch of every government, every 
aspect of government in this nation and every nation across the world. And all of the weather conditions, all of the storms, be it the the snowstorms or tornadoes or typhoons or whatever might be going on in the world, all of the weather changes, all of the drought, all of the weather conditions that are not in perfect balance, we call them into perfect balance. In our circle of support, we hold them in perfection, as well as all the conditions of life. Everything that is lost in heaven on earth is in our circle of support. And we call in all of the attention around all of the events of this month, including football and all of the attention given to the young man, I believe it's Damar Hamlin, and his miraculous recovery. He's in the circle, but we're going to use the energy and the attention given that event and all of the events of this month, including our full moon and our portals and our sacred dates in January. Big Feast of the Three Kings yesterday. All of the energy around all of the sacred things going on and all of the things that draw our attention into our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of humanity. To bring everyone's attention to their divinity, to their divine presence, to peace and harmony and goodwill, and to all the things that heaven on earth brings. And we call forth at this time for Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her work field multidimensionally. Through her light lines and song lines, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. And through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution, along with Mother Gaia, in the midst of all of these solar flares, in the midst of all of the energetics that are going on, and the intensity of these times, we are continuing up the spiral of evolution with Mother Gaia as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. We're going to do the Great Invocation. I always like to do this around the first of the month, but we didn't get to it on on our call on, on Sunday. So we're going to do it right now. Let the forces of light bring illumination to humankind. Let the spirit of peace be spread abroad. Let all humanity of goodwill everywhere meet in a spirit of cooperation. May forgiveness on the part of all be the keynote at this time. Let power attend the efforts of the Great Ones, so let it be and help us to do our part. Let the Lords of Liberation issue forth. 
and let them bring succor to all of humanity. Let the writer from the secret place come forth and coming save. Come forth, O mighty one. Let the souls of all awaken to the light, and may they stand with mast intent. Let the fiat of the Lord go forth. The end of woe has come. Come forth, O mighty one. The hour of service of the saving force has now arrived. Let it be spread abroad, O mighty one. Let light and love and power and death fulfill the purpose of the coming one. The will to save is here. The love to carry forth the work is widely spread abroad. The active aid of all who know the truth is also here. Come forth, O mighty one, and blend these three. Construct a great defending wall. The rule of evil must now end. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of all. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth from the hearts of all. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of all. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of humanity. Let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. And so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth all of the masters that work with this nation, all of the masters that work with divine government. El Moria, the great divine director, St. Germain. Kuan Yin, the goddess of liberty, the goddess of freedom. Lady Portia, Lady Nada, and so many, many more. And we call forth the opalescent ray of resurrection and see it flooding this nation, our capital of Washington, D.C., and every place of government in this country, in all the three Americas, and in every country of the world. I am the resurrection and the life of legions of angels from the great central sun, bringing peace and healing into Washington, D.C. and America now. I am the resurrection and the life of cosmic Christ's sacred fire protection over Washington, D.C., America, it's constitution and democracy now. I am the resurrection and the life of the great, great silence and the music of the spheres, silencing the cause of that record and memory of all discord, destruction, and violence now. I am the resurrection and the life of America healed, united and harmonized now, the ascended master's way eternally sustained. Mighty I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved mighty victory. I am the cosmic security of the God way of life in America. In my nation and all the people. I am the cosmic security of America's 
invincible, eternal victory everywhere forever. I am the cosmic security of the God control of America and all nations of the world. Cosmic security, I am. Cosmic security, I am. Cosmic security, I am. Mighty, I am God presence within and above. Beloved great God presence of every live stream in America. Beloved Saint Germain, angels of the violet purifying flame and all the masters of the sacred fire. Stand in the heart flames of the great central sun and project oceans and oceans and oceans of the mightiest violet flame miracles of eternity and all their love, mercy, and forgiveness into the atmosphere of America, into the feeling side of life of the American people and silence all discordant feelings that are acting in them toward themselves, others, or any part of creation. Join me in saying, heal, harmonize, and unite the people of America. Heal, harmonize, and unite the people of America. Heal, harmonize, and unite the people of America. Beloved Goddess of Justice, release thy sacred fire scales of divine justice into the feelings of all the American people and awaken, arouse, and amplify a new sense of love, praise, gratitude, and appreciation for all of the blessings and gifts that come to them from God each day. Beloved Great Saint Germain, I invite you with all my heart and soul to show me now what is the secret desire of your heart for me, for America, for humankind, the planet, and for all beings everywhere forever. Victorious America, I am. Victorious America, I am. Victorious America, I am. Beloved Lord Maitreya, great cosmic angel, goddess of liberty, goddess of justice, Mary Magdalene, mighty victory, beloved Saint Germain, release now the sacred fire mastery of the cosmic blueprint of the divine plan for America fulfilled all throughout the atmosphere of America. We call upon the light of God that never fails, the love of God that always fulfills, and the truth of God that always prevails to heal, unite, and resurrect America's government and the people. Charge, charge, charge them all with ascended masters, harmony, purity, prosperity, wisdom, illumination, freedom, liberty, compassion, divine obedience, grace, love, protection, and victory. I am the resurrection and the life of ascended masters, illumination, harmony, and loving collaboration of all federal and state government in America and all the nations of the world forever sustained. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. As I breathe out, in and out, deeply and rhythmically now, I absorb every holy breath into the divinity of my heart flame. With every in-breath, I am cleansing the cells, molecules, atoms, electrons of my physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies. 
With every out-breath, I am expanding my holy breath into the physical plane of earth to bless all life. As I continue focusing my attention on the in-breath and out-breath, I am lifted into the full embrace of my mighty I Am Presence. Within the radiance of this resplendent might, I surrender my lower human consciousness to the perfection of my I Am Presence. In this higher level of divine consciousness, I know that I am one with the divine heart and mind of God. I am also one with every man, woman, and child on earth. Now within the embrace of humanity's unified heart flames, I affirm as one voice, one breath, one consciousness of pure divine love. I am a beloved child of God, and all that my mother, father, God have is mine. As I continue to serve as a surrogate on behalf of all humanity, I invoke the I am presence of every person to expand the threefold flame within their own heart. I kneel in recognition of the light of the cosmos and I draw forth the flames representing the threefold activity of life as exemplified by the Holy Trinity in the threefold flame pulsating in every person's heart. I invoke the blue flame, which represents the divine power of my Father God. I invoke the pink flame, which represents the comprehensive divine love of my Mother God. I invoke the yellow gold flame, which represents the divine enlightenment and unity consciousness of the sons and daughters of God. Beloved Mother, Father God, come now and assert your rightful authority within me and all of humanity. Show us how to reverently and humbly express this perfectly balanced activity of power, love, and unity consciousness daily and hourly in our lives. Now within the divine balance of my heart flame, I decree. O Supreme Light, I acknowledge you in all life. I give gratitude to the glorious cosmic galactic and ascended beings as I invoke them and the great angelic host to amplify the energy which I am now expanding to assist with the fulfillment of the divine plan for manifesting divine government. May that light expand and expand as it travels through the universe, ever widening the borders of the kingdom of heaven on earth and fulfillment of God's will. Beloved presence of God, source of all that is, I love and I adore you. I acknowledge you as the owner and giver of my life, my intelligence, my substance, my all. Seal me in the power, love, and unity consciousness of my threefold flame. Blaze your light and love before me so that I may always walk the path of light. Guard and protect me, God, and direct me. Give me the illumination of the truth that will set me free. Help me to be your divine love and action at all times. Sustain your love through me to bless all life I contact. I dedicate this activity of light to the manifestation of divine government a government of the I am presence, by the I am presence, for the I am presence of every person on earth. I now specifically invoke the I am presence of every person who is now or ever will be associated with the governments of the earth. Dear ones, I ask that you record in their conscious mind and their heart flame the portion of the divine plan for which they are or will be responsible. 
reveal through the flame of a woman truth the divine purpose and plan for each of the positions they hold and give each person the spiritual courage and desire to fulfill that plan perfectly. Now, beloved legions of light, blaze the cosmic flame of God's will through each of these souls and clear away any destructive activity of their own free will, which might rush in to try and impede their conscious desire to do God's will. Help them to remain obedient to the laws of harmony and to be God in action at all times. Seal all governmental positions individually and collectively in the radiance of God's will. I now invoke the legions of light throughout infinity to direct their full gathered momentum of loving and illumined obedience into God's will, to God's will, into the thoughts, words, actions, and feelings of all people who are or will be associated with the governments of the world at national, state, and local levels. Through the power and presence of our Mother, Father, God, I decree that divine government shall manifest now and that all humanity shall follow the will of God in fulfilling the divine plan for this blessed planet in all life. And so it is, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. Please join me in decreeing victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. We seal this work with a call for amplification. Beloved mighty Christ I am within and above. Beloved Christ I am of all the people of earth. Beloved Mother Akasha. Beloved Christ. Beloved Saint Germain. Beloved Archangel Michael. All of your incarnable legions of angels of the sacred fire. Great silent watchers. I call upon the cosmic law of God's sacred fire power and all Christ's authority to charge into all the decrees we've ever given, all of the decrees, will, energy, meditations, and visualizations ever given by any student in St. Germain's, Mother Akasha's, or the Christ dispensations, purified, resurrected, and amplified 999 times by 999 billion times by the master power heart flames of the entire angelic and ascended host to save this nation, the United States, to save America and this planet, including all kingdoms of life eternally sustained. I am victory's feeling of cosmic victory manifests through every decree. I am mighty victory's cosmic flame of victory in all that I think, feel, say, and do fulfilling the Ascended Master's divine plan for the earth, its atmosphere, and all life everywhere forever, until all are resurrected, ascended, and free. I am so grateful for your continuous divine intervention and assistance. I send you my love, praise, and gratitude. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. And so it is. And so again, we see this nation, we see each of us, we see every man, woman, and child across the planet, and Mother Gaia herself sealed in the most exquisite golden light, bringing in the highest frequencies of eternal peace, infinite abundance, 
illumination, wisdom, enlightenment, Christ consciousness, and every other blessing that we could ever imagine as a part of heaven on earth. It is sealed, and so it is. And so I want to take this time to thank each of you for joining us for this divine service work. We want to take this time to thank each of you for being here on the planet at this time. And I invite you to further divine service work every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. We begin with greetings at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 6.45 p.m. Pacific Time, 5.45 Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and we have um, Tarn Rama bringing us an update every Sunday and Monday. And after that update, we begin our work in earnest about 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time. Each call is unique with different prayers and invocations, with different dispensations and activations. And this weekend, we'll be closing out our 49 days, our seven sacred weeks, And we invite you to join us as a teleconference call, so please take down the number if you haven't joined us before. The main number is area code 425-436-6260, 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. And I have a list of, of uh, phone numbers. There's more numbers than just the one. There's international numbers. There's a way to get online. And I'll send you all that information. If you wish to um, join us, just contact me by email. My email is Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I, at AOL.com. We'll get you all that updated information. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service. Thank you for being here on the planet at this time. We wish to take this time to thank Tarin Rama for their divine service over these many, many years. And we thank Rainbird for her divine service as well. With that, I'm going to pass this blazing talking stick of golden light along with the pink, the blue, the yellow of the threefold flame, as well as all of the frequencies, including the resurrection flame that we invoked, the opalescent opal white energy, holding all of the colors, and every aspect of life, everyone's contributing to this talking stick, all of the elementals, all of the fairies, all of the angelic energy surrounding him, and all the divine master energy 
So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick to my sister, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone. Hope to see you and further do some work with you tomorrow. So infinite blessings. Again, Happy New Year. Infinite blessings to one and all. As I pass the talking stick to Rainbird. Oh, that talking stick is full of light. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you for your divine service as well. We are so grateful for you you, you each week. So lots of gratitude. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are listeners support radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And y'all showed up last night and made it happen pretty good. So all we need for the radio now is what to do this week, and it's $300, and that's what we need each week. So we're caught up there, and so lots of gratitude. So here's how we make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. You want to go into your heart space and see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com, click on Radio Station 2 for this program, and there you'll see the menu for Radio Station 2 in at the 1.30 hour in Pacific time. It's the true history, history of Miss Arrow's heart in our galactic origins. So as you click on that icon there, that'll take you directly to our account where you can make that donation in any amount. And Radio Station 1 is where you would go for the hard news on Friday nights at the 6 o'clock hour in on the uh, night at the round table with the panel on Thursday nights at the 6 o'clock hour. So that's all the places. So thanks for taking that action and clicking on those icons and making that donation. And we are caught up, so let's keep it that way. <laughs> and so also we're assisting Tara and Ronald with their needs. And y'all showed up there too. Uh, we needed... 660 for the car repair, and that's happening. And so lots of gratitude for the donations coming in that good way. Thank you. Uh, so what we need now is $240 for the printer ink, $45 for the printer ink, and, uh, and we'll figure out a way to make that less like rent. <laughs> And I know there's printer ways of doing that. When you take the color off, you can save your ink. Because um, I always have a hard time getting my printer partner to copy something for me. Because, oh, I have to change everything around. So we'll figure that one out. Anyway, that's what they need for their printer ink. And at um, $200 for living expenses, that will seal the deal. They'll make it good. Uh, so, so much gratitude to all of you. Let's see what we can uh, make sure he gets that printer ink that was on the emergency list. And then they have something to live on this week. So, that's 445 altogether is what they're asking. And I know we can do it. Here's how we uh, access Rollins PayPal account. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. There on the home page, click on that menu grid, and you'll see the menu drop down. And near the bottom of that list is the donate link. So click on that, and that'll link you to Rama's PayPal account. It'll link you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. So um, you can make that donation there. And then alternatively, if you want, you can go to PayPal.com and put in the where you're wanting to send the money, Rama's email address at PayPal, and it is as follows, 
Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And that's how you access the friends option. The money goes a little further. Either way is perfect. We are so grateful for your generosity and paying it forward and, and for your gratitude, expressing your gratitude in this way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, as we're sending something, let's let Rama know that he sent him something in that address. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39, at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Ram, R-A-N-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. And I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. Thank you for all the ways that you show up in your lives. We're so grateful for you and participating as the family that we are. And lots of gratitude. So 13 thank yous, honey in the heart. <laughs> long life, live long, no evil. And prosper. So <laughs> I'm catching this talking stick and it is just full of light. It was sent here by Cheryl and, and it's just covered in all those flames that we work with today and the rays and the angels that go with them and extra, extra light. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes the light stick. <laughs> Welcome. Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> oh my heavens. Um well Rama, what do you think about the situation in the moment? Uh, <laughs> uh thank you, Cheryl, and thank you, Rainbird, so much. Thank you. Everyone. Keeping our alignment with divine government is necessary at the moment. Yeah, when our founding fathers got together with the ascended masters, they were given the wisdom to put this new Atlantis together. What we're looking at right now, I have... No words except to say blaze the violet fire because it is about the old timeline that has to go to Dracos along with mother's wayward children because it is energy out of its space-time continuum which is called evil and it does not exist in the new timeline. And it's that simple. I passed the talking stick. Did you say that was simple? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to say the the new rules and the deals negotiated by McCarthy uh, are a cover-up for what's going on here. And that These people need to be 
dealt with with through divine government and so we do it as a people yeah in spite of all these rules yet i'm going to name them any one member can force a motion to vacate meaning the speaker uh position in other words Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Getz, who else? In this motley crew, all the extremists. All they got to do is make one motion to vacate, and he's out of there. And then who takes the place? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> then they got to go through another round of... Oh, that brings up what you told me when you asked this question. Cause yes. They're completely ridiculous. They're repeating over and over again that as... Um, as uh, The president goes down. At, well, they don't say it that way, but they're saying that McCarthy is the next in line for president. So that's... Not what it says in the Constitution. It says in the Constitution, like Ramos beginning to say, that as the president would have, have a mishap of some kind or be MIA for whatever reason, then the vice president takes over. Yep. They are not saying that. And I am quite sure it has to do with Vice President Harris being black. And so the next, so then after that would happen, then McCarthy would move up. He would move up, and then they'd have to do a replacement for the speaker, and on and on it goes. There might be a hierarchy for that. But this is, and and so this is being reported from everything from Lawrence O'Donnell saying it to, I'm sure Fox News is screaming it to the high heavens, and NBC was saying it this morning, too. It's and on its face, it's treason to give a false information like that. It's treason, even by saying it, because it's not according to the Constitution. They would have to go through uh, a constitutional convention and decide to change the rules if they wanted to say that. And this is where divine guidance from the Jedi Masters, Ascended Masters, comes in. See, this whole Republican Party has never stopped being focused on wanting to overturn democracy and make this a fascist state, keep it as the empire, and then make it a global fascist world. Sound <coughs> like fun, everybody? <laughs> That wasn't St. Germain's plan. No, that's why, again, this is the only ascended master that has been holding an office where he's in that physical office presence in Washington, D.C., as well as two more offices in Virginia. And everybody keeps on thinking Tara and Rummer are smoking some really good stuff. Not necessarily not true no, no that's not happening but um uh, uh okay so let's go on from there uh the seats for freedom caucus members on seats for freedom caucus members which are the extreme of the extreme on key committees 
In other words, keep it going so that there can be no more democracy. And they're talking about the budget deficit and uh, they're going to, they, they say that we don't have enough money. Never mind that Donald Trump put $8 trillion on the debt. Ugh. So they want to cut social programs like, like food stamps, uh, Medicare, um, uh, you know, for Medicare, uh, um, health care, you want to say. Um, what else, Rama? I don't know. They want a tax cut. That's what they're playing with again. Yeah, and they got, they want it. Well, no, that's not what, um, they always want that, but uh, they're saying that in order to meet the debt, they don't want to raise the debt ceiling. But how did we get $8 trillion on our debt? That's what Donald Trump did every time he felt like it. You don't know say. <laughs> he, when he gave those trillion and a half dollars to the, his choice friends at the very beginning, he put that on the debt. He put that on the debt that the people are going to have to pay. So um, these guys do not want to raise the debt ceiling. So what they do want to do is they want to make less benefits for the people. Uh, bar none. So that's the, the idea. Then the next one is rules to make it harder to raise spending, taxes, and the debt limit. Not for people, for themselves. They're not people. They're uh, lizards. They're reptiles. And, uh, 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 and I'm not making it up. <laughs> That's just a human-looking veneer. It's about who we truly are here and what's our purpose in life. What's our goal? And it's definitely about nothing except money. Power, greed, and number one biggest thing, killing for profit. Keep it coming. Make more weapons of war and pass pass them on for money. You know, we don't, we don't even talk about Yemen, but it's just a slaughterhouse. We're giving all those weapons, taking it out of the tax dollars of the people, giving them to Saudi Arabia. So that they can go and kill more Yemenis. And plus using our military still to refuel, to refuel the uh, planes up in the air to keep the war going. Put that on the tax, tax people for that too. Alright, let's, that's just, uh, and never mind Ukraine and we gotta remind again, we listened last night to uh, Reverend Barber and to others there that they were saying that this is what Russia's doing and this is what the United States is doing. It's never true. It's both and. We are cloaking the story and using a blame game for Russia doing what they're doing, which they're not doing it. And this one that's called Zelensky is a mass genocidist to say the least and he's doing the bidding for the for the empire meaning it's on the presidency the presidency's allowing for that who's controlling the presidency 
oligarchs. Who are the oligarchs? Can you give me a name of an oligarch that's over the whole shebang, Rama? Oh. Um, oh, that guy from World Economic Forum, right? Yeah, I can't think of his name at the moment. I know Penny owns it by the back of her head. <laughs> and the Rothschilds are tied in with this, and they answered to the fallen angels, the Anunnaki, and they've been told. Oh, the Vatican. Off. The Vatican. Yeah. The Vatican is the oligarch of oligarchs. Even though it looks like they're fading in the breeze, they don't name it. That's why they... Oh, and then the, the, the Pope Francis was crying the other day. <coughs> um, crocodile tears. Huh? I don't know what to say. Oh. It, it's, um. Well, let's do the last two. Present budget that balances over 10 years. Present, excuse me. Present budget that balances over 10 years. And I think that's where they want to cut all the social services programs right there. Which would be absolutely ending democracy because the people want those things. Like there is a majority of people that want those things, not a minority. Just the small elites. Okay, a new COVID select committee. That's the one sticular I do not like about Hakeem Jeffries, who is the Democratic uh, caucus head for the the House. And uh, he wants to install jabs, you know, like, I don't know if he wants to make us do it, but that ain't Democratic. That ain't going to work. And you know that jabs destroys the immune system. (coughs) Which is a murderous activity. And I can just probably say he doesn't know what he's talking about by even going along with such a thing. Otherwise, the kind of uh, uh, intelligent mind and uh, way of way of doing things in the world is pretty good. Okay. So where are we, Ron? Um, I have this cryon. How to receive unlimited guidance. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, there's huge things going on and there's so many, um, Subtleties. Maybe let me say one more thing. Uh, um, Michael Beschloss was on Simone today, and he went through and named, uh, you know, the highest of votes for speakership throughout history, four times in history of our union that more than 15 rounds of voting were needed. Uh, the first one is the 16th, 16th speaker from 1819 to 1821, which tells you that it's every two years that a speaker's, uh, uh, voted for again. 
which means that Nancy Pelosi's been Speaker of the House since when, Roman? 2006? Yeah. Since 2016. Uh, that's 10 to 2020. I guess 2. Yeah, she says she's resigned. So that's 10. That's uh, 17 years. That's outrageous. I guess she started in 2007 and she got elected in 2006. Okay, so what we're saying is on the 16th speaker, it was 21 times they had to do this instead of 21 rounds. Uh, And then the 31st speaker, 1849 to 1851, 63 rounds. And then the 34th speaker, 1855 to 1857, was 133 rounds. Ah! And then uh, the 4th, 36th speaker, 1859 to 1861, that was 44 rounds. That's right before the Civil War began. And let's just look that horse in the eye because that's going on right now, there are some very, very, very um, extreme characters in the Republican Party that would really like a civil war. To have children killed in the military, on the ground, uh, in the United States. And uh, then there's a whole bunch more people that are that angry and that wanting and hateful towards the situation going on for uh, the key issue which has been stated in the public eye too is race it still is race and so uh, there's only one of us here doesn't have anything to do with the color of your skin or your species and the attitude that gets promulgated promulgated about that increases that kind of attitude of race to the point where many people believe that the African continent in general is subhuman. They are not intelligent. And the only way to even get a little bit of intelligence is to come over and get trained by white people or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 118, uh, this Congress, yeah took 15 so all right let's just put this whole thing in the cauldron of souls and this is an hour and 59 minute meditation uh and it's crying and what's it called how to receive unlimited guidance and this is certainly what the planet needs right now instead of listening to empty heads now, I would just say one more roomy quote. It's, as you seek love with all your heart, you shall find its echo in the universe. Let's keep that one in mind as we listen. Here we Aho. go. Aho. Aho, yes. Mm. Just a second. No commercials, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um. Hi, everybody. I'm Lee Carroll. I am the original channel of Cryon.
Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. What you see here as you listen, as you watch, some of you, is admittedly beyond that which you would expect in the reality that you live in when you're not in this room. The very fact that you have come here collectively to watch this, to feel the energy, says that it is not necessarily something that you see all the time. Or perhaps you expect something different. Perhaps you're hanging on the words to find something special. Channelings that are at the end of these days for this kind of workshop are different. Because we talk about who's in the room. Sometimes the room is those who are listening later for you, now for me. It's more of a personal channel than that which is information which we would list as we have done before. And so we go right to the point. What happens when you leave? When the channel is over, if you're listening to this later, and you get up out of your chair and you go wherever it is that you go, What happens? Right now in this room, there is an entourage, and we've talked about it before. We invite you to discern that there is one. We invite you to discern that this channeling is not my partner talking. We invite you to discern the love of God, spirit, whatever you wish to say. This is the energy that has taught with the masters of this planet over and over. Through major cultures and minor ones, through the ancients and the indigenous. Through the energy of Gaia and more. This is what is taught in this time. What happens when you leave? The linearity of your minds and that which you call real life causes a diminishing in energy when you're not in a group. The entourage is here and it's precious and we invite you to feel the energy of this entourage. Group, there are those here today in front of me collectively that create a certain consciousness an attribute of what happens when Merkabahs intertwine. You're all sitting in each other's energy and creates a larger energy. And then you go home. Some of you will go home with the others you came from. Many will go home alone. There may be family at home, but you really go home alone. 
when you get there, what do you do? How real is this later? No matter what we do right now, no matter what we discuss and what we talk about, I've said this before for years. This is the part where you sit and I sit and there's a love exchange together where some of you can actually feel the creative source and know you're okay. Some are healed in these meetings because collectively, because there is this attribute of togetherness, it creates an energy that allows healing. Do you really have to come to a meeting to get this? I want to say something. I want to say welcome to the new earth. Where any one of you can go home and create the entourage. Any one of you. I want to tell you, I double dare you. (laughs) My partner's words. To become the master that you are. The masters who walked the planet did not walk in a group. (laughs) They walked alone. And what they carried was everything. Alone. And if you wanted to know what was going on in many of their minds as human beings, there was doubt. There was shock and surprise sometimes at what happened around them and the reactions to them, but they were self-sufficient in their love. They knew who they were, and that alone created an entourage. They walked from place to place, and the people who saw them walk there said, this is different. Perhaps you heard the reports that even the animals knew it was different. And this is where you're going. There is an eventuality, a potential. The snowball is rolling. That every single old soul, every human being, who awakens to their own greater power, will start to change chemically. The DNA will start to enhance itself physically. There will be more awareness inside. And you're going to last longer. You're going to have revelations by yourself of who you are. And the biggest issues will be things like self-responsibility, awareness of situations you're in that you shouldn't necessarily be in, not in order to let yourself grow. Some of you know very well what I'm talking about. And growth also creates some uncomfortable time. But the masters had them as well. What are you going to do when you go home? Let me ask you a question. Is this meeting a crutch for you? 
Do you have to come to a meeting like this in order to feel the euphoria of the love of God? Or can you walk out of this place standing tall and say, I can create this in a closet? (laughs) Now, here's the next question. You're with others and they're not of like mind. Can you create it then? Can you walk this euphoric way with spirit inside you, giving you right what you might feel now and be with others who don't agree and are giving you a bad time? What's going to happen when you leave here? Today, there were questions There were an attempt at answers, and almost uniformly all over the planet, the questions to channelers, to teachers, to spirit itself are all the same. And the questions have to do with what, where, how, when, and why. It's almost like every single one of you needs to understand the mechanics of everything esoteric in order to take the next step. And that's human nature. And I'm going to say this. I'll say it again. Why do you do that? Is it really, really necessary? Dear ones, I give you the example yet again. You have a machine called the human body. It's a chemical machine. It gets you from A to B, birth to death. And it operates by itself without you thinking much about it. It's designed that way. And you work this machine during your life, and as you grow up, you learn about it. Some of you are able to control it by the health that you put into it, by the food and all the other things that you put into it. And that's about it. That's about it. Your consciousness, as you've discovered, can alter it can make it last longer. But it operates by itself. Do you really have to be a physician and study every piece and part to walk from A to B? And the answer is no. You get into the automobile and it gets you from A to B. And you never, ever think to yourself, I must understand the workings of the internal combustion engine in order to get to A to B. (laughs) Ever. You never. Because it simply works. Now I'm going to say this yet again. The awakening process of the human being that is spiritual and filled with purpose in this age has automatic mechanics that work within you. 
As you're aware of shift and change, spirit is working with you. How many of you are aware of what happens when you awaken at three in the morning? And there are many of you who do. And do you wake up and wring your hands and go, what do you want? <laughs> or do you have the, the balance to raise your hand and say, thank you, spirit, for keeping me awake. Because I recognize I'm being worked on. There's things that need repair and help. There are things that need to be enhancing. I don't have to know what they are. Thank you. You see, it's a system that is designed to work in an old soul by itself. If you open the door, light is coming in. And you don't have to analyze the waveform of it. You don't have to measure the door. <laughs> you don't have to know why. You really don't. Instead, dear human being, I want you to feel it. It's either appropriate or it's not. That's what free choice is about. Is it fearful? Does it feel good or not? Discernment is not about the minutiae of how it works, how long it's going to take, and where it's going. The old soul is beginning to awaken to a bigger purpose and idea. That these things come along when they should. And the more calm you are about all of them, the better they're going to work. But they're going to be stopped if you start to analyze what, why, where, who, and when. It's just going to be stopped. Because those answers, dear ones, are not available in a linear way. You all have fallen in love. All of you. Whether it's with another human being, whether it's with a master, whether it's with, with an animal... And it's palatable. It's beautiful. It changes your chemistry. You, you look at each other, human beings, in, in your eyes, and you're in love. And I've said this before. Do you then stop and analyze it? <laughs> Do you say, well, what's happening? I can't fall in love unless I know the minutia of it. <laughs> you don't. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. You enjoy it. You fall into each other's arms and you enjoy it. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. God is in love with you. And there's nothing like it. I don't want to invite you to fall into the arms of that which is already inside you called the higher self. Which has the creative energy of the love of God. You fall in love. And stop asking why. Or when? Or how? There are answers, basic answers about the shift of the planet, where you're going, what really truly is happening. It's about an ascended human race. Human by human, case by case, thinking differently on a pathway that is of a higher vibration. The result... Longer life, peace on earth, we've said it before.
But dear ones, this is a metaphysical, esoteric principle. You're getting from A to B. It's way too complex for you to put it in a box. Especially the box of 3D. And there are those who will leave here. And when they walk out the door, everything that was here stays here. Because you just didn't get it. That everything that is taught here is you. It's not from the one on the stage. It's available inside you. Tonight before you go to sleep, I invite you to retire into a room that's yours only. And I want you to think upon these things. You might even raise your arm and say, Dear Spirit, if you're there, show me. And you're going to get chills. You'll feel even your eyes are closed that perhaps a light is bright and shining on the top of your head. And the higher self is going to wink at you and say, it's about time you ask. And you can carry that light everywhere you go. By yourself. Alone. If you are fortunate enough to have a partner or family members or associate that feels the same as you do, now you're a group. It carries even more power. Or where there are two or more, it's exponential. But dear ones, it starts with you. Do you dare ask the question, dear spirit, what is it I need to know? <laughs> and you won't get a voice. You won't get handwriting on the wall. You'll get guidance. Intuition and love. This is the new human being. The one who accepts something that is complex, that affects their lives, their emotion, everything. And they don't understand it. But they don't have to. Because the design is that this dear one is going to get you from A to B without you knowing why. Can you do that? Discern it with your emotional heart. If you need to analyze it, analyze it from a point of correctness of feeling. Don't analyze it from what you've been taught it should be. Or what normally happens or what you think happens. There's not one of you who really knows what happens, not even the one in the chair. Everything we have given you is extremely simple. Because that's where you are right now. You're in a simple place with simple concepts, working a simple puzzle that is enormously complex. Just like the engine of your car. It's going to get you there. If you let it, do not fear the love of the creative source in your life. Maybe it's time you heard that.
when you leave this place and you go home, what's going to happen? The ones listening to this when you get up out of the chair, go in the other room, and you're done listening to the channel of Cryon. Are you going to take this with you? Are you going to shut it off? My partner calls it throwing the switch. You live a life, you go to a building and you worship, you dress for it, you come home, you live your life. A and B. And it's time that stopped. I want you to leave this place differently than you came. The entourage is making a lot of noise right now. You can't really hear it with your ears. But you can feel it with your heart. You are known by God. By name. It's time you left and knew that. Climb into the closet and be known by God. By name. With a light shining on your head. That's the message for today. It'll be the message as long as I'm here. <laughs> and so it is. Hi, everybody. Thanks for watching this. I wanted to tell you this is a little time sensitive. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. Yesterday, I started a message. I would like to repeat a portion of it and expand it. It has to do with the eternal question that stands above anything that has been taught this day. It's a beautiful question and it's one that you don't ask enough. And even before we tell you what the question is, we have to ask you, are you aware? Truly aware of the forces around you? Are you aware of the, of the tug of yin and yang? Why is it like worker? that it seems that you've been pushing a boulder uphill so much of your life and especially lately. It goes beyond any of the channeling that we have given you. In the past two years, we've, we've told you so many things about the shift that is going on. We've giving you information about the, the recalibration and what it's like to, to tune to another station, so to speak. We talked to the healers, the meditators, the channelers. And we told all of them that the energy that they've been used to is no longer going to happen. We've told you just lately there is no such thing as returning to the way it was. A week ago we told you that normal will never be normal. And that each day you may awaken 
with a parameter you didn't expect because the new normal, if there is such a thing, will be a road that never ends. Constant change. We told you that the new human being will not just get used to it, they will expect it because with the change will come new things. And the new things will always be better than the day before. Now that's a metaphor. When we say the day before, we may mean the year before, the generation before, even the lifetime before, but things will move off the peg of normalcy. I'm giving you all the information about the timeline of human history and where it's going and where you've come from. We, we told you that Crying is here because of what you did. There are so many who ask, who is crying? And that is the most difficult thing I can ever answer. Because you don't even see who I am. You don't see you and me, do you? You relate to the messages you sit, perhaps, and you feel the love, but you don't look and see that there is a creative source that I represent that you're in. You don't see you and me because you isolate and you separate. You put names on things, faces on things, personalities on things, and you keep them separate. Human nature wants to follow a leader. If they're important, you just love to surround them. The old paradigms of management, somebody's always in charge. What if I told you that none of these paradigms are going to exist in the future? What if I told you there's no channeling in the future? What if I told you you reach a consciousness state where all of you don't think alike, but you know alike. You know what to do. Can you imagine a factory where every single worker always knew what to do without direction or management? Do you realize that might be possible if they were all hooked together in a way of all knowing? Oh, they keep their personalities and they'd all be different and unique, but they'd all know together. What about a planet that all knows together that you don't kill each other. That sees the God inside everyone else who gets along. Now we've told you these many things and yet we still haven't, we really haven't visited the main point lately. And so it's time to revisit, dear ones, really revisit the core to everything. I don't want you to lose track of this. Who are you? I mean the big who. We talk about all manner of attributes 
sometimes synchronicity, sometimes co-creation, sometimes meditation. They're attributes of the human being. They're part of the soul group and the human group, the Gaia group. But the one that is missing that we really haven't discussed and talked about, not that much, is one that cannot be explained. It's who are you? The big who. How would you describe, dear ones, the higher self? And what is it to you? Is it elusive? How many of you see it as yourself? Actually, that is tough. And for those of you who do see it as yourself, how many of you question, who are you? The truth of the matter is, dear human being, that you are derivatives from the central source, that which is God, And although we have said that you have star seeds, each one of you, those star seeds are multiple. That is to say that there is Pleiadian. And before that, the seeds of the Octorians, the seeds of the Orion. So much of it collected and helped, protected by the Ashtar. So many groups are part of you. But they were once corporeal, all of them. That's not what I'm talking about. What's the core? What is the core? And in order for you to truly see this, what is inside of you, truly, that represents that which is talking to you now, and that is experientially available through the pineal, who are you? And we go right back to this. When we first started talking to you, the channeling in the beginning, we used things that were metaphors and yet they were not. We started talking to you about the physics of love. There's an energy on the planet that you cannot deny exists, which has no explanation, which has no rules, but it is packed with emotion. And it's love. Mother, that first time you see the child, you hold it to your chest. Come right out of your body. The umbilical has been cut. And if you're lucky, the child looks in your eyes. And there's the connection. And the connection is forever. Can you deny the emotions that are there? And how do you think about that child, that baby right now? Do you realize that that cord is never cut? How do you explain that? Physicist, is it energy or is it not energy? Is emotion energy? Is something that is forever 
dismissed by, by humanity as just an emotion? Or could there be physics behind it? And if there could be, what is it? 20 years ago, we said this to you. 20 years. That the space between the nucleus and the electron haze of atomic structure was filled with the physics of love. And there were some who thought, oh, how sweet that is. Brian makes our, our heart flutter when we think of these things. There was no heart flutter involved. It's physics. And this is what we want you to understand. Where are you from? What is home? And what is that connection? And who are you? And now it's time to revisit that which you need to hear. You are filled with a source that is grander than grand that is pure than pure and as you proceed to the evolution of human consciousness this is going to go nowhere unless you truly revisit this over and over and over and that is to say that at the core of everything there is love And you begin to draw the connections between human and human and human and realize that there's love connection between all of you, if you'll allow it. Who is it you won't love? We better think about that. Because the new human being will see the connections in everyone. The ability to love the unlovable is simply evolution. Conscious evolution, spiritual evolution. It brings the earth together in a way you don't expect. When you can look at someone else, no matter what they're doing. And what you want to do is pour your heart out to them and help them. Not accuse them and not judge them. That's new, isn't it? you got to understand the source. When you saw it in the masters who walked this planet, when the, when the very flowers of the earth would bloom, where they walked and the animals would follow them, and what do you think that is? What, you think that's sweet? Or do you think there might be something there that's beyond understanding? that you can measure that's the physics of the creative source and it's in you. The higher your DNA operates, the more love will be in the cells of your body and that's the love of the creator. It's not the love of self and yet we tell you, dear human being, that you've got to learn to love this part of you. You've got to look at yourself in the eyes and love it. The whole process that we have been talking about for 25 years of consciousness changing that which is in your body has an extra compliment. You should know what it is. You got to love yourself with the process and mean it. If you don't do that, then you're only giving halfway. It's hard. 
There's so much old energy that you've had to slog through, old soul, light worker. And we were there the whole time. All of the issues and all of the problems and all of the frustrations. Love is the glue of solution. It's the glue of solution. Can you love the problem? <laughs> Can you love the situation even though it isn't, it isn't what you want yet, it's not resolved yet, it's in the process of being created? But human beings have a tendency to, to do cause and effect and anything between is not <laughs> acceptable. You can't even see yourself evolving. If you don't have the final solution, therefore you don't have any solution, not understanding the beauty of what you have. None of you are home, dear ones. None of you are home. You're on earth. You're working. Do you know that? You do, you realize that, don't you? You know where home is? It's where I'm from. It's where you're from. It's where we're all from. I want to tell you this, that when you're with me and there is the purity, a sonority of love, a confluence of purity that you cannot even fathom or imagine, that's where you're from. And that's the part that wants to connect to you and that's the love that you're looking for. If you can put a name to it or a situation to it, it's the part of you that wants to reconnect to the part of you. It's the part of you on the other side of the veil that misses the part of you that literally is blind to that part. You have awakened to the possibility that there's more to you than meets the eye. And so many have not. They look around. They don't believe it. They just want to see what they want to see and move on and they're pleased with it and there's no judgment of any of them. But the old soul awakens to what they remember. And that is that in you, there is the creator. If I could tell you about home, you wonder why you ever leave. And you do. If the wind of birth would part of you split out and come to this planet, I will tell you what the rest of you does. It sits there and waits for you to connect. Did you know that? Can you imagine? We've said it before. Can you imagine being split from your loved ones? And not knowing if you'll ever hear from them again. And yet the veil is paper thin for you. You can see him walking around and you're always saying, look at me, look this way, maybe you'll, maybe you'll glimpse me. And they never do. When they, when some of them do, you know that, you know what that connection feels like? I'm talking to those of you right now who felt this. You've awakened to the point where you've looked up and were there. The hand comes down and says, what took you so long? That's home talking to you. The big H. It's where you belong. It's where you always have been. 
eons before this galaxy was ever here. Through other universes, the creative source has existed and you've been part of it. You're old. <laughs> and at the same time, you're new because time is in a circle. Never ends. Never ends. The circle has no beginning or an end. And that's who you always have been. That's home. Love is pure. Then you can believe. Without any judgment and agendas. So pure. It's what you always, always wanted it to be. It's what you dream it should be. That's who you are. That's the who. I want to revisit this because you really need to understand that there is something going on here where you need to, you need to revisit the core. The energy of God that you want to touch is you. You are part of this so supremely. And if you don't go there and you don't understand it and you want to assign it to a higher power that is not you, you'll never make the connection. And it's so important that you make the connection. And I'll tell you why. The physics of love is profound. And when we started talking about dark and light on this planet, we tried to give you metaphors, axioms, laws that said light is active, dark is passive. The definition of dark is a, a attribute where there's no light. So darkness doesn't even exist. It's simply the absence of something that does exist, light. Now, let me tell you something that I have not discussed freely with you before because it wasn't needed, but it is now because you're changing a paradigm that you should be aware of. Let me ask you, are you aware that the physics of consciousness right now on the planet allows for darkness to be active when it needs to be? Did you realize that there are energies that feed on fear? Did you know you can create them? Human beings have the power to create active darkness if they want to because they are very powerful. And some do. Now you got names for that. And there's a lot of names. And it's so interesting that you often assign those names to some kind of spiritual source. It's a fallen angel. It started there in the sky with the creative source, but it didn't do something right. So it fell from heaven and now it's bad. Oh, how human of you. It's like a bad movie. And I want to tell you that did not happen. But you want to call them evil spirits and you want to call them demons and you want to assign darkness to them and you want to make them... This and that. I want to give you some information you need to know. These are human generated and they're real. This planet has been open to these kinds of things because human, human nature has allowed it and human consciousness has allowed it. The darkness part of humanity has allowed it. And what is going to get rid of it is you falling in love with yourself. What 
is going to get rid of it is you falling in love with yourself and understanding the core. This is the core issue. Who are you? Where is home? When you drop into the core, what does it mean? The laws of conscious physics will not allow darkness in with a human being who is active in loving themselves. Disease will not invade the human being who is actively involved in loving themselves. Cellular structure will become more quantum with the human being who is actively involved in loving themselves. I could go on and on and on. I want you to conjure up something. In your imagination, I want you to see the darkest thing you can imagine, the most horrific thing you've ever seen in a movie. I want you to, I want you to line up legions of demons as far as you can see them. And I want you to picture yourself alone about to walk through them. Now I want you to picture yourself as a ball of light and the physics of the light that you have repels them as you walk. And as you walk and you touch them and you give them light, they morph. And pretty soon the room is filled with life and there's not one of them left and there's no fear and they cannot feed on anything. And what you have done is to change the planet itself and the very fabric of existence. How about that? That's the way it works. If you were to ask a Pleiadian, did darkness exist on their planet and where did it come from? They would give you a list of things that are extinct. (laughs) Is it true, Cryon, that there are those from outside the Earth's influence that actually come here and feed on the fear of humanity? And the answer is yes, you do that. And the reason we never had to tell you about that is because you weren't part of it. Not really, because you're a light worker, aren't you? Or are you? The planet is turning a corner. The consciousness of humanity is starting to accelerate in its wisdom and its intelligence. And these are the things you have to know. Lightworker, listen. Healer, listen. You can walk into this puzzle with this ball of light that you have that has to do with love and integrity and nothing is going to touch you. You can go to work into the darkest places and nothing is going to touch you. You can go and heal those who are diseased and nothing is going to touch you. Because of what you are generating from home. Imagine carrying a piece of home with you. It's time to wake up to the possibilities of the grandness and the magnificence of who you are. And when this starts to occur, everything starts to change. Everything starts to change. Self-worth, human being, old soul, starts to increase because you have the wisdom to see who you are. When you start to see what you can do, how you feel, how you can heal, how your life is starting to actually change, do you know what that does to self-worth? It increases it because you realize your value to the planet, to the universe, to the creative source. 
and you can glimpse a little bit of home. I want to close this by asking you, pleading with you to start glimpsing a little home. In your meditations, when you talk to yourselves, I want you to remind them where they're from. The love of God is who you are. You are love. And none of the processes and none of the things that I told you about are going to work until there's an acknowledgement of this. It's going to change the planet to come a day when the negative things that you see right now on your news will never, just simply won't be there. Hundreds of years have taken place that you had marauding armies of conquerors and clashing with swords and shields and all of those things. You, you don't expect to turn on the news and see that that's coming, do you? Will there come a day when you turn on the news and you won't expect what you see today either? It'll be that different. It'll be that different. The idea of humans killing each other on purpose for effect will be barbaric. You won't even see it as human. Because when you touch this planet with home, the planet starts to resound and others start to remember what you know. The grids of the earth start to resound with it. The planet is in transition, dear one. I want you to be an active part of the transition, old soul, and I want you to start loving yourself. And this is the message of the day. And when you do, there is a reciprocation that you won't believe. When you another, oh, listen. When you love a human being and they love you back, there's nothing like it, right? Can you imagine reaching up and taking the hand of your higher self and feeling the reciprocation? Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. And so it is. Greetings, dear ones. I am Kryon of Magnetic Service. I sit in a place that is known. That is to say, known is that those who are here are known. I have known them forever. Forever is a circle. A beautiful ring without a beginning or an end that represents the creative energy of the universe and the pieces of those creative parts are partially here and this is what I wish to speak of in these few moments together sometimes there are channels which have a great deal to impart I've got some specifics to give you but they are known by my partner, even some of them, in his series of lectures. 
But some of you need to hear it from me. Oh, dear one, there is purpose in your life. And some of the struggles that are here, the ones that are listening and reading in this room before me corporally, it's about shift. And the frustrations that you may have this day, the misunderstandings that you may leave with this day because you didn't necessarily grab on to the the perception of a multidimensional part and being, all of these things won't matter. Because what is coming is an increased awareness of a part and a piece of the human being that we rarely speak of. We've talked about the grids changing. We've talked about the recalibration of knowledge and self. We don't often talk about what is really truly going to change that is a core issue in the human. You make assumptions as we move forward that your reality does not move forward. That you've got to accomplish all of the things that we discuss in an energy that you have been in. And we tell you this is not the case. You are turning a corner. This corner is a slow turn, but it's a corner. Dear one, you're already starting to see young people born that are different than you. And if you could measure their DNA chemically, you would see the same set of chemicals you've always seen. So something else is changing, and I will tell you, it's in the DNA, but it's not seeable, for it is quantum, it is multidimensional. The very imprints of the DNA efficiency level are increasing, and that creates a human being who thinks differently. A precursor to human beings who will be born with an instinct that will not create war. That's just the partial of it. I want to tell you what is really truly potentially going on. With free choice, you have agreed to turn this corner and we are seeing you do it. It's been too long without a war, a really big one, you might say. Oh, there might be, there may be small ones to come. You can, you can count on it. But the one that everybody expects is not going to happen. The doom and gloom that you've been told about economies falling over, about all of these things that potentially are in your face, Don't be shocked and surprised when some of the wild cards appear and things get better. It's interesting, isn't it, what happens when things get better? Nobody talks about it. (laughs) But if they get worse, everybody talks about it. 
Now that is a human nature attribute that will also change. Now this is not new news. This one is a summary, and then I'll get on to the new. And the summary states that the human nature is going to be more attracted to light than dark. Get ready for it. A whole shift in what you want to watch in your entertainment. What you will respond to. What those who will sell you things you call commercials will create for your interest. How politics might start to move. Come a day when you come back and you watch the commercials today that you have for politics and you will cringe. <laughs> Because they're drama-driven, fear-driven, even hate-driven. Can human nature change that much? We told you you are in the process of this. Now, what we're going to tell you is that in the process of a recalibrating human being, is attitudinal change. But more than that, you're going to have to change communication with spirit. And so we start to tell you what is going on that is under the hood between you and I. Old souls are going to see it first. Old souls are going to start to experience things The communication with the Akash is going to be fearful for some. For you're going to start dreaming very real dreams of who you've been. The Akash comes to the surface as the multidimensionality of a human being becomes more active. What we are telling you is that your past lives experience start to meld with your current life in ways that you have to understand so that they don't frighten you. That's one. And so the admonition is do not be concerned or frightened if you start to hear and see and feel who you've been in a very real way. This is communication. You with your higher self. For the higher self is the one who has been there for every past life. The Akashic record in your DNA heats up, you might say, and the soup starts to boil. And the vapor that it creates, this is metaphoric, spills over into 3D and you feel things and you wonder about the appropriateness of things. Expect it. Old soul, this is for you. I'm talking to you. Number two. You're going to start having a more succinct relationship with the subconscious. That is to say, the intelligent part of your body, which we have called innate, is going to start contacting you in a better way. Don't be shocked if you don't have to do kinesiology ever again, old soul. <laughs> if your intuition starts talking to you about what your body needs and it never did before. This is all part of what you are creating in a DNA that works better than it did the last generation. The children of today are having an attribute that you did not. They're thinking more conceptually, and that is going to create systems you never thought of. 
these will be systems you're going to need that you never had before because they're going to be able to put together unequally yoked entities. I will leave it at that. But just to say, you're going to need this, dear ones, for peace on the planet. (laughs) Putting together unequally yoked entities. Call it countries or consciousness or culture or religion. You can make it up if you want to. I'm just telling you, there are systems that are going to work. And you never thought of them. That is a conceptual mind at work, not a linear mind. That's just one item. You're already seeing that in the kids. Grandparents, isn't it interesting how your grandchildren are trying to put together things for your children? (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about. They're trying to solve the family problems. And they see things that their parents don't. They see it clearly and their parents don't because they're conceptual. They can see through falsehood because they're conceptual. They're not led down a linear path where they make a left or a right choice. They see it all at once. Your innate is going to start talking to you clearly. If you're listening to something which we have always called your intuitive mind. Now, intuition has an attribute that most human beings don't like. And that is to say, it seems to be fleeting. It comes in a flash and it goes away. It does not linger. It does not explain itself. And the human being is used to something that comes and sticks around, proves itself, honors itself, explains itself. And then you go, okay, I'll listen. But intuition does not do that. You get an intuitive flash of thought for a moment and you tend to discount it. Now your innate is going to start giving you information about your own body in flashes that only you will understand. For it is specifically unique to every single human's path. I cannot give you a generic answer to anything, but your intuition will. And this is going to start happening automatically without you asking, and that may be irritable. (laughs) Imagine being awakened in the middle of the night by your intuition. And then asking, what was that, as you try to go back to sleep? Expect more of it. You're going to have to start honoring that flash and learning to decipher what it says. In a quantum state, you do not have the linearity of something that comes and presents itself in a way that you like for so many seconds so you can analyze it. Instead, it's going to be presented in such a short amount of time, you'll wonder if it was even there. Intuition. It's a thought group that presents itself to you that is an instruction set for you that gives you what's ahead if you listen. For what is ahead is based upon potentials that are known, not future telling, not a psychic ability, but an analysis that is quantum. That's what you're going to start getting. You'll know what is around the corner before you get there because Your intuition 
already knows it. Because in a quantum world, that knowledge is set and known as the strongest potential that will occur. In a three-dimensional world, it is a total and complete mystery. So communication is going to start increasing between that which is the quantum self and the linear self. You're not going to like it. Not all of you are going to like it. Because it's going to present itself in times when you didn't ask for it. And it's not going to be there when you do. (laughs) Now, why would such a thing be? You're going to have to get used to this, dear ones, that the quantum parts of you do not have a clock. They do not respond to timing as you want it to be responded to. So how do you work with this new attribute that's going to start occurring? And what will it feel like? The instructions are these. Understand it's coming. That there will be something that would appear to be unbalancing that your brain is going to do for you in a new way that you're not used to. A new kind of communication with your subconscious. Here's what you need. Here's what you should do. Don't trust that person. Don't go over here. Turn left. Turn right. It's always what you wanted. Believe me. It's always what you asked for. But you're going to have to learn to read it. The children of tomorrow are going to come in knowing how to read it. And that brings up a subject which is probably the most difficult to ever have tried to explain to humanity. And that is how the communication of self works. There's something you have called synchronicity. It is the trust that when you put out intent, spirit hears you, and that somehow magically there will be those you will meet in the future who will have answers to questions that you have today. The things will be magically moved around and put together in ways that you have asked for or not asked for, but which were better than you asked for. And you'll have no idea how it's going to happen. And you trust it. And you should. For this is the new communication. This is the way of it. It won't make sense in linearity. It never does. How can you know what you don't know until you know it? But you can trust you'll know it, do you see? You can have the energy of co-creation on things that you do not know are coming, but you can trust in the fact that they will come, even without knowing what they are. Now, I want to give you some information that my partner has taught in the past, and I want to make it very clear. And many of you will not like this because it is not what you were told in basic metaphysics. 
It starts to explain that which is around you, you call guides and angels. And I'm going to give you some information. You can call them whatever you want, but they're not what you think. I'm now going to explain the engine of synchronicity. I'm going to do it quickly so that you can review it slowly. (laughs) And here is the truth. When you stand on the other side of the veil with me in the wind of birth, you are a piece of God. You have a light that cannot be understood. A multidimensionality that's planning, that shines like the sun. The brightest light you've ever seen in 3D is what you look like. Beautiful. With your name ringing in light with colors you can't imagine. Vibrations that don't exist on the planet. That's who you are. And then you come into the planet and you're not. Now I'm going to use some 3D logic with you to try to explain something that is unexplainable. What happened when you got here? (laughs) Where's the rest of you? It's true you have the Merkaba named by Elisha when he saw Elijah's ascension. Elijah turned into the piece of God he was and blinded Elisha with the light. That's who you are. The bottom line is you're not all here. (laughs) What happens when you come into this planet, dear one, is that you split. Only part of you comes down. There is what we would call the tether. A multidimensional cord, perhaps, that is silver, if you want to imagine it, that is the portal that connects your higher self in your body to the rest of you on the other side of the veil. Not in the sky, dear ones. The other side of the veil. So you are in communication at some level with that which you left on my side. I want my partner to explain this better. When you come into the planet, dear ones, only a part of you comes and the rest stays with me. Not with me, but part of me, because I am also part of the soup of the creative energy you call God. We're not isolated into boxes, as you see, in three dimension. We're part of the creative soup of all that is. You call me cryon. You want to put a face, skin and wings, perhaps, give me even a color. Oh, how 3D of you. I speak for the group. The family that you belong to. And I would like to tell you that I sit in a place on the other side of the veil with you. Because a lot of you is here. You had to leave it behind. Here with me. The corporeal you is only a part. Now you would understand this. If you were to take on the full complement of your creation, you would vanish. You know that. So what I'm telling you is you're in two places at once. 
but now it gets bizarre. <laughs> Part of you comes in with you into this planet and splits out to become multidimensional and follow you around. These are called guides and they are you. And you are loving them. You love, you're in love with your guides. Now you know why. They're you. You give them names perhaps. You even, you even change them. Do you know what the guide change is all about that I told you about 22 years ago? Do you know what the guide change is really about? That's a refreshing of you. <laughs> it's so different. When you go through this refreshing process, it's almost like, in your terms, you rebooted your computer and you got new parts. So refreshing is it that your guides look different. They're not. They're still you. But they're vibrating at a higher level. And so are you. I'm giving you the mechanics of what I'm about to call the synchronistic engine. And I'm not even there yet. So here you sit, human being, the corporeal you. Part of you is on the other side of the veil. Part of you is in your body, the part that you see in the mirror. You've got the higher self, which is the multidimensional soul part. And you've got the guides, which are the other part of you that split out when you came. That's quite a family of you. And that is the multidimensionality of the soul. It's in many places at the same time. Just like God. Now, what are we going to do with this next? I will tell you. Now you start to become multidimensional and you put together something we will call intent. With an energy, that's an energy of confluence. Intent is an energy of confluence. That means it goes someplace, melds with something, and has action. It's just not a thought that you throw into the clouds. If you didn't know that. <laughs> It goes somewhere and does something. And here comes your intent. And the intent goes like this. Dear spirit, I wish to have the solution to the problem in front of me and the ones to follow that I don't even know about in ways I cannot conceive. And I trust spirit for this. Blessed is the human who has the courage to do that. Hmm? Instead of saying, dear spirit, here's what I need. I need you to do this and that. That boss that I have, get rid of him. <laughs> I need to have more money. I need to pay this. I need to do this. Oh, how 3D. Spirit may have something a whole lot better than that. Dear Spirit, I trust in synchronicity. I am going to have things come at me because I'm going to get out there and check. Go to meetings. Go to places. Listen to my intuition, which is new and is going to help me and work with me. Pay attention to my dreams so that I will be in the right place at the right time to have those meet me who I don't know yet. <laughs> now that is a light worker. And I am just told, I am just going to tell you how this works. So get ready. The intent goes out, the confluence of energy is seen, the meld is created. 
And the pieces and the parts of you that are on my side of the veil meet with the pieces and the parts of other human beings, all of whom are there with us. You do understand, do you not, light worker, that every single human being on the planet has part of them on my side of the veil, just like you do. doesn't matter if they're enlightened or not. If they're old souls or not, they still have part of it with us. And if you get my gist, they're on my side of the veil where all is known. Therefore, they're in the program with you, even if they're not when they're on the earth. Did you understand that? The one who is the sand in your oyster, the one that's giving you the most problems, the one who creates the energy which you feel is dark, has a piece and part of them on my side of the veil that isn't dark, and responds to the confluence of your intent, putting them in the right place at the right time to help them and you because you gave intent. I'm giving you the engine of synchronicity, which actually will be peaceful on the planet, and it's going to bring you energies you don't expect, and this may be cryptic. But I am telling you that the pieces and the parts on my side of the veil is what creates synchronicity because of what you do here. The guides around you push and pull you and get you to the right place if you listen to them. That's how it works. you got a whole team of you working for you. It's not magic. It's not God pushing buttons. It's you working with the others around you. It's family working with family. So what I have just told you is that all humanity works for you. The old soul has the information, the energy to change the crystalline grid, understands about intent and is the engine for the planet. One half of one percent of the planet is going to change all the planet because what you do here with your intent, all of the souls on the planet, seven billion of them on my side of the veil are working for you. How about that? I've just given you the answer of why things are not going to turn out the way you're told they're going to turn out. Because the 3D engine of doubt and fear and trauma is not going to survive. Not when the old souls give intent. That's new. <laughs> this is the information we're starting to expand on. Many won't understand what I just said. You're going to have to listen to it again. You're going to have to visualize it. And when you do listen to it again and when it's taught again, shut your eyes and let us give you the picture of what it's like for you to have the tools at your command to create synchronicity that will then create peace on earth. It's not working in 3D. It's not what you think. None of the rules apply that you thought should apply. You're now becoming far more multidimensional where there is no time, there is no distance. And things are going to work in a way that will shock you shock you in their purity, in their goodness. And you will look back someday on these days and realize that this is the renaissance of humanity. Meanwhile, it's not going to happen immediately. 
Meanwhile, you're here to work. Meanwhile, slow, uncomfortable change. And that is why they call it work. <laughs> I just gave you where it's going. I want you to hear this because you're going to be part of it now and later. I bring you these things because these are the highest potentials of the planet at the moment. Struggle, drama, old energy that doesn't want to die, leaders who will hold their ground even in death coming soon, shocks of where certain countries will go with their new leadership that no one thought they would go to. The wild cards are starting to occur. And it won't be anything that you ever saw in old prophecy. Congratulations, dear one. You stand on the precipice of something that you could only, only have dreamed about. And if you don't see it right away, you will. We have no clock. I can't tell you when. Free choice may beat it up for a while, but the potential is so strong. You're going to want to create it. And if you don't, your children will. <laughs> and if they don't, their children will. And this is why we celebrate you and wash your feet. And now you know. And so it is. Greetings, dear ones. I'm crying of magnetic service. And so the energy shifts yet again. In the process of channeling, there is an element of trust. I chose a man to channel who likes to have things prepared in advance. A very linear thinker who would have to delinearize his mind and understand that the only thing that he knows in advance is that he will not know anything in advance. The words that I speak now are not known to him a moment before they're spoken. And so there is no target message unless I tell him in advance what it will be. Or unless I tell him there will be a repeat of information that is then enhanced. Here is a time where he has no idea what is coming. And that is most of the time. And so what you have in this paradigm and this example is a quantum experience in the now, is it not? Where you walk from place to place, not even having a goal, but being accepting that what you're doing has purpose for the planet, even though you do not see it. I have said this before, dear human being, that your very existence as a light worker is good enough. Without a goal, without a project, is good enough. But there is a process that takes place between you and your energy and that of the crystalline grid that is enough. And that the very aspect of your life being lived one day at a time helps the planet. When you complete yourself 
with compassion. It is therefore the compassionate attribute of your mind and what you do with it day by day, which is changing the very future. How will you react to all paradigms, young person? Can you strike a balance between the wisdom of honoring what is there and changing what you can? And those who are conceptual will know this. For it is the linear mind who will go up against a force and expect it to bend. It is the conceptual mind who will go around the force and change it from the back. (laughs) And so there are ways and means of approaching those that you have never approached. Because you didn't think you could. There is a way of living where they will approach you. When they see the compassion that you have. For those perhaps you have not talked to in years. Who have not accepted you for what you believe. Will see you differently because you stop telling them anything and listening to them. Compassionately. Because they can see you're interested in their life. I'm not interested in converting them. These are the paradigm shifts, dear human being, that you're starting to see on a day-by-day basis. If you can title a series or a channeling, I will do so. This is not going to be an endurance channel. (laughs) We wish to give you information and energy this day. I would like to start a series called The Incredible Human Being. And I'll start it with a simple one. Honoring of history. Not your history. But that of the higher self inside you. A history of the kind that you don't hear much about. And if I could subtitle it, it would be How We See You. We've given information how God sees humanity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we see it now, right now. If you could see what we see, it would change everything. You'd change your attitude about who you are, who humans are, what you've done and where you're going. We see with eyes that have millennia. In them all at once. Will you not see in this time frame like you do a moment at a time as you hear this? As you might read this? Later. We see instead a snapshot of all the lives that you are. Of all the things that might have happened that you are. And what you did even before you got here. That's how we see you. We see you as both eternal and a piece of God, the creative energy, and as the human that you are. That's how we see you. And the history that is here is amazing. And although we have said some of these things before, I wish to lay it out yet again. 
a carpet of honor rolled down the middle aisle for you to appreciate. And I bring you this message of the history of humanity differently than you've ever heard it before. You can't start it where you think it started. Humans like you appear 200,000 years ago, and that's not very long. And you're different than the evolution of the planet. There are those who have seen it. There are those who will see it. The finer the instruments become, the more you'll be aware that there is no missing link. Because you are separate and completely different from the other mammals on the earth. No animal, no mammal is like you. Your DNA reeks with a message that it's not from here. And we've told you this before. And we, we challenge the scientists to see it. Find the fusing. The 23 instead of the 24. All of the things that show you something happened. And it is not through normal evolutionary processes. It's counterintuitive to evolutionary processes. And that's where we're going to start. I want to paint a picture for you so that you will understand something very critically. You are the new kid on the block in your galaxy. Right now. As I speak, something is happening. I cannot reveal to you the details of it, for it is not clear even to us, for it is simply unraveling as it will. The energies of potentials are at work right now doing something very special. Before I tell you what it is, even in a language my partner is not understanding yet, let me review those who seated you. We've spoken of the seven sisters and we've spoken of the Pleiadians. And there'll come a time when humanity will see the potential of this being real instead of mythology or something odd. They take a look at the biology. And when they get the invention that is coming, it will change everything. We have no clock. We cannot tell you when it's coming, but we will tell you this, that when you are able to manipulate, create, sustain quantum energy on this planet, you'll have the invention that will change humanity forever and you will mark the beginning of your civilization from that point. For in this quantum energy that you will be able to create technically, you will then be able to tune in on the galaxy. And you'll be able to hear the others. For they are also tuned in to one another in a quantum state. They know who you are and you will then know who they are. And rather than fear gripping the planet, there will be a release and a relief. And a rewrite, perhaps even, of spiritual systems. And the rewrite will honor God, but in a different way. The rewrite will understand that the mythology of the garden and the talking snake really are representative of a creative energy when it was time, when humans needed it. 
The reality of light and dark was given to you just in the allegory, but in a different way. That's your history. Those who planted the seeds on this planet of divinity in you did it after their change came a million years before yours. Imagine a civilization on this planet a million years from now in a graduate status. What would it be like? What would you learn? What could you do? All of these things, it is far beyond your scope of imagination. How can you explain something you don't know? How can I talk to George Washington about the Internet (laughs) when he doesn't know about electricity or a computer? One thing leads to another. Inventions build upon themselves in such a way that if you're not familiar with the grounding of where they came from and how they developed, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Suffice it to say. That one thing leads to another and truth reveals itself and over generations, humans change. Took a million of your your earth years, the Pleiadians, to have the ability to see this planet. 200,000 years ago, they did it. 100,000 before that, is when life began on this planet in a significant way. And I'm not going to give you what significant way is that led to you. Now, here is what I'm talking about. There is a plan, a process of what we will call galactic evolvement. Where certain populations in certain star systems become aware. And the power that is created from that awareness builds upon itself and accelerates until they're able to actually create themselves in a quantum energy where life itself can be bottled in a quantum energy. Transportation is instant. All of these things, it is a meld between biology and technology that I cannot explain to you. It is not robotic. It is the human being being able to create with help from technology that they create with inside them. Difficult to explain. My partner's not getting the picture. He cannot any more than George Washington got the Internet. So let us just say that it existed. When the Pleiadians were at a state where we knew what they would do, where they knew what they would do, this planet started to change in preparation for them. You might say they passed a marker in their evolvement. Now, here's what I want to tell you, human being. You're passing a marker right now. It has the potential of their marker a long time from now. But things take a long time to evolve on certain kinds of planets, depending upon the sustainability of certain kinds of life. Right now, I would like to tell you what is going on somewhere else in your galaxy. It is the beginning of those you will seed. 
There'll come a time when you will fill the role the Pleiadians filled with you. And what we want to tell you, which you may find hard to believe, is that you were there, the seven sisters, as Pleiadians. And now you're here as humans, and you will also be part of the next phase. It is endless. (laughs) And you've got the time for it. The plan has... That which is energetic and divine sweeps over the galaxy and changes its physics. It changes who it is and what it is. It changes the universe. There is a larger picture at hand. And those that you would call, for instance, those that are not Pleiadian, and you would wonder what their role is in the galaxy, and you've talked to them and you've named them and books are written about them, I want to tell you they are the forerunners of the Pleiadians. They seated each other. That's how that worked. That's the history of humanity. If you could see what we see. The Akashic record that is inside your DNA is earth-based only. doesn't go back any further than that. That's an honor of the biology and Gaia. It's an honor of the cable creation. No matter how good your past life reader is, she's not going to read you as a Pleiadian. He might do something different, he, she, and say so, but it's not there to read. It is not there to read. So the history of humanity is longer than you think. But if you could see what we see, it starts 200,000 years ago. By 100,000 years, you were like you are now. The other kinds of human beings left There were at least 17 kinds, just like all the mammals of the planet create variety, and you didn't. Have you ever thought about it? There's only one kind of human being. That is counterintuitive to all of evolution that creates variety. There's only one kind, (laughs) many colors, but one kind. Oh, my God. If you take a look at that, there is an indictment right there that you are not part of Earth evolvement. There is no missing link unless you want to go to the Seven Sisters. And that's where you'll find it. And that's where we started talking to you, dear ones. We see your history from both sides of the veil. How it is when we talk to you before you come in. What we say energetically. What the feelings are. And what you're about. The incredible human being. In the old energy, how do you think it felt, dear one, to be part of divinity and the plan of knowing everything that I know on the other side of the veil, poised and ready to come in? Knowing full well that when you arrived as a human being, you have lost almost everything, all knowledge of who you are, all knowledge of God, all you do is that you wanted to go home. <laughs> all you knew, you ser- you find all your life, you search for that. Which loves you, if you noticed, all your life. And they'll become, those come along and invite you into their box. But it doesn't satisfy you. If it's true your own, you're your own ancients, think about the energies and the things you went through. Willingly. Knowing full well, on my side of the veil, when you arrived... You might not last very long. Life's lifespan was short. 
So many of those old souls in the room died on the battlefield. Do you know that? You had to. Because that's what humanity did. By the hundreds of thousands. How many of you died with plague in the room? Most. You've gone through the waves of humanity. And every single time you came back and we looked at you and said, you're doing it again. And you said, yeah. What are the potentials of that? Why would you do that? That's the incredible human being. That is the history we see. Because you see the the conceptual part of what you're doing is part of a big picture that takes you someplace. And I'll tell you where it takes you. It takes you to now. Where you have against all odds created the marker that you're going to pass on your way to creating something that no one has predicted. Except those on the other side of the veil who see the energy I see. There is celebration on my side of the veil as you push toward this marker. Humans have free choice. You can change it on a dime. But the potentials are exactly the ones I saw 20 years ago when I said hello to my partner. And I said, consciousness is shifting. Weather is shifting. You're not going to be the same as you were yesterday. There is no returning to normal. Because normal is old. Normal is old. Your country is in a state right now where you're begging to have this over with, are you not? (laughs) To have the economy you used to have. For those of you who sit and listen and read who are Americans, you long for the time before the economy went into the dumper, as you would say. (laughs) How would you feel if I told you there is no going back? Instead, there is a reworking and a recalibration of normal. And it will pull itself out after some other things happen that you don't expect. You've got to recalibrate the system, the very systemic things that you think are the base points of what makes you who you are as an economy, as a country, are going to change. And that's good news. For it's going to change to the better. There's going to be more transparency. And you knew this. I want to tell you the last thing that I, on the other side of the veil, I, I saw. Oh, dear ones, how do I explain this? I have said this before so many times. Your history, you know what we see as your history? I'm going to put it into two, into two places here. I've done this before. I want to, I want to put it into two parts. Number one, I want to talk to the seniors and the second, I want to talk to the young people. The seniors in the room, when you came into this planet, this lifetime and said goodbye to us, it hadn't changed any. You were heading for a decision point that had you burned alive. By nuclear war. And the prophets told you. And your scriptures told you. 
and it was written in many places, even the ancients gave you the potential. This would be it. It's over. You failed. You had the weaponry. You had the attitude. And it was on its way. And you came in. That's the history we see. Why would you do that? I've given you this information before, but perhaps not in this succinct way. Why would you do that? And I'll tell you that because there was a potential that down the line, thousands of lifetimes of raising your consciousness would eventually pay off today. And it has. And it's only been 25 years that you turned it around. And now you're sitting on something that even you did not expect, senior. You've got the potential for extended life. You've got the potential for peace on the planet, for turning things around in a way that your parents said you couldn't. Why did you come here when you thought you were going to die? And I'll tell you, that is because on the other side of the veil, you have the mind of God. My mind. You see the concepts, you see the potentials, you see those around you you don't even know exist. You see the cheering section you don't know exists. You feel the energy of love that even some of you in the room don't know exists. Right now I want to invite the entourage in, even before it's time to close, to sit in the aisles and stand there as I make pronouncements and I say you have no idea how honored you are. You're going to do it. That's the potential. It's never changed. Senior. Now, to the young person. You come in an energy that is brand new. It was not expected. When I said goodbye to you as an old soul from my side of the veil to this one, I said, as odd as it might seem, you're the one that's going to have to do the hardest work. Paradigm shift comes with a price. And I said yesterday in a private channeling a word, and we're going to give it to you now. And you're going to remember it because it's funny. And it's going to be the paradigm that you're going to have to live with and work with it, and we're going to call it suck. (laughs) Slow, uncomfortable change. Slow, uncomfortable change. And that's because there is no total, complete collapse and failure in sight. Now that can change. That's how we see you. So the young person in the room is going to have to deal with something that the senior did not. One foot in the old energy, one foot in the new, straddling it with wisdom and patience. And by the way, senior, that's not what you did in the 60s. You blasted forth. Didn't do any good. It's different today. How do we see you? The incredible human being, the history that is here, 200,000 years, that's nothing. 
Don't you find it odd? We've seen this before. Why don't you find it odd that the that the Earth is as as old as the galaxy is? It's all the same age. That it took this long for humans to appear? You might see his giant hand holding him back. The actual start of microbial life started five times before they got it right, millions and millions of years. While other worlds had their civilizations, you were looking at amoebas trying to get it right. Uh-huh. Photosynthesis occurred last minute, saved the day. Start looking at the biology of the planet and the history of planet. Doesn't really make sense that you'd be last minute with an earth this old to have humanity happen only at the last possible moment is counterintuitive. It's part of a plan. I'll say it again. There's someone else somewhere else starting right now because you passed the marker. It's the same scenario and they'll be the new kid on the block next. And yes, I'll sit in front of them if and when they change the consciousness of their world like you have. How do I see you? All of these times that you've come in, it's such an honor to sit with family. Your parents knew of this day. Did you know that? On my side of the veil, they looked at the potentials and they saw that they could be. They were not the strongest, but they could be. They came into the planet, we've said this before, knowing that they would probably meet one another. The synchronicity would create the seed, which is you. Some of them would give you a bad time. Some of them would die early. They wouldn't be very enlightened. And that you'd pass the torch. How does that make you feel? I'm looking at it right now because I see the potential of the unborn. I see your potential next time. I've told some of you what you're going to do. That's the history. I want to give you the big picture, and I just did. That's what we see. That's what we see. Incredible human being. The history that is not the reality that you see, but the reality we see, is a family member who has changed the very fabric of the galaxy through eons of time. What some of you would call sacrifice. There is a system here that you don't know about and you don't understand and you wouldn't agree with. There's 200,000 human beings that we faced off with, almost 300,000 human beings, before they came in and we told them this. You're going to come in and there's going to be a purpose you're going to achieve and it's not going to be pleasant, but it's going to change the planet forever. Now, some of you are going to be kids. And when the earthquake happens and the waters come in, you're going to drown. 
The world will turn its eyes upon you and there'll be a compassionate wave that'll change the crystalline grid forever and push this planet even closer toward that, which is what we call peace on earth. And you said, I'm going. And they said, I'm going. That's the history we see. That's your history. What I just told you is that some things, but the potentials are known. The cycle that you see of weather before you has created the volcanoes, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, and there is the potential of where you live. You know the rest of the story. Crying, are you telling me they knew about it in advance? Not as humans. But I'm not talking about human history. I'm talking about humans as we see them on both sides of the veil. That's the incredible human. And they came anyway. And they accomplished what they accomplished, and they did. Based off of the human being. There's a potential you're going to die in a way that you can never even imagine. So horrible. Mm. Falling from the 81st floor by design, you're going to jump. (laughs) And they did. Along with a couple of thousand others. And you know what I mean. For the potential of 9-11 was known. Very well known. And it took place on schedule. And there will be those even here who would not understand this. But I speak to you in metaphysical ways, compassionate ways. That one event put compassion on this planet within Moments of its knowing all around the world and that moved the earth and the crystalline grid was changed yet again. The outpouring of compassion because of what those scenes showed will never be forgotten and changed everything. And the irony is that it took terrorism to create it. Now that is an old energy. And that is what's going away. What I'm telling you, dear human being, is that the old paradigms, even the dark ones, have come together to create a confluence of positive change on this planet. Sometimes you take two steps. Sometimes you take one. Sometimes it's two forward and one back. But at the end of the day, you cross the marker. I give you this information even as advanced as it may be. So that all will hear it and know there is a plan. That you come in willingly. Now, turn the page and we're going to close. Old souls did not come here to die. Old souls need to stay on the planet. The ones in this room need to stay here. 
extend the life as much as you can using what we give you, using the new inventions that are coming your way, not drawing a demarcation line between that which is science and that which is religious or spiritual and using everything with discernment that'll extend your life. Be circumspect and wise and know that some of these things that you would call science are directly from the creator. <laughs> Given to you to save your life. We need your light and we need you to stay. I speak to the room. I speak to those who would tune in and listen to this or read these words. The very footsteps on the planet of your wisdom changes all. Slowly and incrementally, you are needed. And when you leave, you will return. I'll tell you why you're going to return. Because you're going to return with a different instinct of humanity. You're going to return with the knowledge that you've learned this time around and you will awaken early by yourselves. You will not have to go through what you've gone through this time. Isn't it nice to hear that? It will be instinct that you are a piece of the creator. This is new and it's called the evolution of DNA. I've given you much here. Some of what I gave before, some of which is new in a package I wanted you to hear. Why I, as Cryon and those around me, are in love with you. If you could see what we see, you would know exactly why we feel like we do. You can't, and you won't. For it is all hidden from you in certain ways so that free choice will be yours to make without the influence of second and third and fourth and fifth sight. And that even makes it more special when we look at you and we say, even without what we know, you walk the path. And you trust the path. And you love the unseen. And that is good enough for us. It's working. Do not be dismayed by things that seem to go backwards that might occur. See them in the grander scheme of a longer time frame that marches forward slowly to a marker where you will have peace. It is in the works. How soon? I cannot tell you. For it will develop as it develops and be created through your free choice. But the ball is unstoppable. That's where it's going. And that's what we wanted to tell you. Not filled with information as much as it is filled with gratitude, with love, with purpose. We want you to know when you leave, you're not alone. You can't be. It's impossible. We're there with you the whole time. We wouldn't have it any other way. And so it is. Wow. 
will let us just get back in our bodies. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to continue because we've got a certain amount of time, but we're going to continue. That was. Yeah, right now. I'm just going to look for this one. This is from um, the night before Christmas, uh, the night before New Year's Eve. Oh. With Matthias De Stefano. Okay. Uh, December 30th. Portals of Time and Space. Is the structure of our universe built upon portals? Yes, you'll get there. Guide Matthias De Stefano shares how souls function as portals through space and time to co-create realities throughout interweaving dimensions. As Matthias says, at the center of these structures, excuse me, of life, geometry and base uh, and base elements, we find transcendence. It's a very good word. Each soul has the seed of divine creation. So every spirit can express and experience these patterns of evolution and then transcend them by doing so according to Matthias. Portals mm-hmm. are places where all pathways of evolution are reflected in between time and space. Through understanding the origins of evolutionary patterns and how the mirrored portal system operates with the rhythm of the universe, Matthias reminds us of the importance of connecting to our hearts. Whoever is not aligned with their heart chakra is not aligned with the portals of time and space. And it's interesting because Gaia TV is starting to do all of these uh, programs in three languages, English, French, and German. Mm-hmm. And you found it. Let's get started. Okay. Let's do it. How are time and space portals used in the geometry of creation? I am your host and guide, Matthias Stefano. In this episode, we will explore how time and space portals are created and how they work in the universe. When the spiritual mind of the universe starts to bend itself in order to create the ether and all the energetical paths and enlightenment of the process of ideas, all the construction of this mental reality starts to duplicate itself, like bend itself into different realities and to show the positive and negative structure of the self. This 
combination of of mirrors of ideas of positive and negative realities in the spiritual mind start to create the channels in which the connection of the ideas is going to flow. This construction is what we call the nodes of information, and in the middle we have the neurons that connect all this data. We have to imagine the mind of the universe like we are in our brains. All this conjunction of cells that we call neurons connecting by positive and negative flux of energy, transmitting data information as bigger the network is created, expands more information. So we needed more spirits, more synapses, more connections around. And from one spot to another one, they would charge off all this energy to see the reflections. This creates the idea of a pattern that will storage information in some dots of the universe and some of those mirrors and that spark of information going through the lines of time and space, these structures that are created by vibration that we call the ether and this energy would move through these lines that we will call like the path through evolution and the nodes would be the points of transcendence of the evolution. This structure would be created in the pattern of a tetrahedron. Point A would be the negative, the inside. Point B would be the outside. And then we have the point C, which would be the point to observe all the path that you have done. So from the point A to B, you would express yourself. To the point C, you would experience everything, and then you would have to seek the other point, which is the fourth one, the point D, which will show you the, the integration of the whole pattern. Everything that you have expressed in this pattern, and then everything you have experience in this pattern, and then you will have another one to show you the reality of the whole pattern. And then you go to the core to create a new one. So the three patterns that create the experience and expression, plus the one creating the integration of all of it, they all meet together in the core, creating the transcendence. All the spirits begins with this tetrahedron pattern, with this shape. And this is called the main structure of the universe in which every portal through time and space is created. When we have the main seed of creation, what we do now is to multiply it by thousands and millions of them, creating the patterns around the creation. And they multiply the process into many and thousands of expressions. So every spark, every period that was created from the source could express, could experience this same pattern and transform this pattern into other path of evolution. So the main seed started to spread 
all these seeds to create more trees and all these trees will would create new universes new dimensions new realities the main seed that contains the pattern of our whole process will create the statements in which every being would be able to go from the mind to the experience in a physical form, in a physical shape. That is why one of the tetrahedrons that is created will also make a path to the outside, creating a point A to a point B. So positive and negative would create two tetrahedrons spinning, creating this new path within. And this new path within would create the being. These two patterns would create the cube outside itself, and this this cube would create the new seed of creation, what we call the octahedron. This octahedron will be breathing and expressing itself into the icosahedron, and the icosahedron would express itself until we have the dodecahedron. So these first five structures of the universe gives us every one of the most important steps of evolution and the storage of every mirror and every information that we accomplish in evolution. This means that every node of the geometrical structure would represent a core of storaging energy and storaging reflections of the, of the main spark. And every one of the lines that connects all this geometry would be the processes that we have to take in order to have all this amount of energy and information from the whole perspective of time and space. That's what we call a portal. A portal is the place where all the connections and path of evolution goes through it and to it and are reflected in between time and space. Those are the spots that connect the tetrahedron, octahedron, cube, icosahedron, and dodecahedron in the same places. Every shape of the universe that is created from these main structures are connected through those spots that are the mirrors of reality. This creates the main structure to where the spirits can live and can experience every reality even if they are light, dark, even if they are ether or matter. Doesn't matter in which part of the universe you are, all the portals or all the paths, all the lines that you have to take to evolve are exactly the same in different levels or, or vibrations. These different paths will always be the same ones in different dimensions so even if you are lost in these realities, you would see the portals towards the connection of the main information. So from the higher levels of knowledge, of vibration, of connectivity in, in the mind of the universe, you will find that these main structures of geometry are the ones that we call the path or portals towards realities. These portals bend time and space. So every one of the, of the mirrors that storage the information that was reflected in the lines in the path of geometry, they could be 
uh, all together connecting different paths. So every being that are taking those paths towards the evolution, they could see each other from different perspectives in just one core. These mirrors start to divide itself in many shapes through these portals. So the portals start to be reflected in many thousands of sparks around the universe. It's like putting just one light or a candle in this labyrinth or hole of mirrors. As many dots you have in the reality, many mirrors you have, so the 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 first light, the only light in the in the whole labyrinth is reflected in many different ways. This is the structure to find how every mirror, every pattern uh, that we call a portal is a path towards the first spark of the spirit. Portals are the connection between the synapses of the universe. Nothing really is real. Everything that we know is just a projection of the sixth dimension that was projected from the seventh dimension, that was projected from the network in the eighth dimension, and the divine in the ninth dimension. So nothing really exists. Everything is just a projection hologram of these mirrors that are reflecting the process of awareness. All this network of neurons in the mind of the universe, the only thing that they are doing is to put all the energy that they are storaging from the experiences in just one spot. So this main pattern will teach us that all the paths in the universe that are created, that are projected from the ether to the matter, material worlds are all the structures of the portals that reflect every truth around us. And if we find those portals around the creation, what we could do is to see ourselves reflected into many dimensions. So all the projection of the universe are all portals that reflect just one reality. And that is why everything that exists is just like, like this Russian doll in which you just open one reality and another one and you can see that you are a part of all of those other beings, that there's no separation in the universe, that every being you could know in the universe, archangels, angels, guides, uh, high masters, the ascended masters in the fifth dimension, all the beings that you could possibly imagine are just a different projection of yourself through portals. This is the mirror system of the universe. So when you find a portal in the planet, in yourself, in the universe, you will reach the path towards every line of evolution. So all the lines in the structure of a geometry would be aligned in just one spot. And that means that suddenly, if you, if you are the spot of a tetrahedron, you will see three lines coming from you. So these three lines coming from you, you could know as future, past, and present. And this structure of three lines coming from you 
could be three different lives. A life you had in the past, a life you're having now, and a life you will have in the future. Mm -hmm. And the three of them are paths of evolution that are charging information to your heart. And they are connected to your heart. So whenever you reach this portal and you are able to see through the portal all these times and spaces that are projecting from yourself, you are able not only to see those realities, but also to travel through those realities. The portals are the realities that connect every dimension. So when the time and space of every dimension bends itself to create all the path of evolution into one idea, all this process of one dimension goes into another dimension, like like bending itself from within to outside, like a flower growing from a plant and opening into the other reality and then dying again to become the minerals that the plant needs to create more flowers. This pattern that goes out and in, out and in, in the, in the core, we have the information of these lines filling with data to these portals. So, all these portals that we created in the first time in the sixth dimension were born from the five structures that we know as the platonic solids. These structures would create the first patterns towards opening the other dimensions. And from, from them, we would create every shape and every portal in the universe. That's why we also have these projections in our stars. Stars are the biggest portals because everything came from them and everything goes back to them. All the information of the experience uh, of the expression of a star comes back to her. So it could be integrated and transcended in another level of consciousness. So every star is a portal. And when we have a code in those stars, we will find the constellations. Constellations are the other portals that we can see in the skies that allows us to go through one dimension to other. The constellations are the physical portals that we see, that we see in the universe. And from the point of view of Earth, we have the positive and negative of the portal in, in the physical way of light through the stars. When you see the stars, you are, are seeing the positive energy of the universe, which is the aspect that enlightens itself and creates the matter. But what uh, allows that matter to exist is the network that is within, so the negative aspect, which is the space between the stars. The positive aspect of the portal is the one that brings you to this reality, to the expansion, and the negative one, the space between the stars, is the one that takes you to the core. So that's why the space, the black part of the sky uh, at night, is the one bringing you to the truth and not the stars. This is something that ancient people knew. So they were not counting the stars. They would count the spaces between the stars so they could see and reach the core of the reality. That is why we have a positive and a negative aspect in the universe the one going within, the one going outside. 
So physically, we have the idea that the stars are guiding us to the light and the space between is taking us to the dark. But from the perspective of a fifth dimension, it's totally opposite. It's like, it's like having a photograph, but in the negative. We can see the whole space like light and the dark spots are the doors that we call stars. This is how we see the universe in the fifth dimension. And from the third dimension, we can see the light in the portals and the negative structure that holds the reality in the dark spot. When a civilization starts to grow and realize about itself being a part of time and space and being bounded by time and space, they realize that if they connect their own heart with the heart of the star, what they would reach was to open a portal through the doors of reality so they could go inside these realities and travel through time. That is why most of the aware beings in the galaxy, they don't travel through space. They just go to the portals of reality. They open this portal by vibration and they just go inside of it. And from there, they can see, touch and talk with every dimension. Every reality in the universe has a portal within. Every that you feel that you see every reality that is around you is created through a portal. And this main portal that is within for us, is it is in our heart. This main portal holds the whole pattern of holograms that create us from this spark. Every line that we have in our bodies are bounded and created by this portal. So everything, every cell, every being has a portal through where you can connect with every dimension. So that's why not only the portals are in the stars and the systems in the galaxy, but they are also in even in our houses, in our own bodies. Whenever you are ready to contact those portals, you can talk, listen, the higher beings from other dimensions. When you start to listen your higher self, uh, your guides, your yeah, and archangels, angels, other beings from other dimensions is not because they are trying to contact you. It's because you got the amount of energy needed to open a portal within you. And that makes you feel and listen the truth that is in other levels of consciousness of yourself. That is why usually we feel, listen and remember the dimensions and the information from other levels of the universe through the heart and not through the mind. On Earth, we have many portals because a sphere has the perspective to see and open every portal around. We have the ethereal portals and also the physical ones. The ethereal ones modify the matter, so the matter has the portals in this in its own structure. We can find these portals around our planet, for example, in the highest mountains, in some islands lost in the middle of the ocean, in the structure of the plateaus of every continent. So all the realities that we know, every continent that is created is just a projection from the hologram of these other 
of these portals from other dimensions. Ancient cultures tried to reach those portals and use the information through the lines that connect these portals and align the portals of Earth with the portals of the galaxy in the constellations. That is why they tried to look for the, for the energy of the planet, for, of every portal in the planet, build the structures to hold the energy and to, to harvest the energy of the planet aligned with the portals of the stars. That is why the stars were built here as pyramids with the shapes of the portals of the stars, but using the energy of the portals from the Earth. This would open the doors in between every dimension, here in the third dimension and also in the ethereal ones. These two connections with the network around are the structures that created the main connection to the mind of God. So when we realized that everything was connected through these five shapes and the portals where the nodes, where all the lines of the geometry were connected, so we realized that they were the mirrors to see ourselves in different dimensions. We realized that in order to travel to different dimensions, we needed to see ourselves within. And that was this projection that helped every species to travel through time and space. Those species that were not aligned with the self, that they had not alignment with the heart chakra, they were not able to go through these portals because they cannot connect with every line time of space and time. So it was nature itself uh, prohibiting and banning some some uh, species from going through the portals by the vibration they have itself. This is like the labyrinth of the universe protecting itself from the evil, protecting itself from the destruction of the same systems. So whoever is not aligned with the heart chakra, it's not aligned with the portals of time and space. And the only reason why the heart chakra is the only one is because everything in the universe is connected by the heartbeat. Yeah. Everything in the universe is a pulse that has a rhythm through time that goes through the vibration of space. So whoever is not connected with the pulse and rhythm from the heart cannot go through all these lines and all these portals. That is why the structures of the portals push us to be created, to be molded by personalities that with the information of all these portals. The constellations surrounding us are molding us so we can work harder in to find this perfect vibration and perfect rhythm through the heart. So that was the main goal of our civilizations, to find the beat of the heart, to find the clock that helped us to find the perfect amount of frequency to go through these portals. Whoever reached the portal of the heart can reach every portal and go through every spot in every geometry in the universe, finding the first spark, which is the self, which is God. Right now, for humans, it's important mm -hmm. to understand how this works, how 
the universe is connected through these portals of reality because the planet is trying to connect itself with the self, with the understanding of who it is. And that means that we, its neurons, are more wide open right now by by vibration, by frequency, to be co uh, contacting beings from other spheres, from other cells, from other bubbles. So that means that each one of us are opening portals within to listen the voices of ourselves in different realities. And we we have been 12,000 years disconnected from those spheres. So it's important for us to know how the portals of the universe work so we could understand that we are the conjunction of the time and space, that we are our own portals, and that we, if we open our heart chakra, we would be allowing the download of the information of every dimension that we call realms, but that really is ourselves in different dimensions. So this is why you need to understand that there are no higher beings apart from you, that every being in the universe is just a shape of you, another vibration of you. Thank you for joining me in this journey. I am your host and guide, Matias Estefano. In the next episode, we will uncover how the time and space portals in our galaxy created the zodiac star systems. Wow. Just what Crayon said. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one more confirmation of all that we've done already. Rama, this one's called Evolutionary Patterns of the Universe. Yeah. On the 30th of December as well. Delving deeper. Momentico. I bring this little thing forward. Make sure you can hear me. Delving deeper into the polarities of grand design. Matthias De Stefano guides us further into the six-dimensional geometric structures of physical worlds and their evolutionary patterns. These structures, which have been historically known as the Platonic and Archimedean solids, create specific patterns to be expressed in material worlds. What humans call earth, air, fire, water, and ether, all have their origins in the five base geometric shapes from the sixth dimension. These patterns are holographically projected the third into the third dimension as expressions of the material world. Matthias reminds us that all constellations around our planets are nodes acting as an intricate web of creation. Patterns are within and all around us. Exploring further into the, the design of these life patterns can help us find balance and harmony in our rapidly evolving realities. Here we go. Matthias again.
are evolutionary patterns designed? I am your host and guide, Matias Estefano. In this episode, I will describe the creation of evolutionary patterns and how these patterns are held within the divine DNA code. When the universe started to have this consciousness of who it would become, the main idea that it had was to go out of himself and to seek for the reflection of itself. So in this way, it could see itself in different perspectives. From the third dimension, we can think that when we are talking about an architect or a scientist trying to figure out something, an inventor would create something outside of him and do something for others to show, to experience, to to be lived. And we think about this mind like a being creating something outside. So that's why we believe we are an experiment from other beings in other dimensions. And we forget usually that we are also those beings. In the sixth dimension, the, the, the perspective that we have from that reality is that the architect, the inventor of the reality is not doing something for others. It's transforming itself in different levels. So in the sixth dimension, you have beings that are meditating within and transforming the patterns that they have within to switch it and to show different realities in which they could be transformed. So there were not creators that created us to live something that they hadn't lived before or, they, or that they hadn't proved before. Every creation is a part of everyone. So we humans or every being that, that are alive in this planet are just a distortion or a new creation, but within the body of someone that is trying to change itself. So whatever we feel and we lived, they in the sixth dimension also lived it because we are part of their bodies. So that's why there's no one ruling the creation. It's all of us creating ourselves constantly. This means that in order to create a, a new reality for, for these worlds, those beings in the sixth dimension has to experience how it is to live that reality, to experience that reality, to prove that it works. So in order to do that, it has to project itself outside. So that's why in the sixth dimension, the self has this idea of projecting itself in many architects of reality in which every consciousness that he was divided in could by itself create new realities and project new experiences and expressions from themselves. This created the first patterns of the universe that are bounded by the mind of the universe in the five main structures, which are the tetrahedron, octahedron, the cube, icosahedron, and dodecahedron. They are the basis of all creation And the mix of these five structures, all the rest of the creations in the sixth dimension could be transformed, could be created, could be expressed. So from them, 
they created the pattern of the flower of life. And once they had this, this pattern, what we could see in the sixth dimension is this spheres of expression expanding from just one spot. This spot was divided in six, and those six by polarity created the twelfth. These patterns of creation in the sixth dimension structured the shape of the sphere for the first time, and through that shape of the sphere, everything would be created, because all the potential of everything would be inside of that sphere that we, in the third dimension, call a cell. This cell that has all this potential within starts to divide itself in many other patterns and in many other other structures, but all of them were just the reflection or the distortion of the first five. When the spheres in the sixth dimension start to split and create like this mythosis of consciousness, the patterns that we could see of these 12 spheres, the six positive and the six negative, were divided and expressed in many, many ways and directions. So what we could see of them was like these dots dividing it in positive and negative. So in this division, they had a pattern that connect them through, through vibration. This vibration was connecting the patterns of Trinity, which would be this tetrahedron shape of the network and Every one of the cells of this Elohim, of these creators, was a projection for the first one from the core and connected to the other ones by vibration in trinity shape. The first species on being created in the sixth dimension are related to the geometry. So the tetrahedron is the species of fire. The cube is the species of earth. The Icosahedron is a species of air, and the dodecahedron is a species of water. And then we have the being, the ethereal beings in the octahedron, which is the self. So all of the others are bounded by the octahedron, the fifth element. And this fifth element is containing the structure of the tetrahedron, the fire, and the earth, the cube, inside of it. And then outside, we have the water and the air. So the whole network of consciousness of every being, or every species, were created through those four beings, those four structures. That's why all the patterns of the universe were divided in 12. For many, many times and many, many spaces, 12 was the number to hold the structure of the four first realities, the four first species, and all the patterns of reality from the sixth dimension were bounded to these main structures in the sixth dimension. Before the Big Bang, this breathing of the universe in the sixth dimension was creating the most bigger expression of all the patterns in which when it would collapse through the energy of what we call love, which is for us gravity here, that gravity collapsed itself in the sixth dimension and created what we call now the Big Bang and the third dimension. 
So all the patterns being born in the third dimension are determined by this structure of the sixth dimension. So that's why from every conscious point in the galaxy or in the universe, you will always see 12 spots around that will structure the way you can see the reality and the main vortex and lines that connects these dots that are all spread in the systems in the stars, but they are connected through this geometry. So the portals through the sixth dimension are open to the third dimension through those portals of those stars that we call now constellations, but once we call lines or spots in the geometry. The first matrix created was for us in the sixth dimension. And from there, we had the third one, which is the one we are bounded to and we are attached to. So the matrix that we are in is held by 12 constellations surrounding us. Talking from the perspective of our planet, these 12 constellations are the ones that hold the matrix. So this matrix can, can hold every purpose, mission, and evolutionary design for the material worlds we are in. That's why it's so important for us, this, uh, for every culture, those 12 groups of stars that are breathing the patterns from the sixth dimension and bringing them to the third dimension by holding us through gravity. So there were the water beings, the earth beings, the fire beings, and the air beings, that each one of them were had a different pattern of evolution. But these patterns are specified by the sixth dimension. So all the beings in the fifth, the fourth, and the third dimension are conditioned by these forms, these shapes. After we go through the sixth dimension, every pattern is designing all the evolution way in which we are going to be existing. So all the patterns are already designed in different levels of consciousness and different levels of vibration. So all the path that we are having now in evolution in the third dimension is already uh, already established by the sixth dimension. The only way you can transform these realities is through the vibration you have. You can see from the sixth dimension that you had created thousands or billions of opportunities to mix those shapes, those five shapes, and to create uh, different shapes of evolution to adapt to every planet. But only one of them, the ethereal one, is the one that helps you to decide in which vibration are you going to be evolving. So that's the octahedron. The octahedron is the self, the being. So when a species start to be aware of the self, activates the octahedron in the pattern of the flower of life. And when we do that, we start to be aware that we are conditioned in the creation of patterns, but we can become those patterns and transform our destiny, our reality. The octahedron was like a diamond. This shape was called the Red Sea 
that creates all the other the other structures that we know, like the structures of Merkaba that start to split and divide by vibration. And depending on which vibration we have, the the rays, the the colors, the light, the shape would would be transformed into different engines to bring the energetical uh, world, the spiritual world, into the physical one. So that's why the beings in the fourth dimension understood that if we have all these shapes, the only thing that helps us to decide in which shape or which path are we going to take is the vibration we have to choose one of those paths. So in the third dimension, the confederation has the goal to help every every being in this awakening of consciousness to help them to be aligned in the vibration so they could they could choose the proper shape to evolve through consciousness so that's why the 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 confederation cannot modify the structures that were already created in the sixth dimension by ourselves but they can help us choose the vibration and to improve the vibration to decide which one of those patterns are we going to choose for our evolution. All the species living in the Confederation, they had accomplished an evolution in which they can feel everything, they can feel the planet, they can be part of the planet, and they don't need to harvest much food or information from the world to be alive. And they are so bounded to the fourth and the fifth dimension that their magnetical body, their geometrical body is more wide and more expanded. So that, that makes that the chakras are more big and also a little bit out of the bodies. That made that all the information flowing around, it's easier to be shared with other levels of consciousness and it's not held so deep in the material world. And that's why they sometimes we, we see them with this big aura uh, or this big light surrounding them, like if they were angels or in these spaceships like, like spheres. And the difference that we have with them, with the people from the Confederation, is that we still need energy from other beings, a lot of energy from other beings. That's why we need to eat, we need to drink, we need a lot of energy from our surrounding. And and that makes that the chakras are more compressed. And that means that they have more energy and they are not flowing around. It's more like a bomb. So that's why we have a different design in terms of energy that we have almost the same shape, but our whole body is compressed emotionally. In this planet, we are all very compressed in our third dimensional reality. So the design we have here is more determined by the patterns of of the galaxy. So that's why the patterns we have in our lives are more strong. And that's the main difference we have 
with them. If we go to the first humanity, when we were living in caves, we knew that all the patterns that we have in our existence were written in our hands. Our culture, our realities, our way of thinking, and the main five structures of the sixth, sixth dimension, the tetrahedron, the octahedron cube, icosahedron and dodecahedron are printed in our five fingers. So that's why to remember the codes, what we used to do is to recognize that our hands were the first structure, the first book to tell all, all our stories, who we really are. And that's why hands were the first books to tell the stories of our origins. And from the caves, we started to do the carvings and the carvings of the patterns of life. Every pattern of life is not only a circle from the sun, but also a spiral that goes through time. So that's why the second more recognized patterns that we can see in all history of humanity in every culture is circle within a circle and a spiral. These symbols are all over the world in every culture and you can find them everywhere and they all mean the same, the cycle, the cycle of life. is like the Fibonacci spiral that helps us understand the mathematics of the creation through the spirals, through the torus. So what they did in the past was try to put the images in, in two dimensions, uh, carving it in the stones or painting it, but the patterns were in many dimensions at the same time. So that was that's why it's so difficult to understand them in, in history. But all these patterns start to be splitted in six, designing the flowers, and then they connected the flowers, creating the flowers of life that you can see in many cultures too, in the mosaics of Greece, in China, in the lives of China, in Egypt, in Ossidian. And all these places has these patterns of spheres, circles, that are the, and the hands that are the main structures of, of reality. And the, the stars with, the, with five rays that also talk about these five perspectives of reality from the stars. So when we recognize these first stages of information, then we see in the sky that we are related to 12 patterns in the stars. And those are the constellations of the zodiac. And this structure was something that every culture in Mayan culture, in Egyptian culture, in China, in the Celtic culture, everywhere in the world, they settle these 12 constellations that were the patterns that create the personality of every being. If we are trying to evolve as consciousness, 12 is the pattern that we have to follow. And that pattern is in everywhere, in the music, in mathematics, in architecture. It's everywhere. And we have it not only in science, but also in faith. That's why 
we can be bounded by 12 gods in Egypt, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, 12, 12, 12 is everywhere because they today help us to understand that we are the creation of 12 patterns that are surrounding us and hold us through gravity. We have these 12 perspectives in time and space. We divided the world in 24 hours, but 12 of them in light, 12 of them in night. So we have 12 darkness, 12 enlightened. And in our time, we can divide the space and time by these patterns too. So all day we are a structure by the reality of these 12 patterns. That's why in Earth, we were chosen by many beings in many dimensions because the movement of our planet, the the rhythm that it has in in its rotation makes the perfect place to have the 12 phases of light, the 12 phases of dark in in our daily life. Also, we have music. Music is something that connects us all, all the time. So music is also held by the vibration of sound with the 12 notes, which are the seven whole notes and then the five half notes. So every time we listen into any music, it's like if someone is playing notes in our bodies. To know that there are patterns that create us all the time and that hold our reality, it's it will help us to understand those patterns to improve our, our evolution and to improve our our time here on this planet. Because we usually want to feel this freedom from the matrix. We want to go outside this matrix and we want to have this free will to choose whatever we want to do. But this is also a pattern. The pattern of looking for freedom, for free will, is another pattern that we all have that helps us improve and not to stay in the same split in the same place. When we are stuck in the in the same system, the pattern of freedom pushes to transform ourselves like like a worm that goes into a cocoon and from there to a butterfly. They, we need to feel freedom to transform ourselves. So this is also a pattern. So when you, when we understand that patterns are not something that hold us, but patterns are tools that we have to improve ourselves, then we can understand that everything that is around us, everything that had created us and every pattern that we have in our lives are just the tools to seek for that transformation. These patterns, to know them, to recognize them, is something that helps us to understand who we are and why we have decided to be who we are. The main patterns that we have for our personalities are 
the 12 stars, the 12 constellations that create our personality, our, our soul. They mold our soul to be who, who we need to be in our lives. All this information are all the patterns that allows us to be who we are. So we have created those patterns to help us to, to work better in our goals in our life. So know those patterns, recognize those patterns in, in, in all the reality is not to understand what is surrounding us is to understand what we have created to can experience this reality. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I am your host and guide, Matias Estefano. In the next episode, we will explore how time and space portals are used in the universe. We already did that one. We did the last one first. It's a little over the time here, but we will be taking a break now. And, you know, we're all open at to this higher level of consciousness, fifth dimension and higher. And everything we've played tonight, this afternoon, early evening, is related. And uh, so... Yeah, it's like what Cryon said, if you can see yourself the way we see you oh my god that's everything yeah and so rama you send all these things to penny okay okay all right so we'll take this break namaste everybody for now and we'll see you 10 15 minutes with a look at the stars with richard and tanya gabrielle and k pacha namaste That was a song to Pan, bringing in the new year. We got one more because there's a lot of time, Richard, so you can, um, there's only 31 minutes altogether for the the astrology. So let's let's play one more. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Yeah, and Richard, it's, uh, how many minutes for K-Pacha-Rama? 27. 27 minutes for K-Pacha and 7 minutes for Tanya Gabrielle. So there's a, a body of time. Pass the talking stick, Commander. Can you hear me? I, yeah. Yes. All right, then. Let's see. It's January the 7th. And it's uh, a very strange thing going on here. Consider the position of Neptune at 23, 24 degrees of Pisces. There's five planets to the one side and there's five planets to the other side. And in both cases, it's about 60, 70, 74 degrees from Neptune to Mars retrograde 
and it's about the same distance from Neptune to Mercury retrograde. Ignore the moon for the minute. It's the last degree of cancer tonight. So anyway, so the, the center of the uh, of the arc is a Neptune. Okay, and on, on the on the on the on the forward side, on the airy side of Neptune, you've got Jupiter's up to up to three degrees of Aries. And Chiron is at uh, thirteen. And you got the north then you got the north node is at uh eleven degrees of Taurus and Uranus is at sixteen degrees of Taurus. And then you got Mars at nine degrees of Gemini retrograde. Now that's one that's one side. That's the that's the Aries, Taurus, Gemini side. Okay, that's the personal. That's the the personal part of, of of the zodiac. Okay, now on the on the collective side of the zodiac, you've got you got you know you got Mercury, you got Mercury there at, at uh, seventeen degrees of Capricorn. The Sun is at eighteen degrees of Capricorn. So that's a conjunction. Pluto is still hanging out at 28 degrees of Capricorn. And Venus, moving right along there, 7 degrees of Aquarius. And Saturn is uh, moving slow and steady, but it's 24, 24 degrees of Aquarius. So the only square, the only squares going on is Uranus. Uranus at sixteen, kind of squaring Saturn, kind of squaring Venus. Okay, and the midpoint between Venus and Saturn would be. 24 minus 6 is 18, uh, would be about 15 degrees, all right? So Uranus is square the midpoint of, of Venus and Saturn. So that's, that's the only square. So Uranus is square, Mercury, uh, Uranus is trine, Mercury and Sun. And... Jupiter is sextile Pluto. Neptune is sextile Sun and Mercury. All right, so it's kind of a simple chart. Uh, Mars trine Venus. Mars retrograde trine Venus. So there's the other trine. And then moon, moon over there in late Cancer is, is trying Neptune and, and Jupiter over there at the very at the end end zone the end zone of Pisces and the moon 
opposite opposite Pluto. looks a little more easy frequencies are a little a little they're kind of running solo they're not do they're not you don't have any of this complicated stuff except that we've got this concentration where all the planets are Capricorn Capricorn to Gemini and the total spread there is about a hundred it's about 140 degrees from from Capricorn around to Gemini, and as as soon as, as as soon as Mercury goes direct, that'll get even tighter. But as when Mars goes direct, it's going to get a little looser. So the the width of that arc is uh, is going to change a little bit over the next say three three weeks. Here, Mercury's got about two more weeks before it goes direct. So that's where that's at. So the question is, what zone in your personal chart are the are the empty spaces, or the full, or the spaces with planets, spaces without planets? And in my in my own in my own case, the spaces tonight. Are pretty much all on the left left side of my left side of my chart. So I got I got four Cancer in the mid heaven, and four four Capricorn at the bottom at my fourth house cusp. So my my Sag Scorpio Libra Virgo Leo, uh, all that stuff is getting opposition, and then I've got I got. I got Virgo, so I got that kind of stuff going on. You know, I got Neptune opposite my Virgo. I got Aquarius opposite my Leo. You know, and I got Capricorn opposite my tenth house Uranus. You know, so where it falls in your chart, if it's above the horizon, you're going to get one. You're going to get one effect if all your if, if all these planets form below the horizon in your chart. Say you've got a Sagittarius ascendant, you know, then uh, it'll be internal work. All right? So planets below the horizon indicate areas to do internal work, and planets above the horizon indicate uh, community work. So that's where that's going on. All right, let's go ahead and listen to Kaipacha, and then when we come back. I think there's something interesting in next week's chart. So, okay. Oh, good. Back, back to you, Rama. Okay, here we go. Oh, 
Aloha, and Sky Pancho with the weekly Pele Report. This one is for January 4th of the great year 2023. Happy New Year. It's my first Pele Report for the new year. I thought I would try something a little different. I really love water and the waterfalls. But this morning with that sunrise, I just felt like coming out to Meditation Rock and doing the Paleo Report on Meditation Rock. It's a big day. It's a big week. We've got a lot of aspects going on. The moon is in Gemini and trining Saturn up there in Aquarius. She'll go into squaring Neptune before she goes into Cancer tomorrow. Yeah. And... By Friday, we have a full moon in Cancer at 16 degrees, 22 minutes. I will be reading you the Sabian symbol for that degree. And and then she moves on. By Saturday, she's into Leo. So we have the weekend, uh, depending on where you are, uh, you know, Saturday evening in some places, Saturday morning in others. But Saturday and Sunday... Moon going through Leo uh, and, and on uh, Monday until she uh, heads into Virgo yeah, on uh, Tuesday. In the meantime, the big aspects that I want to be talking about today is number one, the sun trine Uranus and the sun conjunct Mercury. So Mercury is conjunct Uranus. I mean trine. So sun conjunct Mercury up there in Capricorn, right? Uh, Mercury retrograde, so we have this uh, Sun-Mercury conjunction. It doesn't happen that often, right? And uh, and that is an exact beautiful trine to Uranus down there in Taurus. So that's powerful. I want to be looking at that a little bit. Another trine, Mercury, I mean a Venus trine Mars. So Venus, okay, has gone into Aquarius, okay, Wacky, different, liberated Aquarius. And it is trying to retrograde Mars down there in Gemini. So we've got a, a trine in air, Venus and Mars. We've got a trine in Earth, Sun, Mercury, trine Uranus. These are both pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, in the meantime, that Venus is a sextile Jupiter today. That's meditation rock right there. I'm going to sit on top of that rock. I got up early before it gets uh, too hot. I don't know. I could be sweating for this Pele report. But at least I'm going to have a view, right? I mean, uh, this is just a little chunk of paradise. Let me look at the camera and talk to you. All right, everybody. So... There is a lot of maybe diverging or converging energies going on right now. And the the best metaphor that I can think of for it is, I don't know if you've been in uh, competitions, but like if you're starting a race, like think of, think of the Olympics or, you know, any, any kind of thing where, you know, the runners are at the starting line or the horses at a horse race or they're at the starting line 
and and you're you're there and you got your two hands down and you're you know you're up and you're poised and you're you know as as soon as the gun goes off you know you are ready to blast and there's that there's that moments there's that time right there where all of your training and all of your past and all of your work you know is you know go you know it's it's all going and, and then there's the future right you know like what's going to be the outcome you know when that gun goes off what's going to happen i and 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 this is it's like this is where we are we're at the starting line <laughs> we're at the starting line of a new year right and we're also at a waxing moon so you know the moon is waxing from first quarter to full and that that motion from first quarter to full is a time to break free from the past and start initiating creating going forward and doing it you know up until you know and that full moon is like yeah i mean that's almost like the end of the race like you know <laughs> you get to see who won <laughs> how you did and you get your feedback and blah 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 right you know i mean that's coming but you know there there is this poised moment right where there's a lot going on and like and and like i i say in the mantra for this week there is a lot going on at the same time as we have this build up of energy and i will read to you that you know this is about the germination of the seed where dane rudyard talks about this full moon is meditation turns into action so we're here we are this full moon says you know go for it do charge make it happen but we've got a retrograde mercury a retrograde mars and a retrograde uranus so that's what i'm talking about it's like it's 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 this build up of energy okay from within and also just seeing everything that's going on okay in the outside world on a collective you know level through social media friendships and people and so many changes out in the world and so you know we get this sense of like you know so many things are cooking on the stove you know all you know dinner is getting ready and there's four pots going on four different burners and you're just <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's really great mars and gemini is enough to drive you nuts <laughs> and then to get this trine from venus and aquarius you know like woo okay so what we want to do and this is what astrology is like so super cool for everything is existing within a greater context every evolutionary growth is part of a greater cycle so if you want to have a deeper understanding of where you are of what's at you know and and also what's coming you got to go back to the start of the seed so we go back when was the sun conjunct uranus yeah that was the seed and that seed was sown May 5th Cinco de Mayo go back to the Pele report go back in your mind and your memory to what was going on sun conjunct uranus and taurus brand new news 
Okay, you know, changes in crypto, changes in finances, changes in survival and in your income and in your money and your ability to survive. You know, time to invent yourself, reinvent yourself, innovate at new sources, new ways of surviving and living. And blah, 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 blah. Sun Uranus, like, aha, yes, I've got to do this. Right? Then it came around. And we had the sun opposite Uranus. And that was, right, a total lunar eclipse. <laughs> that was November 8th. Go back to November 8th. Okay. And then we have the seed that was sown, okay, you know, back in May. Then it comes around in November 8th. We had the sun, Mercury, South node opposite the moon, Uranus, north node, intense week beginning of November, end of October, like super powerful eclipse time period. And that full, it's like a full moon, sun opposite Uranus was a time of another, another, like the lights going off and, you know, aha moments, revelation happening, only this time also seeing it through relationship and partnership and taking that seed and it's like, okay, how is this going to go forward out into the world? And so now we come back and we have this trine, yes? And the trine is a beautiful, harmonious time period where we can really understand the way forward, where we can see the way forward, how to fit our unique individuality into a greater whole, how we can participate in relationship to those outside of us and to the world at large in, you know, without losing ourselves, but with bringing our gold, bringing our jewels, bringing our gifts and get and, and disseminating them. Yeah. So the third quarter trine, it's a 240 degree trine happening between the sun, Mercury and Uranus. OK, is a very, you know, this is a very harmonious, beautiful time for seeing, you know, OK, this is the way forward. This is the way forward. This is this can happen. The same thing is true with Venus Mars. It's a 240 degree trine. Okay, so it's, it's not so much coming out, but, but it's how to plug into society, into a greater culture, into community. So that conjunction uh, of Venus and Mars was at zero degrees of Aquarius, March 7th. Look at your relationships. Look at your partnerships. Look at, you know, your creative enterprises. Seeds were sown, okay, last March at zero degrees Aquarius. Again, Aquarius. We had that Sun-Uranus conjunction. We had Venus-Mars at zero Aquarius. This is all invent, uh, you know, it, it come into a new reality. And we also have, this is the other big thing that happened back then, Saturn. Saturn went up, okay, into, uh, you know, uh, direct, 
right, all the way up to 25 degrees 15 minutes, okay, of Aquarius, stationed and went retrograde on June 4th, back to 18 degrees 35 minutes, October 23rd, stationed and went direct. And now it's passing through those final last degrees. It's going to pass up 25 degrees, 15 minutes in like a couple of days next week, I think. You want to look at this also. And I look at that with these whole station retrograde back and forth. This is a process. It's a threefold process. Create sustain, build up, and then, you know, release and move on. Rama, Vishnu, Shiva, okay? You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the, the law of three, right, is just, you know, cardinal, fixed, mutable. But just really look at this in terms of last, uh, you know, uh, we would say March, April, and May was a time of new ideas, new relationships, new businesses, initiating new enterprises. Saturn, boom, new structures, new forms. Then it goes retrograde, okay, from, uh, you know, from June to October, okay? And especially if you have things uh, between 18 and 25 degrees of the fixed signs, look at your chart. <laughs> Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. Any planets between 18 and 25, okay, of those fixed signs has been getting this Saturn restructuring over the last year of 2022. And what happens then is it's almost like Saturn comes up and says, I want to start a new business. Well, the retrograde is... If I want to start a new business, I got to fill out these forms. I got to get a business license. I got to find a, a, a you know, build a website, but do, 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 you know, get this together, you know, but spend my money. But there's all this, right, adjustment, all of this change, all of this preparation. So that's what the retrograde is about. Okay. It's remodel. Okay. Rethink, uh, you know, re, restructure. So the, the retrograde, takes what came in last spring and last early summer, okay, and and then restructured it until October, late October. And then when Saturn went direct, it's coming back now, and it's going through 18 to 25, all those planets that, you know, were have been getting triggered since the spring and summer of 2022, it's now done. The business is open. Yeah, either the you know the business is open. You you did you filed all you you made all your changes. You're ready for the race. You're you, you know you you made it to the Olympics or you made it to the starting line, right? So I mean, so we're at this place now where yeah, it's also a culmination of choices, decisions, uh, judgments. Okay, expenditures, uh, you know, bills. So this is also a time where a lot is, you know, coming back to us. This is the 240 degree trine. 
So there's a lot coming at us. That's what this mantra is about. There's a lot coming at me. And I need to just like, you know, digest all of this stuff and prepare, right, you know, to shoot, to charge, to go forward. So Saturn is going past that 25 degrees, okay, starting next week. Mars goes direct next week, okay, next Wednesday on the 18th. Mercury goes direct. I'm telling you, so we're, we are like, this is a pivotal point where you may be feeling, I can't, you know, I gotta act, I gotta go, I gotta do, I can't, I, I, I can't like hang out here anymore. You know, it's like you could, you maybe be feeling some pressure. And that's why the, yeah, and that's why I say relax. And today's song that I want to put out there, I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but it's Deva Pramel and Mitten. Uh, and there is, uh, you know, the, the waves are rolling in. There's so much magnificence at the ocean. The waves are rolling in. I mean, it's, you gotta relax through all of this. And the way that we relax through all of this is we trust ourselves. Yeah, baby. This is a great opportunity to do the wounded healer Chiron in Aries. Wow. Look at that. I don't know if you could see that turkey vulture just flew right in front of my face. Maybe he thinks that I'm almost dead. <laughs> He's circling me. Did you see him? Anyway. Where the hell was I now, man? I mean, he's right at eye level. Almost landing. Wow. He's coming in behind me. Yeah, so, you know, there is, we've, we've made it to the starting gate and things will be charging, things will be going, will be going direct and it's, you know, it's like we're surfing and we can see the wave. And in fact, maybe we want to start paddling. <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah, I was on Jupiter and Chiron in, in uh, Aries, right? Trust ourselves. It just boils down to if you want to relax, if you want to flow, if you don't want to get twisted and bent out of shape and, you know, uh, not sleep and have all that. It, it, it boils down to really, I am one with flow. I am one with source. I am one with all that is. It is all going to unfold the way it needs to unfold. The be- it's going to be the best for everybody involved and everybody concerned. And I, and I trust the process. I trust myself. I trust spirit. I trust life. This is, this is Jupiter, you know, moving towards Chiron. In some like shamanic astrology, you know, it's almost like, the, you know, when they, when they're in the same sign, they're conjunct. <laughs> That's using very loose orbs. <laughs> anyway, before I close, which I could do any minute, let me read the Sabian symbol for 16 degrees, 22 minutes of Cancer, which is the full moon. Yeah. And that is the unfoldment of multi-level potentialities. 
issuing from an original germ. The keynote is the life urge to actualize one's birth potential. We all have a life urge, <laughs> right? You know, to actualize our birth potential. I freaking love this guy. What is pictured here is simply the process of germination. As it unfolds from the sundered seed, the plant pierces the crust of the soil and reaches up toward the light. This is a dynamic process turned outward in contrast to the more static or introspective process of integration through understanding. The seed becomes the germ, just as the Tibetan student meditating silently and peacefully on the mandala is followed by the Christian crusader. And at a materialistic level of productivity by the engineer technologist intent upon transforming the globe. Action polarizes meditation. The expanding process of self-actualization, which may mean nothing more than ego expansion through conquest. And we know of a few <clears throat> people out there trying to conquest the entire freaking planet. <laughs> it contrasts with the introspective study of the structural relationship between and the meaning of the various energies and potentialities of one's nature. Svarupa in Sanskrit. The key word is growth. Growth. And I want to go back to this Venus-Mars just for a second because it's growth through relationships, growth through love, growth through trusting my heart space, that my intuition and my heart will guide me into the right situations, the right relationships, the right conditions. This is just, this is a beautiful, beautiful, perfect time. And it's, and it's also a beautiful, perfect time for what? Retrograde Mercury is... Read, study, write, digest, learn more. Mars retrograde in Gemini, ruled by Mercury. This is a lot of mental activity. You may be doing a lot of online activity, which leads me to what? My online relationship course starts Saturday. Ow! <laughs> I just, I finished writing the workbook. There's a workbook. There's a study book. Stephen Forrest, Skymates 2. Okay. And we are going to go into your chart, into your relationship needs, your relationship nature, the gifts that you bring, what kind of partner is going to light you up or turn you off. And what, I mean, 
I mean, this this relationship, or this is like the crowning uh, signature of what I consider to be my work. This is this is going on. This is module one of four modules going on through the year. If you want to get into it, this is like the least expensive, deepest, most powerful work that is available out there. There's nothing like this out there. I don't know any astrologers doing this kind of work. So synastry, we're going to do composite. We're going to do relationship stuff. Starts on Saturday. The link is below. Check it out or just go to my website, newparadigmastrology.com. Check out the relationship course. If you can't do it this weekend, the whole thing is recorded. You can come back to it anytime to prepare for the second module coming in March and April. So it's like, this is deep. This is big. This is powerful. There's a lot coming at me. So much I need to digest. I will sit and relax. And sort through it all, trusting myself to do the best. Now, to do what is best, or to do my best, or to do the best, I'm going to leave this up to you. You know, if uh, some of you write out the mantra, you know, and, and, and repeat it through the week. I, I kind of like that, you know, I, trusting myself to do my best, trusting myself to do what is best is more objective, right? Trusting myself, uh, you know, to do the best. Huh. That's, that's, that is more objective too. Trusting myself. I'm going to go with the original. I'll read it one more time. But this is kind of the energy of this week. We've got, you know, a waxing moon that wants to go out. And we've got retrograde Mercury and Mars that wants to go in. And, and, and we're just kind of like at this, you know, it's at the turning point, the tipping point. We're at the t- it's, This is a week of the tipping point. <laughs> Things are going to really start rolling, babe, next week and the week after that. If they're not already. I mean, for me, they're already rolling because I am preparing for this course. And anyway, there is a lot coming at me. So much I need to digest. I will sit and relax and sort through it all. Trusting myself to do what is best. Trust yourself, do your best, and let it go. Namaste, aloha, pura vida, so much love. Talking dick to you, Richard.
All right, then. Uh, first thing, uh, next Wednesday is the 11th, not the 18th. So that's when uh, he indicated that Mars was going to go direct. Yeah. So anyway. Um, now, by next Saturday... Uh, Mars will be direct, and it'll be at 9 degrees of Gemini, and Mercury will be back at, at 10 degrees of Capricorn. So that makes the, uh, the spread uh, 149 degrees, or 151 degrees, anyway. Um Next Saturday, the moon will be in late Libra, and the sun will be at 25 Capricorn, and coming up to conjunct Pluto at 29 Capricorn. So that that sun conjunct Pluto is going to become active this week. close to being active right now, but it will become more active as we go through the week. And then the, the, the next, the next, uh, the week following, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna live through sun, con, sun conjunct Pluto. Mm. Venus will be up to 16 Aquarius mm. the next Saturday. And Jupiter will be up to four Aries. So that's that's where that's at. So this week we got uh, Moon moving through Leo uh, tomorrow and Monday through Virgo Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Yes. All right. And then next Friday and Saturday, we'll have a moon in Libra. And that's where that goes. All right. That's it. All right. Here we go. So we listen to Tom, Miss Tanya for a little bit. Daddy Rama? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> astrologist welcome to star codes and welcome to 2023 what an incredible moment this is i'm very excited about this new year so this podcast is all about looking at an upcoming astrology and numerology event so we can navigate the cosmic energies more easily and I just want to look at the code for the new year because it's so indicative of how the year unfolds. And in this case, the first of the first, 2023, adds up to the number nine, nine universal date. So here we have the first single digit and the last single digit coming together in a way that indicates major shifts, 
beginnings and endings. One is all about fresh starts and initiative and forward momentum. And nine is about winding things down and letting go and saying goodbye and endings and celebrations. So with those two numbers both activated on the first of the year, we have a major theme of shifting energy. Now, what also helps that theme stay in motion all year long is the universal year number seven. Seven looks like a lightning strike and it literally means getting intuitive insights. So seven is a number of solitude, of research, of looking at things from all perspectives, getting these wonderful aha moments, using your inner genius and creating a space for silence, connecting to nature, getting inspired by nature and listening, bringing heaven into your heart. So the horizontal line on seven represents the symbology of, of heaven, seven in heaven. Seventh heaven is a term we use, and that's indicative of the actual symbol where heaven is at the top and it gets brought through intuitive insights into your heart. So that seven and lightning strike energy as well, it indicates sudden shifts, right? Changes and being in a place where you take care of not external, not getting insights from the external, but you taking care of what it is you sense here in your heart and you paying attention, you listening super, super closely to that message, all the messages that are coming from source. And that's, this is where you feel it. And this is where you translate it. Now, the other thing to mention about January 1st, setting the stage is the astrology on that date. So very early in the morning on January 1st, we have an amazing conjunction between Venus and Pluto. And Pluto is one of the planets that figures greatly in 2023. Pluto is changing signs twice in 2023. And because Pluto is the slowest moving of all the planets, when Pluto changes the sign, it's a really big deal. So in this case, Pluto will be moving from Capricorn, where it's been since 2007, 2008, into Aquarius. And Aquarius is the sign of the Aquarian age that we are segueing into at this time. So it's a really big deal for so many reasons. Pluto then in June will be retrograding back into Capricorn until the end of 2024. So that's why it's changing signs twice. But that means Pluto will play a huge role in our life. So for Venus, the planet of love and beauty and values and tenderness to come in and create a conjunction with Pluto is very important. It literally means that love and feelings of love are very much going to deepen. Pluto brings everything to the surface. Pluto deepens your experience. It's a very magnetic planet. So you want to seek out beauty and everything that you value in your life, abundance, Venus is such an abundant planet. And so abundance is a feeling you have. So literally getting into the 
gratitude and beauty of your life at all times. And that will then allow you to deal with what Pluto is going to be creating this coming year in 2023. And that is purging. Pluto will bring things to the surface that we haven't seen or don't want to see and purges them, cleanses them. And that means there's going to be a lot of transformation energy. So whatever you encounter this year, that takes you to a place of needing to go deeper, wanting to know more, go and do that. Do the research. It's a seven universal year of research, of you know your intuition showing you the way, where to turn. And then Pluto being so much part of the year is going to really demand that you open your eyes and connect the dots in ways you may have never done before. So the message of the one and the nine that we started this forecast with is the key here because the one is new beginnings and the nine is endings. So the endings are truly going to be how you have been thinking about things, how you have believed certain things up until now because of how you were raised, society, culture, whatever the case may be. But it was external info that you have taken on from day one. And now in order for the the birthing process to actually take place within you, because it's always, that's where it's at, right? It's not external. It's within each one of us. There's going to be a sense of, okay, I'm needing to put an end to this way of life or this way of thinking about my life or this belief system, this idea of how things should be, uh, my approach to relationships, how I see people, how I see my place in the world in terms of what I do, how I view money versus seeing it as currency, There's so much that will come to the surface, and that's what Pluto will guarantee in 2023. Now, if you'd like to know a lot more about the energies of the year, head on over to 2023forecast.com. I created an almost five-hour-long webinar in December And it is so powerful in terms of sharing the astro numerology for 2023 as we navigate this extraordinary moment of the number 23, the royal star of the line, the strongest number in numerology, the number five that 23 reduces to, which is a pivot point number, faces left and right, is about adventure and freedom, letting go, independence, quick decisions, excitement, rapid change, forward momentum, and then also the number seven that we talked about earlier, the deeply spiritual number of awakening, seven days in a week, seventh heaven. It is truly a remarkable code, and we cover it all and so much more, including your sun sign, moon sign, and rising sign forecast, your personal year forecast. So much is covered, and it's a really fun five hours to spend so enjoy that there's a free video you can watch at 2023forecast.com and discover more about this forecast to really be prepared for next year have a beautiful beautiful week a happy happy new year 
And I very much look forward to seeing you in next week's Star Codes podcast. So much love to you. Let me do this here. A little, a little, uh, a little quick, real quick book report here, which, uh, I was, I was having so much fun, I called Tara up and I mentioned it to her. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I don't know, about ten days ago, I was, uh, between books, so I, I went into the, the library, the part of my library that I, Either hadn't read or haven't read in a long time, and I pulled out five books and I thought about them for uh, for a few minutes, and I decided I would read this one first. And this one, the title is called "Cosmic Consciousness." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the guy, the and. Uh, a Study in the Evolution of the Human Mind by Richard Buck, M.D., uh, with a new introduction by George Acklom, E.P. Dutton and Company Publishers. Now, uh, this first, the first edition of this book was in 1901. So he was he was doing his research and writing at the same time as. Helena Blavatsky and the early theosophists, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, it appeared quietly and unheralded. The work of a Canadian doctor. Yet, uh, he died less than a year after the publication of the book. He was descended of good English stock on both sides. He was the seventh child, born in 1837, and started his life on a farm in London, Ontario. He had no real early formal education, but anyway... Eventually, he got a Ph.D. and in, in, uh, worked in an insane asylum up yes. there back in, in London, uh, in the London, Canada area. Uh, he became friends with Walt Whitman, famous guy. Now, what he's done here is uh, he... Uh, he made a collection, all right, uh, 
theme is called Evolution and De-Evolution. To self-consciousness on the plane of self-consciousness and de-evolution. And part three is from self to cosmic consciousness. Part four is instances of cosmic consciousness that he that he uh, decided to put in his book. And here's here's his list of known cases of cosmic consciousness, according to Mr. Buck, Gautama the Buddha, Jesus, Paul, Plotinus, Mohammed, Dante, Bartolome Las Casas, John Yepes, Francis Bacon, Jacob Bowman, William Blake, <coughs> Honoré de Balzac, Walt Whitman, and Edward Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And for each of these, and for each of these guys, he he uh, describes as best he can from the writings available and uh, you know his history sources and everything. And they generally run from oh five to five to ten pages. All right. So that's part four instances of cosmic consciousness, and then part five is additional. Some of them lesser, or imperfect, or doubtful instances. And uh, here's some of the ones that he put on this list. Moses, Gideon, Isaiah, Lao Tzu, Socrates, Roger Bacon, Blaise Pascal, Benedict Spinoza, James Gardner, Swedenborg, William Wordsworth, another American writer, Charles G. Finney, Alexander Pushkin, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Alfred Tennyson, Henry David Thoreau, Ramakrishna Paramahansa, Richard Jeffries, J. William Lloyd, Horace Thaubel, and Paul Tyner. And then there's 5, 8, 11, and then there's... 13, where he just uses initials, because some of these people were were living and didn't want their name used in a book, you know, so they just use initials. So you got a total. So you got a total here of 14 that he considers obvious instances of cosmic consciousness, and then 36 of. Partial or possible instances of of cosmic consciousness. 
Mm-hmm. So this this and I I finished it uh, Thursday night, and uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating read. So I don't know I don't know if you can if you can uh, find this one, considering that it was regularly reprinted from 1901 to 1951. The copy I have here is the 16th edition of 1951. <laughs> so it may still be in print. So, Richard, can you give the name and the subtitle one more time? Okay. <laughs> Cosmic Consciousness, A Study in the Evolution of the Human Mind by Richard Maurice Buck. M.D., formerly medical superintendent of the Asylum for the Insane, London, Canada, with the new introduction by George Morby Acklom. And New York E.P. Dutton and Company was the publisher in uh, 1951. So that's the one that published one I've got in hand. So say that again. Say that again. I, I just have trouble keeping up with your talking real fast. What's the publisher's name? E period P period Dutton. Okay, thank you. D U T T O N and Company Inc. New York. I think E P Dutton may still be in business. Anyway. And there's a nice picture of him in the front. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's looking. He's looking to the to the right, and he's bald in the front with silver hair, and obviously an uncut beard. <laughs> it, it goes down to his breastbone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. My beard's not that long right now. My beard, my beard's only a seven months old. Anyway, so that that's a bad. It's a, it was it's great instances, and some of the personal stories are absolutely fascinating. Especially if if you you know if you've got any kind of of. You know, literature in your in your education that you, that you like. You know, like uh, my my in my library, my mom had a copy of uh, one of Balzac's books that I got to read. Jacob Bohm is is a famous as a, a, a theologian. Swedenborg is an obvious theologian. Francis Bacon. Yeah, he's the one. You know, he he's the one. And, and this guy thinks that Francis Bacon wrote the Shakespeare plays. Oh, that's common knowledge. Yeah. Secret teachings of all ages. Manly Palmer Hall says it all too. Yeah. So anyway. So. Over and out. Namaste. Have a good chat in the next hour. I am heading to my pillow. <laughs> you on the bridge, sir. Thank uh, you, Richard. Yeah. Okay. That was very...
very well complimentary. That was complimentary, very well complimentary to the astrology for today. Thank you. Well, again, if it, if you're talking about see many instances of, of cosmic consciousness, from what I've learned, you know, especially from my later, you know, self-education, a lot of a lot of these cases are. Uh, personality contact with the soul. Some some say, you know, God spoke to me, okay? Mohammed was spoken to by Gabriel, you know? Gabriel did the, the dictation, you know, and things like that. But some of these are obvious, to me anyway, a case of the light of the soul making contact with the mind and brain of the incarnated personality. And my current my current understanding is that the personality makes contact and merges with the soul. And then from that position then you merge with the monad which Jesus called the Father. So you got the monad, which is the Father in heaven, and then you got the higher self or the soul, and the kingdom of souls uh, or the kingdom of heaven, and then you got uh, what we're doing here in these uh, biological meat bodies. <laughs> so God bless you all. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all men and women. Namaste, Richard. Namaste. All right, Rama, where are we going? we got to have some phone number here. Oh, 720-716-7301. And the yeah. PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, do that again. 720-716-7301. And pin? 353-863-POUND. Okay, everybody. Off we go to the, uh, to the wild blue out yonder, and we'll be right back here at the top of the next hour at BBS Radio. Best radio <coughs> there is, or none. In the universe, and uh, namaste for now. Namaste. Welcome back, everyone. Tell everybody what that last piece that was. That was called a spirit song, a Nordic lullaby. Uh huh. We've been uh, dabbling in. Uh, Worlds, various worlds, in between worlds, that music kind of echoed what we were doing on the conference call, Rama. Yeah. There's all forms of magic. And then, I mean, we're just looking at it without the sound on, but uh, Rama switched the channel to something called Oz and the Great. Oz the Great and Powerful. And it's a very different kind of Wizard of Oz story. 
yet it's this talking about there's all kinds of wizards. And that's, you know, like Penny was bringing up the word metaphor. And um, uh, the other day I was just talking with Don a little bit about that the crucifixion never happened. And that's true. Not the way that people interpret it. Uh, and so that story, it's like also about consciousness. And Richard was bringing up the concept of the monad. And that is equivalent to the term the father. And the monad is the highest level of consciousness. It's the seventh level. Here we are in 2023. We're discussing the number seven. And the seventh level of higher consciousness equivalent to the number seven of alchemy. And this little uh, story that we're watching here about the Wizard of Oz is about alchemy in another way. Right, Anna? Yeah. It really is. We're going to see a lot of, I mean, the movies coming out now are doing stuff like this. They're teaching people how to go beyond 3D like you wouldn't believe. It's just, it's, and to take tools that people have in their own hands to do it. That's right. That's where we are. So what are we going to play here, Rama? Atlantis and Indigenous Tribes of America. (laughs) That's an interesting one. Let me just read this real quick. And this is uh, Regina Meredith. And she's uh, featuring Sarah Brexman Cosme. I think she's been there before. Mm -hmm. Don't remember just at the moment, but that's a familiar term name. How are the tribal people of North America connected to the ancient civilization of Atlantis and Lemuria? Regression therapist and QHHT practitioner. What's that? Quantum holographic something something therapist. <laughs> um, Sarah. Brexman Cosme shares her clients um, perspectives of their past lives from Atlantis to the Native American tribes. Cosme brings her this story to you with the voice of Aniwaya, a Native American man from the 1800s who, from the Trail of Tears, speaks through a female client under hypnosis. Aniwaya describes how the Native people of America lost their traditions and how these practices and knowledge of ancient times can be regained as we reach out to understand our deep human past. Sarah Brexman Cosme is the author of the book a hypnotist's journey from the trail to the star people. Her previous interviews on Gaia are Waves of Karma from Atlantis, 
Regression to Atlantis, Atlantean Secrets of the Sphinx. And now this. Here we come. 44 minutes, everybody. What are they going to show me next? What kind of ancient history or secrets are they going to share? I asked his higher consciousness, why did you show him this lifetime? And they said, because we wanted him to remember that he was part of the team that developed the human. Anytime you feel a strong emotion, anytime, always, it opens up portals. Why did the white man do this? He said, the white man was one of the earliest victims of this negative energy that asserted itself onto the planet. He's a past life version, version of mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And he could communicate to me almost like a phone call. So this is where it gets crazy. All of a sudden, my phone pinged. I don't know why I kept describing the Americas as very advanced and that they would speak with ETs and interdimensional beings all the time, and all that evidence has been removed. They usually have the same message, which is... Sarah Breskman Cosme is back with us and has fascinating information to share on the history of the ancient Americas and Native Americans. The timeline stretches back to Atlantis and Lemuria and reaches to the sky. We'll discuss a witness account of the Trail of Tears when the Native American population were moved from their lands. Welcome back, Sarah. It's always so good to see your beautiful face and hear (laughs) fascinating information because you're like Dolores. You don't stop. You're the energizer bunny of regressions. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I know Dolores is working with you from the other side. And um, so you've got a lot of good support around you. And you're developing an incredible body of work that you've now been documenting in one, really, one wonderful book after another. So I just want to thank you for taking the time, as she did, to document everything. So we have these stories. Thank you so much. It seems to me, because history is not going to be figured out by looking at the uh, accepted historical accounts that we'll find in libraries and in, in universities and educational systems. That's that's a bit. That tells a little bit. But it's really going to be brought forward by those who were there and can bring clearly bring back the memory as clearly as possible. And together... We're going to piece together our history. I mean, it's so exciting, the work I do. I'm always so excited. What are they going to show me next? What kind of ancient history are they going to share with me? Or what kind of secrets are they going to share? Yeah, because you don't know. I don't know at all. Okay, so this starts with a man named Les this time. It's actually a woman. Oh, it's a woman and named Les? This oh, excuse me. I saw the name Les and made an assumption it was a man. Okay, a person named Les, a woman named Les. So let's. I want to hear how this began and what did she initially come to you for? So, oh my gosh, like I said before, I'm not the one that writes these books. And this whole book, this third book started because it started right after I had this really interesting session with a man And while he was deep under hypnosis, he remembered a different lifetime where he was an extraterrestrial and his job on this other planet was to search the universe um, for places where it could sustain life. And basically he was searching and and, um, picking up 
different objects like a rock, a solid or a liquid, and he would take it back to a ship and focus consciousness into it. And then with his technology, they would read whether or not there was a response from the object. And if there was response, then they knew this planet could see life. So anyway, I asked his higher consciousness, why did you show him this lifetime? Of all the lifetimes you could show them, show him. And they said, because we wanted him to remember that he was part of the team that developed the human. And he he needs to remember how powerful the human is. He's not using this power because energetically a human is energetically set up to use their emotions. They're, they're built for these severe emotions. And whenever a human experiences a severe emotion, it opens up a portal. And within this portal are tons of possibilities. And they wanted him to start doing this. They wanted him to open up this portal by focusing on a very strong, powerful emotion and then get the potentials that are available to him. So after this client left, I thought, well, I want to try this technique. <laughs> so I did it. I I put myself into a state of gratitude because it's the easiest way to raise your vibration. Right. And I felt really good. And then I imagined a portal of light opening up and I just asked, okay, universe, send me another subject. I'm really excited. What are you going to share with me next? Because like I said, it's so exciting. I never know what they're going to share with me. So this is where it gets crazy. All of a sudden my phone pinged. I mean, that might not sound crazy, but my phone was set to silent. And I checked my phone and it was still set to silent, but someone had messaged me right when my eyes were still closed. And it was this woman I had never met. Her name was Les. And she said, this is going to sound so crazy. I know I sound so crazy, but I had to contact you right now. (laughs) And I don't know why. I'm sorry that I sound like an insane person. So I messaged her back and I said, no, you don't sound crazy at all. Have you ever done hypnosis? (laughs) And she said, no, but she was willing to try. No, how did she even know to call you? That's the thing. She got my number. Well, it was a messenger. She got my number through somebody and was able to text me. And normally a message like that can't even get through. Right. So now, did she, was there something specific she wanted no, to work on? She had no idea. She didn't really know that much about me. She just felt this strange, weird mm-hmm. desire to contact that. me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you meet Les. Yeah. And, and what starts happening? So she was a nice, bubbly, um, dirty blonde hair, young woman, very friendly. And as I brought her deep under hypnosis, another sounding voice came out of her. It was her voice, but it sounded almost like a man. Mm-hmm. And this voice said, I am Anawaya. I'm the one who contacted you. I'm a Native American and I'm contacting you now because I need to tell our story. Our story is vital to the evolution of humanity. I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, well, now, okay. oh my gosh. <laughs> That's direct and clear. Mm-hmm. And what did she feel? I mean, at the end of it, was she shocked by this whole thing? Her look was priceless. I mean, it's one thing to tell you, you know, you're a powerful being. You have so much power. You're, you're a creator. You never die. But it's another thing to experience that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could take pictures of my clients sometimes. You know, she was in shock, but it was shock and awe. Like she was curious too, so that it all made sense. And she said, you know, Sarah, I had this imaginary friend when I was growing up and his name was Anawaya. 
And now it makes sense to me. It was really just this person. Yes. It was really another version of me. And I've learned through many sessions that sometimes other versions of ourselves come and talk to us when we're children. And that's why people think they're imaginary friends, but they're really a version of us in a different dimension checking on us. Interesting. <laughs> and before we started rolling camera here, um, I always kind of check around and just, just to see who's in the room with us. Cause usually <laughs> you can feel people's guides and everything. And I, I told you beforehand, there's a Native American. <laughs> here a male mm-hmm. native american entity here and so all this makes sense so i think still there to try to make sure that the story is told properly because i could feel him in the room right i mean this story this information is so important as the consciousness of the earth gets stronger it's important for us to connect with this consciousness this intelligence but anyway okay so let's get into him so native american 1800s, correct? Correct. You actually did some research to find out if any such Mm -hmm. person existed. So let's just kind of set that part up before we go into his story. So both of us, Les and I, we researched and researched and tried to find this person um, named Anawaya. And we did it based off a drawing that she had drawn of him from her memory. And we found a person and it fit all the the descriptions. And actually his name was changed by the white man to um, Chief Billy Justice. And even in Anawaya's description of going to England and everything like that, it was all in this history. So I really do think we found who Anawaya was. So let's talk about who Anawaya was in the day. Oh my gosh. So what was so interesting when Anuaya was coming through my client Les was that he kept saying he was very much alive. And I was like, how is this possible? How are you alive talking to me? And he said, basically, if you can think about it like this, anything that has ever happened and anything that will happen exists in the now. Yes. And he said the way he was contacting me was he was doing this really interesting meditation. I tried this too, and it seems to work a little bit. <laughs> so you you make your body very, very still. And by making your body still, it makes your mind still. And that really works if you yes. try to do it. It brings you deep into meditation. But what I haven't figured out how to do and he could do was concentration to less, which is a past life, or he's a past, past life version mm-hmm. of her. Mm-hmm. And he could communicate to me almost like a phone call in that way. Mm-hmm. It's really quite fascinating. And it reminded me of Dolores Cannon when she would talk to Nostradamus because he kept saying he was very much alive. Yes, and that's so, true. Yes. And, oh, my gosh, it, I've heard so many different stories from so many different sessions, but Anawaya's firsthand account of walking the Trail of Tears, I I couldn't stop crying. I lost it. It was so... Um, oh, it was, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, in history, you hear one story, but to hear a firsthand account is a different, different well, thing. Well, would you mind sharing it, even if it gets you teary for a second? Because I think that yeah. he wants that relayed. Yeah, I'll try not to cry. Yeah. Um, well, it's really hard for anybody I think. explain the trail of okay. tears for anyone who doesn't know sure it's the um the term coined for the forced relocation of the southeastern uh, native americans they were forced out of their homeland and forced west of the mississippi um 
essentially there was gold found on their territory and they were forced out of their lands. Now, is this part of the Appalachian part of the story from the Appalachian area where the mm-hmm. British, right, the British yes. were in control at that mm-hmm. time, yes. where the British forced them off of the they land forced and forced them to go west so they could take the resources um, right. from wherever they were. No, they, from wherever they had originally been. Actually, Appalachia, the way I have it written here, um, was given to them in 1763. Right. Yes. Okay. But that didn't matter. It didn't matter. The settlers just come and take what they want and they didn't have any rights anyway. So the trail, either way, whether it was the original relocation or just being bumped out after they were being given land, um, let's talk about what that looked like. Right. And, you know, I remember in history class learning about this, but what I didn't realize was that it was more like genocide. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were tortured. They were murdered. Women were raped. And... I think the worst part of it for me was hearing about, gosh, I'm trying to cry. Um, the children, you know, just how people could do this to other people. So I asked Anna Waya, how, why did the white man do this to the Native Americans? And his answer was so interesting. He said, The white man was one of the earliest victims of this negative energy that asserted itself onto the planet, that the white man's culture was stolen from them so long ago that the white man doesn't even remember that they had a culture, that they used to dance amongst fairies and they were witches and pagans and they had all these magical beliefs and all of that was stolen from them. So they're walking around not even remembering who they are. And what I found really interesting was how important this information is, how um, for Anawaya, he said that for right before the Trail of Tears, the Nunahe, that's what he called them, the fairy people, the, uh, apparently fairy pe- everybody knows about the fairy mm-hmm. people in indigenous tribes. Yes, and all they, over the planet. Yeah. Yes. And um, they warned the Native Americans, especially the Cherokee, um, that if they didn't want to go through with this, they could go underground into these tunnels. That is the same, that's the same lore in Britain and particularly in Ireland. Oh, interesting. That one group of beings and anyone that wants to watch this can go back and look at my shows with Sean, Father Sean O'Lar. Um, he talks about this were driven underground, very, uh, refined beings were driven underground called the Tuatha de Danann, which ended up being the wisdom keepers that ultimately were the Druids. Um, they were driven underground by agreement just to be able to continue to live right. on earth. And now you're saying the same thing in the Americas. The Nunehe, or the fair people said, if you don't want to be a part of this, you can ascend mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And you can ascend by going deep within the earth, which I thought is so interesting. Isn't that fascinating. You don't have to ascend upward. No. You can ascend going within well, the that's earth. what they did same, there. Same yeah. with the um survivors from Lemuria. Yes. Many of them that went to Mount Shasta by going deep within the mountain there, because of all the crystals they were um around, they were able to ascend. That's really fascinating. I can tell you about that really quickly. Sure, do. So I was wondering, how did they ascend in Mount Shasta, these survivors from Lemuria? 
And they said by going into the mountain, there were these special crystals that were placed there from the early colonizers. Mm -hmm. And these crystals had like a celestial converter. And what these crystals would do by by um, using them, they would work with the um, Earth's energy and the movement of the Earth through the Milky Way galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it would convert this energy that the beings within the mountain could use for food. Mm-hmm. And, it, and by soaking within this energy, they were able to transform themselves and ultimately ascend. But they come in and out of the mountain to kind of as an agreement for us because they were a small group that ascended and because they already did it, their knowledge within this earth helps us as a collective ascend. Yes. And people still go to Shasta for that reason. And some claim to have encountered these beings. Oh, interesting. That's still happening today. And I've met a couple of people who take people on tours there because they've encountered these beings. Wow. So this still exists. And it's interesting because you're talking about these crystals and the frequency it's establishing for ascension, mm-hmm. which is a refinement of frequencies. And it's all just frequencies. Right. Food is frequencies. It's all frequency, right? Right. So for, speaking of frequency, so now we go back. So the frequency, going back to what you said earlier, that the early, quote, founding fathers um, Europeans for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Were some of the original people that were really tampered with mm-hmm. in terms of what they called the fear virus. And this right. is something we hear quite a bit. So how right. did, how did Anawea describe this and who were those who were perpetuating this fear virus? I mean, we're going back to the Anunnaki, back to right. Samaria, back to the same old characters. Oh, so while I was talking to Anawaya, he was often comforted by his mother who had passed. She was murdered by the white man and his mother acted as a channel for these ancient ancestors. And some of these ancestors would come through Anawaya who were um, ancestors in the tribe, um, Lemurians, and even from the Pleiades. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get a lot of knowledge from these ancient ancestors mm-hmm. who described this negative energy coming to the planet like this. They said it's a cyclical thing. The negative energy, this fear virus attached itself to the planet. And with that, it attached other beings that feed off of fear. And it's cyclical. Eventually, we dispel this fear and it goes back into the universe only to do this all over again. It's like a, um, it's a cycle, just like we're all separated chaos to bring the unity yes i mean fear is a frequency too love is a frequency so if we're if everything is constantly undulating and if you look at um even the mayan calendar for example we have periods where we rise and create and where we Mm -hmm. descend and forget and certainly even just forgetting starts bringing anxiety and fear so uh, that makes sense and so they're more saying it's not that the beings that we attribute to bringing these things to the planet or bringing it is they're simply riding on the wave of the fear, the introduction of the fear, because they relate to it. Yes. And then can be opportunistic within that field. Right. But this is just a cycle. This is how it's one of the rules. If you want to incarnate on the three, this earth planet, Yeah, you have positive and negative polarity, just like you have life and death. So there is no bad. Nothing in this universe is all negative. It feeds in together. It's just one 
one cycle. That's why they use that symbol of the circle. Everywhere yeah. in these Native American tribes, they use the circle. And basically, like other um, different symbols, it's coded so that when a person sees the symbol, it does something to the mind. It unlocks this transmission within the mind. And really, there's a lot of story behind this one symbol. That's why all these symbols come from the well, star the circle people. and the cross. Exactly. Yes. The circle and the cross means the the cross is really for the four directions. Mm-hmm. But the very point of the circle, the middle of the circle, is, is to show us, to remind us so we can remember we all come from source. Mm-hmm. And we all go out, separate, in order to come back again. It's the cycle. There and you see no this all bad. over the world, the same symbol right. all over the world. Of course. So they said one of the ways in which fear has been perpetuated was by bringing the notion of commerce and business and monetary exchange into the picture from what were more organic tribal ways of living of abundance that had to do with what nature could provide and so forth. So Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about that for just a moment? Sure. Well, when Anawaya went to England to try to sign this treaty, which, by the way, he never signed, um, he uh, said that they had very interesting practices that, you know, they would use money instead of trade. But for the Native Americans, they used trade and it was a much better way of ex- exchange for them. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't really understand the English ways because it was so The monetary different. system. And that one thing he couldn't get over was the smell. <laughs> like it smells disgusting. Oh yeah, of the cities they well, didn't have they functioning take, plumbing yeah, or anything just out the window. Throw their bath water mm-hmm. down the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as he's talking about their journey, so he, he explained their journey to these other lands. Let me ask you this. I mean, because obviously that less now is a woman, mm-hmm. number one. Is she Caucasian woman? She's Caucasian. So the Native Americans had to start kind of incarnating into the circles of modern beings that are here now. So many people that are relating so strongly to the Native American story I would surmise is because they have had that experience. That's a past life experience. Of course. And there's so much trauma from all of these indigenous tribes all over the world that we still carry with us. And I really think that's one of the reasons why they want the story to get out now, because there's so many stuck. It's almost like your soul's not stuck, but a part of you is stuck because of the trauma and by hearing certain stories like this or even talking about it, a part of your soul can be released and you can rejoin with it. And because there's so many, so much trauma, I mean, generations of trauma, Absolutely. it creates more density on the planet. And I think they want to get this story out to heal this trauma so that the planet itself also becomes lighter. Well, it's a more gracious story because they're not just saying, you white men are the bad guys. You did this to us. Right. They're saying you white guys are part of the same victim process. Right. You just played it out. It happened to you differently and played it out. It, it played out through you differently. And of course it had repercussions to us, but they're putting the entire circle of how trauma happens from one group passed on to another, to another and generationally as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I always ask Anawaya, were you angry? Were you mad that they did this? And the interesting thing that I could, I really had a hard time getting over was, no, they understood. They understood. Yeah. That's beautiful. So now let's go to 
the history of the Americas because the, he was telling you that there, this Americas had very ancient, very high cultures. So let's go into the history, both from Lemuria and from Atlantis and what the Americas once were, according to Ana Wea. I don't know why I kept describing the Americas as very advanced. Mm-hmm. And the beings that lived on in the Americas were advanced too. Yes. They knew all of these things. They were they were a lot different than how you see people today. They were uh they would speak with ETs and interdimensional beings all the time. And they had very powerful powerful technology. And all of that was wiped out through ex- sometimes extraterrestrial wars. Mm-hmm. And floods and and things like that, and all that evidence has been removed, just um, for one reason or another. But I thought what was really fascinating was that the the ley lines were shifted after the destruction of Atlantis, because mm-hmm. the destruction of Atlantis was so powerful with all their technology that it moved the ley lines, and the most powerful energetic grid shifted from the capital of Atlantis to North America. And it was one of the reasons why many Lemurians were taken and moved to the Americas. And that was really fascinating to me. I was like, how how did they get there? How did the Lemurian tribe get from Lemuria to the Americas? I knew that some of them were able to get to um, Mount Shasta, so you mm-hmm. know that's part of the America. But others apparently were taken by ships. Yes, yeah, and, and I think that's been one of the pieces that uh, humanity hasn't really been willing to look at yet. Mm-hmm. That uh, the Wright brothers didn't invent flight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's been flight throughout the universe forever. Okay, and there's been flight to and from this planet forever, forever with every kind of technology. Groups of people have been moved around since the beginning of time because we were never here alone <laughs> as just primitives. Right. You know, they, we always had other beings alongside us, even as this species was developing. Right. So if we can just accept the notion that there's always been flight and there's always been the ability to move populations of people around, then these Great mysteries aren't so mysterious after all. You don't have to have some big land bridge. Just fly them over. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they talked about this in the movement. So let's talk this. about the movement of wet populations in particular. Well, I was so surprised that the na- most of the Native Americans originated from Lemuria. I didn't know this before. And when the ancestors were saying this, it all made sense to me because when I was working on my Atlantis book, I regressed Jen, and when I brought her deep under hypnosis, I had her draw the symbol of Lemuria. And I was surprised because it was the same symbol as the Native Americans use. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't put two and two together. Right. So then it made sense. Oh, obviously, most of them were Lemurians. It makes sense on a number of levels, as you say this, because I've interviewed lots of people, as you know. And one of the things that is repeatedly said about Lemuria, for those who have a remembrance of it, I have some remembrance of it. And that is that the people were living much more in harmony with, uh, you might just say, frequency-based life. Uh, technologies were much more natural and frequency-based. Telepathy was normal. That was just normal. And so, and close 
and living closer to the land without invasive technologies. And so that's how the Native Americans, even in modern times, chose to live and found it a, a superior way of living. No so that continued. I mean, that understanding right. no and the connection with no the others, which I want to get to, because this is about their connection no with the star people. Robinson. Right. So let's talk about it. Oh, well, you know, the star people were always helping them. And it's funny that in all their symbols and their drawings, you know, they talk about the star people helping them mm-hmm. and they relied on the star people a lot for different things. And, but the star people couldn't interfere. They could just watch from right. afar they could give them wisdom and they would get some of this wisdom through their plant medicines they would do these ceremonies and they would ask for wisdom and what was interesting is as they would do these ceremonies they would all receive the same message from the star people and they most of them seem to have come from the pleiades or they talked about the seven sisters right. that's what they called them right right but, the pleiades yes right was the pleiades and which had a strong influence over this planet for a very long time and mm-hmm. their own history with us. And some of the other authors I've interviewed have very deep connections with the Pleiades. So it appears that the beings from the Pleiades are still to this day trying to help us remember. Oh, definitely. And trying to help us find our own way home, which is an internal journey. It the, doesn't mean to the stars. Many beings from the Pleiades come through my clients when they're deep under hypnosis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's always so fascinating. They usually have the same message, which is to try to remind yourself that ultimately you are of God. Thank you. We, we got lost for a second, folks. Glitches in the system. Here we go. Yes, I'm going to back it up here a little bit. So the star people were always helping them. And it's funny that in all their symbols and their drawings, you know, they talk about the star people helping them. Mm-hmm. And they relied on the star people a lot for different things. And But the star people couldn't interfere. They could just watch from right. afar, they could give them wisdom and they would get some of this wisdom through their plant medicines. They would do these ceremonies and they would ask for wisdom. And what was interesting is as they would do these ceremonies, they would all receive the same message from the star people. And they, most of them seem to have come from the Pleiades or they talked about the seven sisters. Right. That's what they called them. Right. Right. But, the Pleiades. Yes. Right. Was the Pleiades. And which had a strong influence over this planet for a very long time and mm-hmm. their own history with us and some of the other authors I've interviewed have very deep connections with the Pleiades. So it appears that the beings from the Pleiades are still to this day trying to help us remember. Oh, definitely. And trying to help us find our own way home, which is an internal journey. It the, doesn't mean to the stars. Many beings from the Pleiades come through my clients when they're deep under hypnosis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always so fascinating. They usually have the same message, which is to try to remind yourself that ultimately you are of God. And so when she was, when, when I guess this was Les was speaking about some of the ET connections with the people there, mm-hmm. one of the things that they talked about, or at least you, you told me they talked about, mm-hmm. was they explained the Mandela effect. Oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. So they were still so mystified by it. Right. Right. So am I. 
they were saying that the, the Mandela effect proves that you can literally change your life based on what you focus on. That if a human's timeline looks like a graph, and so there's like a, a line, it'll be a very dark line as to your most probable timeline. But if you focus on something else, you can change your timeline completely. And you can have one person have this line on a graph and another one way over here, and they're living two different lifetimes. They won't remember the same things because their lifetime will be totally different than one another. So they (laughs) say that the soul has the capability of inhabiting two different vehicles Mm -hmm. or multiple vehicles at a time on different timelines to have these parallel experiences. Oh, yes. I mean, we are all multidimensional. Right. We're living in so many different timelines at so, you know, on so many different places all at the same time. What else did they have to say about that? Because people find this fascinating. I find it really fascinating too. Yeah. That you can learn to communicate with different parts of yourself and you can open up that communication. One way you can do it that is by looking at these symbols, like looking at the flower of life pattern or mm-hmm. looking at one of these extraterrestrial symbols, like the circle with the dot in the middle. Mm-hmm. And you can activate that communication with this higher version of yourself and ultimately ask for guidance. Okay. Now I want to go back to something we talked about in the very beginning and have you flesh it out some more. And okay. it has to do with the uniqueness of the human emotional structure and what that allows us to create, but also how that works in opposition to that in this on this planet of duality. Oh. So let's what did they have to say? What did Anawaya have to say? Anawaya. Anawaya Awaya. Anawaya. Anawaya have to say that means wolf apparently. Okay. About wolf. the human emotional structure and what it allows us to create by way of these portals and how right. all of that works. Because that's always seen as kind of the bane of the existence. And I, right. I know we even have other shows on saying, well, they, uh, ETs don't think that human emotions are that, you know, instructive. You know? Really? <laughs> that's interesting because I've been told that we're so unique and we don't realize how much power we have because we have these emotions that on some other planets or some other beings have bred out their emotions yes. by accident, like the gray extraterrestrials, right. according to my clients. But you can use your emotions and people are so powerful in their energetics and the fact that they can use these emotions. But if you want to use your positive emotions, otherwise you'll invite or you bring in more possibilities for discord. Mm -hmm. So by focusing on a positive emotion, you really can manipulate the matter around you in relationship to that emotion. You can even use this to heal yourself. So basically what they were saying was anytime you feel a strong feeling, a strong emotion, anytime, always, it opens up portals. We're just not aware of this, but this is how our energetics work. And so if you think of these portals opening, when the portal opens, there are plenty of possibilities to you when this happens. So all you have, I mean, it worked. I tried it. And Mm -hmm. all you have to do is focus on, on this emotion, ask for what you want and This is the key. If there's no resistance to it, it will manifest very quickly, they said. Mm -hmm. Maybe next time I will ask for a million (laughs) dollars. But so when we actually bring something that's genuine excitement to the Mm -hmm. table, 
it seems to me that that's one of the energies that you can manifest very quickly with. Yes. When it's genuine excitement coming from inside you, bubbling up from within you. Right, exactly. Then there's really no resistance. Then the manifestation happens very quickly anyway. So rather than trying to manage our emotions, which everyone's trying to do, Mm -hmm. it seems in this day and age anyway, because it's been... Yes, it's been a bumpy ride. Um, maybe we would be better off to start looking at how we can focus them in truly innovative ways or in ways that actually excite our entire being. Because like you said, even that brings healing. It brings a higher frequency. It brings energy. Exactly. And my clients, while they're deep under hypnosis, the higher consciousness keeps saying, you know, now that these higher consciousness these higher realms are available. They're here. Yeah, yeah. They're available. This is all new to the human. And we're, we can access this great intelligence and actually become the powerful being that we're meant to become. And this will become mainstream as yes. we go into the future. But you can, what you can do now is to become aware of the subtleties going on in your body, the subtle layers. Because there's, as, like I said, the consciousness of the earth is getting stronger. It's constantly communicating with us. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think is so fascinating is the use of the sun. Many religions. Yes, talk about this. Many religions had the religion based on the sun. And I always wondered, how do you use the sun? What is this all about? And what people don't understand is the sun is a portal. So... I'll just tell you this example. I had this client come in and she wanted to lose weight and she tried so many different things. I mean, literally she went on a juice fast and the weight wouldn't budge. So obviously there was something going on. And usually when a client wants to lose weight, their subconscious will say, oh, the weight acts as like a protection. You know, that's usually the case. And if you can figure out a way to feel protected, the weight will come off very easily. And the subconscious needs to understand this, and so does the conscious mind. Well, this wasn't the case. The higher consciousness said she needs to go outside without her contacts. And so that was a little surprising. I asked, what do you mean? And they said she needs to be exposed to unfiltered sunlight because humans, all humans, need a little unfiltered sunlight because ultimately what's available to humanity right now is the power of this intelligence coming from the portals of the sun. It goes through the unfiltered eyes straight to the pineal gland and it unlocks the human power. So true. And that's interesting that came through. And you and I did a session that you've transcribed a little bit about. And the sun played hugely in that back in Atlantean times too. And also the whole notion of going out in the morning, for example, for people who are just having having this uh, memory come back again. Right. To go in early blush of the morning when the sun's first rising. And even if you're just looking at the sun through your eyelashes to begin with, to just open your eyes for however many seconds and take the fullness of the cool sun's information into your being first thing in the morning has a phenomenal I'm so glad you brought it up because I stopped doing it too has a phenomenal effect but they're saying also go out in and I would think bathe yourself in it however you can but they say definitely through the eyeballs unfiltered that's so interesting because I'm always wearing my glasses 
So I stopped doing that. Even just a little bit, they said, will unlock these dormant potentials within ourselves. Thank you so much for bringing bringing that bit of information back. Even after you and I did the regression, I still didn't go back and start practicing it again. It's so funny how we just kind of get into our groove. But every time I do that, it makes a massive difference. And recently I've started doing that early in the morning to go out and just lie in the sun very early in the morning when it's kind of first cresting so it can hit the body when it's still cool out. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be in the harsh heat of day. Because we forget the sun, the sun is the source of all life in in our solar system, on all planets. Nothing exists without the sun. And it's not just it's casting light and heat. It's casting massive amounts of information as a very divine, massive being. Right. And information is coming through the sun. Yes. And that's one way we get our From the central sun through our sun into us. Right. Oh, I'm so excited that you talked about this (laughs) and brought this up. Tell, Tell me what else they had to say, the Native Americans had to say, because they were very oriented toward the sun and the stars. What else did Anna Waya have to say? Well, they kept reminding us to connect with nature mm-hmm. that basically, like I said, this is all cycles. So we needed to lose our connection for a while. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like having opposition to, um, to remembering, you know, mm-hmm. so we needed this disconnection in order to really appreciate our reconnection. And that is essentially what we're supposed to do now. We're supposed to remember these teachings of the Native Americans or the indigenous tribes all over the world. Well, who were us at one time? Most of, of us incarnated that way and just forgot. Right. Yes. And we're supposed to bring back that knowledge and reconnect to the earth, to our natural surroundings, start communicating with it because Within the earth, there's always a cure. There's always a plant that will help you with something. Mm-hmm. There's always an answer to your question. Everything is provided for us within the earth. And and by the sun. And by the sun. Yes. I remember my guide saying years ago, saying they're very big on this. Never worship anything, anyone, no worship. But you can give as much love and care and respect as you wish to the sun or any other being or entity that works worship Mm -hmm. is simply giving power away Mm -hmm. and putting yourself below something and they said even the sun don't put yourself below the sun but you can send your extreme appreciation and love to the sun as it's always sending to you and so on that note one of the and one of the final things that um, was coming through from these various beings and from the star people is again the message of love Love, 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 love. You know, as you said earlier, when you go into a session um, yourself, you find gratitude is the fastest way to lift uh, your frequencies. I find the same thing. Love is so loaded. It is. It has so many different kind of attached notions as to what what love even is anymore. So if you can, I'm saying this because if you can explain in their words what they mean by love and maybe what we mean by gratitude and appreciation, um, respect, care, and love that come out of gratitude, this is a place I think we all need to start going to besides just the earth. Right. Well, I feel as if gratitude is really harmonizing. It's, yeah. be- it's harmonizing with yourself and your environment. Yes. 
and really feeling the oneness. But the way they describe love is sort of different than how we describe love. They describe love as that moment when, say, for instance, when a client is remembering leaving their body after a lifetime, there's a moment of complete bliss and a rejoining of all the parts of themselves. If a human were to experience, they would just start crying. They wouldn't be able to take this really, really powerful feeling of oneness. It's so overwhelming. It's so beautiful. But that's what they mean when they say love. So if we can connect in our own memory to these feelings that may happen, say, through the birth of a new baby. Right. You see a baby who's just come into the world and is starting this journey and those those little little eyes that seemingly are seeing everything for the first time. That would be one of those moments of tears and for example, and and the purity of love or whatever it is to each person that we can bring us. Maybe it's a sunset. So if we can remember those moments of that feeling, that's the love they're talking about. Right. That purity, that bliss. So that's a good practice to just remember, remember those moments of love. So we can just keep bringing our frequencies up and up and up. Definitely. Yeah. And gratitude. Any final thoughts, Sarah? This is really just a beautiful story that they brought through. Oh, yes, it is. It's amazing. I'm always so excited to see what they're going to share with me next. But basically, I guess the final thoughts would just to be to really be curious about your own self. Go deep within yourself and see what it is that drives you, what, what your passions are, and really try to connect deep within yourself and listen and and go out into nature and start harmonizing yourself with nature and getting that intelligence from nature. Yes. Thank you so much. Absolutely beautiful as always. And so I can't wait to hear who comes through who next. Me too. (laughs) And we'll have you back on. Thank you so much, Sarah. Again, the name of Sarah's new book is A Hypnotist's Journey from the Trail to the Star People. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. good yeah that was well done okay we're going to do this next one it's called mind over matter how many times in your lifetime have you heard that one (laughs) well this is a unique approach here it's uh all right there's a whole group of folks uh, that are um, being featured here. How do mind and matter coexist? Filmmaker Caroline Corey explores how individuals can train their mental power to move objects. She's been on Ancient Aliens and quite a few other shows. And the, this is the... Actual science of how you can change um, physical matter and telekinesis, psychokinesis, and well, this is moving the objects exactly. Yeah, it's called yeah psychokinesis, using the power of your mind to move the objects. Right now, yes, they skip. Uh, they they 
give it a short name, they call it PK, psychokinesis. This power has been demonstrated in many settings and by many individuals. Corey facilitates an experiment in psychokinesis using thought and intention. So um, these are the other ones in the play. Corey Feldman, Naomi Grossman, Rachel Brooke-Smith, Karina Smirnoff, Robert Picardo, Michael Dorn. <laughs> I haven't heard of him for a long time. Tom Campbell, Dean Radin, Radin, I think. Rudolph Schild, Glenn Ryan, Jim Gimzuski, and then, of course, Caroline Corey. So, and again, this is in three languages. So interesting. English, Spanish, oh, excuse me, English, Spanish, German, and French. Four languages. All right, let's do this. This is 42 minutes. 42 minutes. your purpose here on earth and your connection to the universe. We exist as physical beings in a physical reality while our mind is in constant communication with unseen forces and unknown worlds. We are the visible part of a potentially infinite, invisible realm. How do the two worlds, mind and matter, coexist, collide and interact? short for psychokinesis, it is the ability to move a physical object without physical contact. 
I've been working with PK for the past couple of years with very interesting results. It is your intent that is interacting with the physical object that is getting it to respond. But the minute you let go of the result is when you get the result. At the Institute of Biosensory Psychology in St. Petersburg, Russia, you can learn how to use your consciousness to move a physical object. A graduate from this institute is UC Berkeley's quantum physicist, Dr. George Weissman, who has been able to demonstrate these effects repeatedly and over the past several years. Well, is it just a freely suspended object? And it's inside a glass cylinder so that it's isolated from the heat, from drafts, and so on. If you leave it alone, it doesn't move at all. What we do is to basically focus on it and make it turn. So from the ordinary physics perspective, this is impossible. It's not there's consciousness and there's objects. Objects and space and time all are manifestations within consciousness. It's a kind of unification. Matter, so-called particles, are more like information carriers. Particles are not things. Even once you've seen it, it's not an actual existing particle, but then it can be thought of in a way. It is described by this wave function, which is just a probability function. I asked PK practitioner and meditation teacher Sean McNamara to facilitate a session with my friend Rachel, who had never practiced PK before and was eager to try. Sean, I'm so excited about this. I mentioned Rachel to you. I can't tell you how excited I am. I cannot wait to learn. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of confidence already. Like some part of you already believes that it's possible. Is that true? Oh, I do. I have been studying and so passionate about the power of thought and intention. I mean, ever since I was 14, you know, they're a really difficult time in my life. I saw a movie that changed my life and I had this like very life-changing experience. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to perform, I want to act, I want to inspire people just like that film did for me through focusing on that, intending it, writing it down, having vision boards, like seeing it, watching it every day, seeing myself do it every day. I ended up playing the lead in the sequel to that same film six years later, something that everybody told me was impossible. Where you place your awareness is where energy goes. That's basically all we're doing here with the psychokinesis experiment. We're going to produce movement by using our mind in a certain way. And it's really like baking a cake. You put all all the right ingredients together and you put them in the oven and you give it enough time and when enough time has passed you pull out this beautiful delicious cake and no calories involved <laughs> <laughs> it is a meditation process in itself and the way other types of meditation how those life lessons wrapped in you see it's right in front of your eyes if you're too tense it stops moving when you relax it starts moving again if you don't give it enough time it doesn't work if you let go it works works. So this is just another way of showing showing those basic life principles that we all know about. And so at this point, we can lift up your container, and you'll want to do this very slowly, because when you do it too quickly, it knocks off the tinfoil from the needle. And then you'll want to just put your hands on the glass on either side of the object. Eventually, it'll start responding to your breathing pattern and to the level of relaxation in your mind. So yeah, when it starts, it means that the shift has occurred within you.
And mine just started responding too. So I think we're sharing a field now. It's <laughs> working. This is so cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was totally still. It's moving. As maybe silly to some as this may sound, sending love to the material, saying like, you know, I love you. You like, let's work together on this. Let's be one. You know, let's move together. Look what it's doing as you're talking about love. Your heart's opening as you're、yeah. talking about it, and it feels it. And I, I can also feel whenever I start to feel those ego thoughts or wanting to get it right or afraid of failure, then there's this disconnect.、Um, and I think that's so powerful to understand that, that that's the whole thing of ego. It's like the want to get it right is can block you, but when you just allow and that. And be filled with love and energy. Like amazing, miraculous things can happen. Rachel will now attempt to place two objects inside the glass container and see if she could perhaps influence one object and not the other. I was wondering if I am here. If I have more ability. Sure, keep going because the other one、Look、just started、working. going. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, Very Rachel talented. The other one. I mean, that is like <laughs> amazing. It was her first time. And this is the hardest condition to be under. Not only、mm -hmm. is it your first time, but you have six cameras on you. <laughs> There are other people in the room watching, hoping,、yeah. mm -hmm. expecting. Yeah. These are the hardest conditions for anyone to operate under for psychokinesis. So, congratulations. Did you have fun? No, I guess. So much fun after even just those two experiments. You know, I learned so much about myself. If you practice these things, like you literally feel like a superhuman version of yourself. Superhuman. That's the title <laughs> of the film. Yeah. The photons that are bouncing off of the object are going in through my eyes, the rods and cones, and producing an electrical signal that goes to the back of my brain, which reconstructs an image. So what I'm really Looking at when I look at the piece of paper, a tin foil, or a toothpick, whatever it is I'm moving, I'm looking at my own mind. If we were truly separate from each other, there's no way we'd be able to do PK because of the inherent separateness. But if we can dissolve that sense that we're separate from everything and increase the sense that we're already one, then that makes PK possible. Of course, it's possible because when I'm moving an object, I'm moving my own mind. He is a professor of neurobiology from the University of California in Berkeley and a researcher at an NIH-funded laboratory. His interest in PK began after a profoundly transformative Zen meditation experience, which led him to alter entirely his model of reality. This is completely sealed. I started working with Mike in 2017, and I was most impressed by the scientific rigor he brings to the field, and also how far we were able to stretch the boundaries and possibilities of this methodology. The model that I think is probably more truthful is a model that actually a, a famous physicist, John Wheeler, developed, which he calls the participative、uh, universe. Instead of having A camera or the eye, and then a display in this linear sort of causal relationship. The universe is actually this 
self-excitatory loop where there's no separation between the observer and the observed, but because they form this continuous interactive feedback. And so this is why I started to believe in the possibility of PK as a scientist, because the object is truly not outside of you. But it's so, for example, if I want to move my finger, my finger is connected to my consciousness through neural pathways in the body and to my brain. So when I want to move it, it's a part of me and I can move it. The piece of paper in front of me is not physically connected with neural pathways, but it still is a phenomenon and an appearance within my consciousness, what you might call a back channel. If you think about it, the brain and actually all the cells in our body are phenomenon occurring within this bigger consciousness. The idea idea is then to try to influence this piece of paper that's totally isolated and get it to rotate. To rotate without any effect from any known physical forces. You explained to me that it's actually quite difficult to do it with a vacuum. Um, so there's so actually it's impossible. <laughs> so not just difficult, which is why I've added a, a little twist, which actually allows me to accomplish this in a vacuum. Something very similar to this is inside the, uh, the container. And so what I'm doing is I'm adding random mechanical fluctuations or perturbations to the target. By controlling the amplitude of the signal that gets to the speaker, we can control the amplitude and, and how much motion is actually induced in the target, but typically it's probably less than a millimeter. It doesn't cause any large-scale ordered rotation, but rather just this very small oscillation of the target. The standard protocol for doing a proper experimental design is you obtain a baseline period, just establishing that there is no motion, that there is no environmental effect. So what you're saying when we are creating the baseline over several hours, uh, this very small um, linear oscillation is taken into account. Right. And uh, will be visible. And will be visible. So we know that by the time you're influencing the target, we see a big difference and we see the rotation that is coming from the consciousness or the intent as opposed to from the little speaker. I'm going to let you <coughs> try it yourself. I'm going to leave you some space. Okay. So, Mike, how did it go? What happened? You can see here's the baseline and it shows that the target is is randomly moving back and forth um, maybe like a degree or so peak to peak and then at this point here you see a, 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 a larger rotation it's not something that I am willing with my mind and saying you know move or you know do this like a command but rather it's it's much more of a feeling of connectedness. 
It is becoming clear that mind and matter are entangled, and the separation between objects and consciousness is nothing but an illusion. If that is the case, then I should be able to influence the same physical object in close proximity or perhaps a thousand miles away across two states. Well, let's find out. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hi, nice to see you again. Yeah, you too. Have you been practicing? Yes, I'm looking forward to another session tonight. How long have you been running the device before I came on? So I have about an hour baseline, and then we'll do your session, which is usually, typically, you, you run about an hour. So, and then I continue after you're done uh, running a, a continued uh, baseline afterwards. Okay, awesome. I'm ready whenever you are. Okay, good. Okay, here Thank we you. go. would say this is a fluke. Could this ever be a fluke since the baseline was established for so long? Typically, um, during the baselines, it's completely motionless and, and still. So I'm confident that the results we're getting are being really provided by your intention and not by any other kinds of environmental factors that could be influencing the target. Every time we continue to get these good results, I become even more confident that this is a true phenomenon and that you really are providing the trigger for these rotations. My theory is when we perform PK or any other mind over matter exercise, our consciousness switches the brain from linear functioning, firing randomly in different areas, to 100% capacity, whereby the brain functions as a whole. Anyone can do this. In fact, without knowing the anatomy of the brain, all you have to do is focus your intent on the center of the brain. And that information is then distributed through the corpus callosum to the two hemispheres, which allows you to understand what's going on, and through the endocrine system, which then allows you to feel what is going on. Because the brain is now engaged at its full 100% capacity, you can now perceive and experience things beyond the normal human range, meaning beyond time and space. If this is true, then we should be able to transcend any limitation of our physicality, perhaps even our eyesight. Our first stop is in the UK, where we encounter children who are using blindfolds to access their superhuman abilities. We're going to play some games. Uh, put your blindfolds on for me, please. 
Ready? Justin, tell me what's on this card. Teacup. And now tell me what's on this card. Oh, tiger. Isabella, what is the shape and color of this stone? Kind of like a circle, and I don't, and it's not really, it's kind of like see-through. Here's yet another example of how consciousness can interact with the physical world beyond what science claims to be possible. When we work with the blindfold, it's so that we can encourage the children to use the vision that they have with their high consciousness. Evie, tell me the shape and color of the stone. Um, it's red and kind of a circle. Yes. Evie, tell me what I'm holding in my hand. A wooden spoon. We expand their consciousness beyond that that they believe or understand that they can, take them out into universal energies. Okay, now let's go search for that beautiful inner light of yours. I can see it. Fantastic. Bring the light out into the area around you, your light field. Good boy. Well done. And then they can work with the higher consciousness seeing because they have the potential to see from every cell in their body. Now, you're going to read a line each. The other dragons were purple with smooth, shiny scales, but Marmaduke was faded orange with sticky out scales. Excellent. Good girl. It's like witnessing a miracle. It's, 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 it's really, it's just beautiful to watch. George was enjoying a quiet evening in the heavenly hippos wild life park. Suddenly he spotted a group of animals creeping past. The first time I actually saw it for myself, when I come to do my training, the only word I can think of is emotional. It was very emotional. Peter Patter, the rain was trapping and the windows and the wind was banging. When my son um, started to raid and I saw him raiding. Are they out his ruins? They kind of shine. It's just amazing. No mouse would put a paw out in that weather. Needless to say, I wanted to know what it felt like to experience the physical world through these blindfolds. Totally dark. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Witnessing these incredible children up close got us on a journey to discovering others around the world who are applying similar methodologies to achieve mind-blowing results. At MPUSA in Ogden, Utah, a blindfold technique called Vibra Vision helps you sense the vibration of various objects in the physical world. All physical matter in the universe is actually a form of energy that's made up of atoms. Those atoms are cycling or vibrating at a certain frequency. Practicing vibration gives us the ability to access our sensors and to perceive those vibrations and then convert it into a usable mental image we call it mindset. Red, red, yellow, blue, yellow, orange, blue, green. We can see the unseen to do things that are thought of as impossible. Eight of clubs, ten of diamonds, five of hearts. One, two, three, 
At NPUSA, folks of all ages demonstrate these incredible skills inside the academy and out in the real world. How about the grilled chicken and sausage gumbo? Gumbo. Okay. How much does it cost again? To $29.90. Correct. And Colton, what were you just touching? These are fan muffins. All right. What color is that? That's it. Let's find the Lay's brand. You're finding something with blindfolds on. Old Spice up. Body Wash. Very good. From Utah, we make our way to Stuttgart, Germany. Their children are using a different approach to the methodology and display skills with impeccable accuracy. In the beginning, it felt a bit weird when I was able to see without my eyes, but after a while, you get used to it. I was rather skeptical in the beginning, but once I learned it myself, my reaction was, wow, this really works. I believe much more is possible than we know. Human beings have a lot more skills that they could develop. I also have a granddaughter who learned this skill and bops around with the mask here today. I'm amazed how well it works. around the world are using various techniques to achieve very similar results. I decided to investigate the origin of these methodologies, which led me to InfoVision in Moscow, Russia, and its founder, Mark Komisarov, who discovered blindfold perception 20 years ago. We developed a methodology that first worked with kids. Then I tried it with a blind kid, and it worked too. Then I tried it with adults, and it turns out the methodology also works with adults. And that is what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Mark Komisarov's colleague, Mihaila Istrati, volunteered to offer further assistance on how the InfoVision technique actually works. Once these three are in harmony, consciousness, mind, and brain, then everything works at the speed of which the mind is able to accept this ability. In an attempt to bring scientific validation to their methodology, InfoVision reached out to reputable Italian neurosurgeon Professor Enrico Pierangeli and the theoretical physicist Professor Elio Conti from the University of Bari in Italy. We prepared some masks. We prepared some masks with instrumentation, able to measure the quantity of light inside the mask. Once we were sure the quantity of light inside the mask was zero, the experiment was done. The experiment was done. And the volunteers and the volunteers were able to read the words on the computer. 
the computer. 1942. Also, when they were asked in which color these words were written, they were also able to describe the colors. We just recognize this as a fact. Recognize that this is a fact. These methodologies can be applied to various eyesight issues such as Sylvia's advanced farsightedness, Radu's severe astigmatism, which had made it impossible for him to read. Or even the blind who are now able to perceive their environment with more ease. Now we're talking about something that is not just to help you with your guidance system or sense your environment, but something that is incredibly practical and transformative. When I see the tears of a mother who brought a blind child and the child starts seeing after my seminar, that is what's important. All the senses are coming together and that gives you the experience of the environment non-locally. So it is not that you are visually seeing what is behind you, you are experiencing what's behind you. Back in the US, I shared my research with my longtime friend Kim, who at the age of 33 discovered she suffered from a rare genetic macular disease. While her condition is medically impossible to cure, Kim was willing to defy the odds and potentially try to regain her perfect eyesight. My eyesight is something that's been not normal for half of my life. So the first half of my life, first 33 years, were perfect vision, perfect. And then at age 33, a genetic disease appeared and became uh, worse and worse over a period of two years. And it's a, a rare eye disease and it affects the macula. My biggest problem is I can't read very well and I have a lot of different reading aids. I'm trying to stay like open to anything. So I'm very excited and I'm hoping that I'll have just um, improvement in the sort of clarity of what I can see and be able to read a little easier, to be able to see somebody's face a little clearer, read a sign. It's just... So frustrating. One of the things we did that was really mind-blowing was to wear a mask uh, that completely blacked out all light. There we go. I'd like you to look around the mask in the darkness for the beginning. And sooner or later, you will start to see some little lights here and there. You sit there for a while, and then all of a sudden you start seeing things. All right, now I have a white dot. I started to see the whole... It was as if I was seeing the whole universe, all of the stars, all of the constellations. You could actually see the stars blinking, you could see meteors. Because I can still see the stars, the stars are It was very cool. It's like you were, and so you could just sit there for a while and just enjoy the, the show. 
And then we started to use colored pieces of paper to determine if I could see color. Yeah. So let's do like this. This is um, green. See if there's any difference in the colors. Here's it's purple, the opposite color. Mm-hmm. Here. Ah, here is red. Well, I couldn't see 100% of the colors. Some of the darker colors were harder to see. I could see colors. I just have to wait, and then it shows yes. up, which is kind of the point of the whole thing. You don't need your eyes. It's your awareness or your consciousness that actually is doing the perception, and it actually feeds to your visual system so you can then see it. So your consciousness sees it before your eyes see it, not the other way around. Everything's your attitude, which is your perspective, the way you go into things. It's just keep that attitude. I can do, I can do this, anybody can do this. That seems like it's blue. It is blue. Let's start with the mask. And I'd like you to set your focus as a periscope on the papers that I want you to see. Green. Excellent. Excellent. Looks like uh, She's completely pink, got a blacked red, out mask on her eyes and she just... Red. Red. Excellent. She can tell the lady Excellent. what color she's got of cardboard. I got yellow. Yellow it is. Oh. <laughs> well done. Pink. Marvelous. It is pink. <laughs> My instructor would show me letters. Uh, she'd hold up little kids' letters, and they'd be in, in a color, and they're all capital letters. And I could actually see those. So, and that wasn't right here in front of me. It was, she's in Romania, so it's many, many miles away. I have a team. Amazing team. That's what it is. <laughs> well done. Normally, if I pick up something to read, I get my magnifying glass and I assume this position. And this is really hard on my neck hurts and I've had some neck problems from constantly doing the same pattern but now I just pick it up I look at it and I just wait and then I start reading okay so now it's getting really easy I used to take notes and just write as if I like I used to write and thinking I, I was writing well but I wasn't and so now what I'm doing is taking my time and seeing what I'm writing and making sure that each letter has a space around it and so that I can now go back and read it, whereas before I couldn't see anything because the letters were on top of each other. Okay, it says, let's try this now. I am going to write in different sizes. So now I'm just deciding to pay attention, take my time, and now I can read what I write, huge. The idea that seeing is not believing, that seeing doesn't have anything to do with it. It's more like you can perceive 
everything, the visible, the invisible, whatever. You you perceive it with your consciousness and your awareness. It's not seeing is believing. In fact, it's probably the opposite because your brain plays tricks on you through your vision and other things. So I, I think this is a, a huge concept that's applicable to everything. The blindfolds are an incredible tool that remind us that we don't actually see with our eyes, we see with our brain. But it is your consciousness that is reprogramming and directing your brain to perceive what you want to perceive and experience what you want to experience. This is what this is about, mind over matter. If the current scientific laws of physical reality were accurate and complete, then they shouldn't be broken, ever. And yet these laws are being broken every day, repeatedly, by hundreds of people around the world. The bottom line is this. No matter what you believe in, if you believe we live in a matrix and someone else's simulation, or if you believe in God or Buddha, Or if you're an atheist and there's nothing beyond this physical world, the most powerful technology in the universe is consciousness. If your consciousness can change the chemistry of your body, if your consciousness can allow you to see perfectly without the use of your eyes, if your consciousness can allow you to move a physical object without physical contact, If you can influence an electrical device, an electronic device or a computer nearby or at a distance, well, then who's more powerful, you or the physical world? Consciousness evolves by lowering its entropy. It does that by making choices. By those choices, the individual beings of consciousness can evolve if they make good choices toward caring, toward love, toward consideration, or they can make poor choices and de-evolve toward fear, self-centeredness. It's all about me. We live in a world where freedom and free will are part of the design. And within that, there's choices that can be made, and those choices have impact throughout the entire quantum field, all great distances from our thoughts and how that bounces off and echoes out of the matrix and how that bounces back and influences us. So there's a dialogue going on with that so we sort of come to this world and i guess in our materialistic sense we want to forget about vibrations and things like that we just want to think of matter and stuff what part of your life has been the most significant and i'll bet it's not the stuff it's not the car it's not the house you live in it's there and it's important yeah you need your car to get around and so on but what's really important in your life are your relationships the caring the love the significance of connecting with other people what am i doing here i know i have to pass on my this and i have to give my kids this and i have to you know it's all of this stuff love i think is the main reason we're here for me knowing that that's it Um, allows me to to look at every day and just I'm in love with life. The purpose of the universe is for life to emerge and thrive. We believe that these principles are universe-wide. 
The purpose in so many ways of existence is to know thyself. The self-awareness of the universe, this profound quality of awareness, of conscious awareness of existence, is inherent in the universe itself. Exploring your superhuman abilities allows you to discover your own potential, the mechanics of your consciousness. In other words, understand who you really are. As you think, as you feel, as you make choices, you contribute to the expansion of humanity as a whole. From a limited state of being to an elevated superhuman species that fits within the grand design of an intelligent universe. So now ask yourself, are you a superhuman? Don? Mm-hmm. Okay, Rama, which one? Um, the one about policy. Okay, Ram, Ram. Mm. I mean, I know that um, we are non-visual in terms of what you can see. I, You could tell, though, what they were saying was happening, and I'm just saying mm-hmm. I'm here to confirm with my eyes that it's all true, but um, and to see it visually is pretty amazing, you know, without any sleight of hand or anything. Mm-hmm. But the power of the mind, uh, and I think that's what how pe- bone healers they can literally move bones from a distance. Uh, mm-hmm. um, our friend Jerry Bostock from Australia, Rama, right? Mm-hmm. He had a bone healer with him. Yeah. For four days, and I mean, without touching a person, bones were healed. Uh, that's that's the work of the psychic surgery people as well, right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Rama wants to do this next one: palmistry, personality, and destiny. And the idea is that to know that we're all going to be doing these things together now. The movement of collective consciousness is moving very quickly. And it's not something that's rare or phenomena. No. I'm really happy to hear that. And... Here we say, this is a George Nury's interviewing Vernon Mahabal. Our clues to your, our personality and destiny held in the palms of our hands. I did learn how to use palmistry. Uh, I didn't pursue it long enough, but uh, palm reader Vernon Mahabal shares his study of human personality based on thousands of readings. In Vedic cosmology, palmistry is linked to astrology. And the signs found in our palms indicate human destiny according to the stars. 
Mahabal describes the laws of karma as action and reaction and the way karma echoes across lifetimes. As we learn to understand these connections, we find ourselves more closely connected to the universe around us. Vernon Mahabal is the founder and director of the Palma Street Institute in San Francisco. Send good vibrations. They're getting all kinds of storms over there, uh, California. He has studied Vedic, Vedic cosmology since 1979. Vedic cosmology. Are we ready? Rama. This is 42 minutes, everybody, so we will begin now. Would you be able to ascertain their personality, their character, from just reading a palm? Yes, you can. Our activities determine how the palm looks. Lines lines can change, and that means that we're either doing our destiny or not doing our destiny. Life doesn't come with instructions, but it does. It's on our hands. That's fascinating. Yeah. It, it truly is. Well, welcome to this edition of Beyond Belief. Vernon Mahubal is with us a palmist and the founder and director of the Palmistry Institute in California. He has read literally thousands of hands and given hundreds of lectures on the ancient art of palmistry. Vernon, welcome to Beyond Belief. Thank you, George. How did you get involved in reading palms? This isn't something that somebody wakes up in the morning and says, (laughs) this is what I'm going to do for a living. What happened? I was always drawn to it. Um, even when when I was in high school, I was reading hands. I actually got a book on palmistry in my uh, school library. I bet you were the hit of the party, that. weren't you? Not at that point. My friends thought I was crazy. Really? <laughs> I would t- take people's... What did, well, what did you see about the palms that you liked in order to do it? What was your curiosity factor? My curiosity factor was that I just felt intuitively that there was something about hands that told about the human mechanism. And I, even when I was a kid, when I was, let's say, 10 or 11, I, start, I would stare at my hands and just ask myself, what are all these lines? What are these configurations? What, what, what do they mean? So I was, I think, intuitively drawn to it from maybe a previous life or something. Is every hand different? Every palm is different. Even your left, even the left palm is different than the right palm. What about identical twins? They're they're identical only in uh, last names and and facial structure, yeah. But astrologically, they're as different as the leaves on on a tree. Vernon, explain to us what is palmistry. Palmistry is the ability to look at our life purpose through the agency of our hands. It's a GPS. The, the soul within the heart sends its message through the agency of the hands. And that message is, what is our life purpose? What are we here to accomplish? What are our past life challenges? What are we here to accomplish 
in, 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 that makes it different than other people. Did it take you a long time to learn how to read palms? That's a great question. I, I studied it extensively, read every book I could, took every lecture I could, met many palmists, um, and studied their systems. It did come a little bit easier to me because I think I'm kind of drawn to it, but at the same time, I did work hard to study it. But it was something, it, it is something that I could easily inculcate. When did you decide to make it a career? When nothing else worked for me in my life. <laughs> no, I, I would try this and I would, try, I would try that. And at the same time, I always kept my door open to look at hands. And um, I was when I kept my door open to look at hands, everybody would come to me. I remember one time I was traveling with a, a rock and roll band. I grew up with these people and, you know, they would sometimes have me go on the road with them and sell sure. the T-shirts and be a roadie. And um, at the, at one of their big Hollywood parties, I was reading all these rock stars' hands. Uh, this was 1986. Um, and I was standing at, at a 7-Eleven one day, the next day, in the parking lot. And some guy just drives up in a car into the parking lot gets out of the car, slams the door and said, what are you hanging out with these rock and roll people for? You gave me a great reading yesterday and and that's what you should be doing as a career. He got back in the car, slammed the door and just drove away. And at that moment, wow. I said, at that moment, I said, L.A. and Sepulveda Boulevard, Venice oh, wow. Boulevard, I just said, this is what I have to do. I'm going back to I'm going to go back to New York and make it my career. Did we know any of these rock stars? If you uh, mentioned who they were, yeah, I've read the hands of uh, that was that was a tour with uh, Motorhead and the Cro-Mags, and then I've read the hands of so many rock and roll people: Gene Simmons, Lemmy, yeah, yeah, you knew them all. I, I I was lucky to be able to be in New York and grow up with that whole kind of um, the beginning of the early metal. Uh, world metal music never did Elvis's hands or anything. No, like that. unfortunately not. I wish I. I've seen him on the internet. You might have saved his life if you Gee. looked at it. Gee. When you read palms, can you tell if someone's going to live Elvis a long life or anything dead. like that? Yes, you can. Um, but I, I think it's important to not tell a person's uh, longevity un unless you can save them from some difficult calamity so for instance if a person is 30 or 40 or even 50 and they're going they may be taking too many drugs or doing bad activities right. then i'll say hey you know get out of this so that you you can you know live a good lifestyle get out of it quickly yeah too. but I, I i don't ever like to plant a number in somebody's mind because that may actually happen. <laughs> Vernon, on the uh, Gaia program, Open Minds, Ellen Goldberg talks about the history of reading palms. So I want to get your reaction mm. to what she says. I think the roots go back to the dawn of time. When we see the hands uh, on cave paintings, mm -hmm. you know, uh, everywhere from some of them from 25,000 years before the Christian era, so many from 8,000, 9,000 years BCE, we see that people knew that the hands were unique. We did not have social media. There were no books. 
But there were tribes, there were stories, and as people gathered together, they started to discuss things that they saw both in the heavens mm-hmm. and in the hands. And so these were some of the earliest uh, mystical sciences that were developed and really uh, laid the groundwork for so many other things that came later. When we look at, say, palmistry as we know it, we know that the Chinese used fingerprinting uh, for uh, identification a thousand years before we did in the West. Yes, yes. They used it for diagnosis, certainly. Yes. Way before that as well. Do we know really whether it came, its first roots were from India or from China? I myself can't make a good call on that. Mm-hmm. But I know that we brought back so much from uh, the Persians. Yes. Uh, they also had exquisite astrology, right? All of these yes. great uh, n- nations, all of these great areas of the world had both astrology and palmistry traditions um, reaching back thousands of years. One of the things that I get a big kick of out of is that in the Vedas, these ancient uh, scriptures from India, about 2000 B.C., there is actually an admonition to the monks saying, you know, it's really not right to read palms for money. Oh. And so mm-hmm. therefore we know. Yes. It was already a profession 2000 yes. BC. Yes. You could do it, but not for not money. For money. Or a monk. Ron, and how did Ellen do explaining palmistry? I completely agree with everything said that, that she said. In fact, uh, the earliest known book was on palmistry. It's in Sanskrit, it's called the Hast Samudra How old is that book? Three. It was written in three thousand one hundred and two B.C. Holy! By a person named Garga Acharya. Five thousand year old book. Five thousand year old. It's it's as old as the Bhagavad Gita, and that's the old. That's when let's say writing started in that Vedic culture. So, it, in in the Vedic civilization, they will say that. Palmistry and astrology have been around as long as human beings have been on this planet. And human beings have been on this planet, according to the Vedic version, for millions of years. Millions of years. And it is it is part of a spiritual or religious tradition to read the hands and look at the astrological chart of people. It's part it goes hand in hand with understanding a person's life destiny and dharma. In fact, what's interesting, in in the Vedic view, it was the astrologer or the palmist who gave the name to the the child, not the parents. In ancient Vedic culture... The palm reader gave the name of the uh, child to the Yes, according to what they saw astrologically. Whatever. Yeah, according to what they saw astrologically in the hand or the chart... They would give the child a name based on the the vibrations of the planet so that they would be in harmony with the planetary forces. And it's interesting what, what she says about the idea that people did not do it as a profession. Uh, they did it as a profession, but they didn't ask for money. It was part of what we call the Brahminical culture. And the Brahmins were either doctors uh, or medicinalists, or they were astrologers, and they would go to people's houses and give readings 
And then people would give them donations or alms or take care of them, give them milk, give them food, and they would go to the next house. So it, it, it wasn't that something that they charged. They were considered a, an integral part of the kingdom. Uh, so And the family. And the family, yes. So uh, as soon as a child was born, an astrologer or a palmist was called to ascertain the life destiny of the child and, of course, how the parents can better raise that child. They, they, they told the parents, for instance, what this person's emotions are going to be like, what the challenges are, what the good news is, what, what, what they should be getting involved in, the relationship they had in the previous life with that child. So the palmist and astrologer were a, a valued, valued a part of, of the ancient Vedic culture. And the ancient Vedic culture goes back millions of years, according to the, the a book called the Srimad Bhagavatam. Can you imagine the first palm reader ever looking at a hand, coming up with all kinds of things? It's absolutely amazing. In fact, the Vedas say that it were, it were, it was demigods and goddesses who taught this astrological science to mankind. In fact, the, the book Hast Samudraka Shastra, Hast means hand and Samudraka means the, the divine study of it and Shastra means scripture. So literally this book that was written by Garga Rishi, means the divine understanding of human destiny according to the stars. If you never met somebody, Vernon, and you looked at their palm, would you be able to ascertain their personality, their character from just reading a palm? Yes, you can. And that's the beauty of astrology. That's the beauty of palmistry. The, 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 the hand is the visible part of the brain. It's, it is that part of ourselves that we cannot read, um, but it comes to us through our hands. Is it our personality? It is our personality. It's our consciousness. It's what we bring from previous lives. In fact, that's the beauty of reading for someone who's an, a, a young child in that just as we look at a tree, right. we see an above, we see a tree may be so many hundreds of feet. But under on the, on the ground, th- that tree may be seven or eight times bigger. And that's kind of like the idea of the previous lives. So on your hands, we, we can see a person's previous lives and then understand how they're going to act in this life. So that part, we can, the, the idea of, of a person's previous lives, we can't see that. We, we don't, a person doesn't understand that. But by our hands, we can see what a person went through, where they were, what they did, what their challenges are. Their ups, are. their downs. Their ups and their downs. People sometimes say, George, that, that, that life doesn't come with instructions, but it does. It's on our hands. That's fascinating. Yeah. It, it truly is. How does this tie into karma? There's three types of karma. One, karma simply means action and reaction. Or, or what goes around comes what around. What goes around comes around, right. For, for instance, um, what we, we reap what we sow. And it's very obvious. I agree with that. We, we, we see that it's so obvious in palmistry. For instance, people ask me a lot, 
am I going to win the lottery? It's a common thing I hear at a party or something like that. No. Will you know that through your palm? Yes, you will. Really? Yeah. And, and, and the, the interesting thing is that if a person wins the lottery, it means in a previous life, that person uh, was very pious and they gave to the community. They planted trees. They opened up a hospital. Maybe they started an orphanage. They were just very, very giving and very generous. And in the next life, the state gives it back to them, comes so back. to speak. Yes. And in the same way, if we do, you know, bad activities to ourselves or other people, it comes back to us and we have to taste the results of those actions. And that's called V karma. And V karma is simply for purification. So, so a palmist or an astrologer, especially a Vedically trained astrologer or palmist will say that suffering is actually not for our, for, um, a bad purpose, but it's for simply for our purification, for to our, make us a better person. Our incredible audience. Would you read my palm? I would love to. How do we start? Well, I'll come sit next to you. So if we look at George's hand, we see that the palm is square. Is that unusual? No. We see that the palm is square, and then we see the fingers a little shorter than the palm. So George has what we call an earth hand. There's four basic shapes of hands. One is earth, water, fire, and air. George has a perfect earth hand. And what the earth hand means is that he's able to take the ideas that are within here and then make them tangible. I can put ideas and make them work. Make them, make them work. You, you're a manifester. What, what, and so the earth hand is about, uh, establishing security and stability on a subconscious point of view and on a more conscious point of view the earth end is about being able to make your ideas tangible and practical and george you have uh, a textbook earth hand just like earth itself is very grounded and very Mm -hmm. practical you are very practical yet your lines here show that you're a visionary you're into the metaphysical and i assume i was born this way right i yes. didn't change over time no the hand shape stays the same the hand shape is actually how you approach life uh it's it's kind of like the car that we drive so the way you approach life is in a very practical down to earth way and that's the earth hand and your thumb is about 45 degrees angle sometimes that thumb could be out here. Sometimes it could be actually closer to the hand. When the thumb is at a 45 degree angle like this, it means that you have a very strong sense of confidence and uh, self-awareness. But at the same time, you can yield to other people's needs or wants. You could... When the thumb is way out here, it shows a tremendous amount of confidence, sometimes overactive confidence, maybe even ego. When it's here, it shows insecurity and self-doubt. When you see people who have a lot of insecurity or self-doubt and lack of confidence, it stays very close to the hand. Really? Yeah. But yours is at a – yours is at the – Mine's naturally. Wonderful. This is a textbook example of someone – who's very confident, self-aware, and at the same time, very humble and giving to other people and and being able to yield when needed. So if you didn't know me and you looked at my hand, you would say these same things. I, I would, definitely. 
I know when you're on Coast to Coast, our radio show, you'll ask people to look at their hands, callers, mm. and you'll talk about the segments of a finger. Why are they important? Oh, well, these segments, we have 12 all together. And they are what the astrologers call, well, we call them the signs. So Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, like that. So all the signs, all, all the, all the, the signs are here. The planets are here and the houses, the first house, second house, third house are here. So this is an ask, this is your astrological chart. And the same way that an astrologer will look at a computer and right. see the chart, a palmist sees all the planets, all the signs, all the houses in the palm. So this is our astrological chart. It's non-different from an astrological chart. We can see the same things that an astrologer can. So overall, what would you say about me? This is We're talking about segments, so this is your strongest segment. You see how it's wider and thicker? If I was going to, like, if I, if this was a tree, you see how this tree is very, very strong, especially the base, much more than this. So what this particular segment shows is that um, you're able to give people advice and counsel and people see you as a coach. Interesting. This is the area of being, let's say, a, a consultant, a coach, and someone who, who just like, a, just, just like a, a football coach or a baseball coach, they can give advice and counsel, but at the same time, there's a warmth there. So this shows a tremendous amount of warmth uh, to people. And at the same time, people see you as their guide, their coach. They're almost like their counselor. And this is the strongest segment on your palm. Is there anything on my hand, my palm, that would tell you I'm a communicator? Yes. You see how this pinky, what, the pinky is ruled by the planet of Mercury. And Mercury is a planet of communication and business. And as I say, business means communication. So when if, if someone has a pinky that doesn't get past this line, it means they uh, lack communication skills or they're just uh, they feel insecure about communicating. Your pinky is very long, so it gives energy to communication. Did you ever see the movie Babe? I did about not. the Babe Ruth. Pull my thumb. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're, you have a very long pinky. So the energies of the pinky, and how do we know it's long? It, 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 it moves past this, this, um, segment here. And your pinky is especially long, so it shows communication skills. Uh-huh. Also, this particular line, this shows communication ability. In other words, it shows exemplary communication abilities, the ability to think of something and be able to communicate it immediately. So overall, what would you say about me? You're doing the exact career that you're born to do. That's good. You're doing the exact career that you're born to do. You, you, you have, there's a person in you that is very practical, very grounded, very, very, um, uh, likes or, or, oh, it also in your head, it shows a lot of order and organization. Uh, you're very good at planning and structuring. Is there anything you saw that you didn't like? No. All right. You're, you're being honest here, right? <laughs> hmm. Do you tell people bad news? That's what they pay me for. Okay. People will say all the time, they George, want, don't, co- don't sugarcoat it for me. Exactly. People, that's what, yeah. 
People will say all the time, I, I don't want to, I, I don't, don't give me a sanitized version. I want the straight truth. And you know what I've noticed, George? It's not, it's not what you say to people. It's how you say it. You can say anything to someone if you do it with a sense of empathy and love and you really want to help that person. Can you see longevity in a hand? Their yeah. life, you know, how long they may live? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And, you know, my job is to try to extend that longevity if possible, you know. But, but also at the same time, what I see as a palmist is that we are eternal. This body is just a temporary vehicle. It's a shell. It's a shell. It's like a, you know, we, we get up in the morning, put on a new shirt and pants. And at the same time, what I see that is that the soul is eternal the soul is actually very happy and, as they say, blissful. And the soul is fully aware. But while we're in this material world, we forget this. But, but it, it gives, it, 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 it always gives me a lot of hope and a lot of clarity to understand that this life is a very, you know, it's a spot life. Fascinating. And, uh, we're eternal. We've, we've never been born and we, we're never going to die. Uh, life is a continuum. When p- two people, are getting together in a relationship. Can you tell by their two different palms if it's going to work out or not? Yes. Uh, if, if two people are going to be together for, let's say, a lifetime, you can easily see that. You can even look at some uh, a kid who's six or seven and tell when they're going to get married if that marriage is going to be a significant relationship. Um, wow. I, I've seen as many as, uh, you know, they say, is there such thing as a soulmate? Um, there is. Uh, I've seen as many, I've seen as many as seven lifetimes where two people can become to be together. Uh, but yes, there is a destiny in the idea of, of people marrying and being together for many years. We definitely. have tragedies on this planet, Vernon, and things happen. We've had mass shootings. We've had episodes like that. If you were to look at the shooter's palm, would you have been able to have said there's something wrong here? You would be able to see everything that also led up to that. Yes. You would? Yes. Who would you warn on something like that? Obviously their parents, I would think. And of course you would warn them too. But you would see the psychological dysfunction or the... Maybe even the, you know what I see, George, if I am available to put up, pull up those palms of people who did, you know, nefarious stuff. A lot of times they've taken drugs or not, not just, you know, it could even be over the counter drugs or drugs that, that, you know, the society is prescribing. That's what I see all the time. Do the palms change physically? Lines, lines can change. And that means that we're either doing our destiny or not doing our destiny. We always have free will. We have a destiny. For instance, if a person is destined, let's say, to be an architect, maybe they were an architect or an interior designer or a decorator in in a previous life. Yeah, yeah, they're going to want to continue that in this life. Um, at the same time, if they, if they are doing that, you're going to see their lines become deeper, stronger, richer. Their, their hands are going to become live, lively. In my next reincarnated life, what will my hands look like? Your, will they change? You'll probably go into a more spiritual 
destiny. That's my next evolution. Yes. Yes. I, I think that you'll probably, you'll probably attain to some higher planet, planet of the demigods or goddesses, some other what they call in Vedic astrology, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the places of the rishis, the, the demigods, the, the, the universal management, what, what, what the Christians call the angels. You'll probably ascend up to the higher planetary regions. Interesting. You had mentioned soulmates. Ariel Ford talks about them on Gaia's Open Minds as well. Mm. I really believe soulmates come in together with sacred contracts to be together. You know, there's past life stuff and there's karma and there's choices that we make in between lives. Okay, yeah, let's be soulmates in this next lifetime and let's set up these synchronicities so we recognize each other and let's work out the fact that in the three past lives you betrayed me and we're going to have betrayal issues and we're going to have so many kids together. But we forget all that. We meet them. We fall in love. We're in this euphoric state. We're in what I call the socially acceptable form of insanity because the dopamine and the adrenaline, the oxytocin's all kicking off. And it's great for six to 18 months until all the chemistry goes away. And suddenly this person with which you had such frequency and synchronicity with is just a real human being. Yes, see, I've always viewed that as the hook. As the soul's hook. Yes. The means of drawing people together for either something very lovely, creative, and pleasurable, or for learning, which may feel the opposite of that. Both are as equally as yes. valuable. But the, those, that chemical cascade, I do believe is a projection from the soul to say, don't go away. Stay here. It's a, it's a trick to keep you together long enough to establish some other bond so that you can dig down and start doing your thing together. Exactly. Yes. It can be tricky because a lot of times, like when you say the chemicals wear off, it's, what was I thinking? Well, you weren't. It wasn't your right. choice. It had nothing level. to do with rational thoughts. <laughs> but it's an important piece of it because yes. soulmates come together to heal each other mm-hmm. on the deepest level. And as anybody interested in personal growth knows, the healing part sucks. It doesn't feel good. It's not fun. It's often painful. Harville Hendricks, who Oprah calls the marriage whisperer, mm-hmm. he's world, one of the world's leading marriage researchers. And he we were talking about this one day, and I said to him, Harville, how do you know if you're in the right relationship? And he started laughing. And when he stopped laughing, he said, you know you're in the right relationship when it starts off as a dream come true and eventually devolves into your worst nightmare. Vernon, have you read a couple's palms together? Many times. Uh, and that's, that's just called relationship counseling. <laughs> But yes, many couples have come to me over the years. And one of the, one of the most interesting things is that what I see is that in order for a relationship to become successful, both people have to understand the other person's thinking. So, and this is what I find to be the, the difficulty. In other words, we tend to give in relationships what we ourselves want or need. Right. And it, and what the hand shows is that, and what I try to do is explain to someone, okay, this is the way she is. This is her wants. This is her needs. Think about her needs, her wants or his needs. Uh, and, and, and not put your ideas of what you want in there. In other words, 
relationship counseling is simply about letting both parties understand how the other person thinks. And then relationships go really smoothly. The interesting thing about what, what your video was talking about, and I agree with them. Have you ever seen people, for instance, they will, uh, two people will go dating for about a month or two and they'll lock each other's horns and start fighting and then forget about it. They're no longer it's a relationship. Over. It's yeah. all done. And, and other, other couples will, you know, will have a great time, will fight, will lock horns, will argue, but they stay together. And, and that means that those people have known each other in a previous life and they're just reviving that relationship. It's the same for, let's say, children. We can't give, it's impossible to give a, a, a child so much love unless we knew that child before or they knew us before. So all the loving relationships in this world, uh, we've known them before, whether they're a, a child, a, a, a parent, uh, a relationship, a, even a dog. Right. In the same way that, that the previous life uh, this life is a continuum of the previous relationship. Loving relationships simply continue into the next life. And then when they get too difficult, they break apart. The Vedic view says, gives an example of sometimes we see an ocean and, a, and, and on that ocean could be some straws and they're very far apart. Then a wave brings two straws together. And they stay together for a long time. And then another wave comes and breaks them apart again and they never see each other again for a long time hmm. until, let's say, they go to the more spiritual planets. But that's the way relationships are. Uh, we, we learn a lot about ourselves through a relationship. The person that we're with learns about a lot of, about themselves. And then when we're kind of done with that, if you will, we go to the next relationship and learn more, you see. Do we determine the palm look or does the palm determine how we act george the our activities determine how the palm looks uh, it, it's a combination of both what we have deserve what we deserve and what we desire so the activities of our previous life are our karma so to speak so if we've if we've done good activities we get rewarded if a person is very pious in their previous life they've done things for other people they've been generous they've been a good person they've been of service in their next life they will receive loving parents they'll receive uh, um, a nice atmosphere to, to to live in a nice body good schooling if a person has done difficult activities and, you know, put people into suffering, then they're going to experience that same suffering. They're going to have to taste that also. So again, that's a purification too, which will make them into a better person in some next lives. But the fact is that the palm reflects what we've done, both good and bad, if you will, in the previous life. And we have no control over that, how the palm looks, but we have control over our activities. If you were to look at the palm of Elon Musk, world's richest person, <laughs> Jeff Bezos, another multi-billionaire, would you see similarities there between the two of them? You'd be able to see how, how that they've they're successful in the world, or they've got the spotlight on them. Uh, you'd be able to see um, all the, the people that they have dealt with. You'd be able to see that when they were two years old. Yeah, Can you it's part that? of their destiny. Can you predict the future? By looking at a palm? Yes, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. And even even 
even if at the same time we have free will, you can also look at uh, the nature of a person, their intelligence, their psychology, their emotional intelligence, their maturity or lack of maturity, and be able to predict what they're going to do or not going to do uh, over, over, over time. When people come to you for their palms to be read, do you sometimes try to teach them how to read a palm? themselves a a lot of times people will start to after a reading will start to look at their own hands and maybe buy a book or two on on palmistry after that but usually people don't are not even so much aware of all the lines and configurations on their hands until they get a reading from a palmist and they and people at the end of a reading will say 90 percent of the time you got all that from my hand i didn't know I didn't know all that was on my hand. So they become fascinated with the idea that, oh, my God, there's there, this is my life purpose. So then, yes, they start to buy books on it or go to palmistry. become obsessed with it. Because, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, other than when I started talking to you about palms and stuff, I didn't realize how many people are out there that are fascinated with this subject. We've got a Gaia program called Initiation, and Matthias Stefano talks about hands, he loves it. Mm. If we go to the first humanity, when we were living in caves, we knew that all the patterns that we have in our existence were written in our hands. Our culture, our realities, our way of thinking, and the main five structures of the sixth, sixth dimension, the tetrahedron, the octahedron, cube, icosahedron, and dodecahedron are printed in our five fingers. So that's why to remember the codes, what we used to do is to recognize that our hands were the first structure, the first book to tell all all our stories, who we really are. And that's why Hands were the first books to tell the stories of our origins. And from the caves, we started to do the carvings and the carvings of the pattern of life. Every pattern of life is not only a circle from the sun, but also a spiral that goes through time. So that's why the second more recognized patterns that we can see in all history of humanity in every culture is circle within a circle and a spiral. These symbols are all over the world in every culture and you can find them everywhere and they all mean the same. The cycle, the cycle of life is like the Fibonacci spiral that helps us understand the mathematics of the creation through the spirals, through the torus. When he held up his hand, did you notice that long, long, deep line across his hand? Exactly. Uh, what is that? Okay, so in, in, in most people on the population, there's two prominent lines. One is called the heart line, which is closest to the finger. And, and there's a second line called the head line, which is in the middle of the hand. Now, what he has is that both of these lines are one line. So it me it's palm is sometimes called that the simian in lo- the simian line and I don't like that terminology I call it the union line it's the union of the heart and the head 
So that means whatever a person thinks about, they put their intelligence into. Whatever a person uh, feels, they whatever a person thinks, they put their heart into. So he's pretty spiritual. Yeah. So what that shows is that when someone has a union line, they must do something that is a passion rather than just working a job. They they must do a career that they feel a sense of of um, of intensity for, and they become intense because it's the merging of the heart and the head. So it means that whatever a person thinks about, they become emotionally involved in, and whatever uh, they feel, they put all of their intelligence into. And I like what he was saying earlier about the book of life. Our hands are the book of our life. When I'm looking at a hand, I'm looking chapter by chapter by chapter. You agree with that? A hundred percent. Now, the interesting thing, he's talking about the spiral. And I like that idea because this is what the new age and the mind, body, spirit world is, has talked a lot about. The spiral has to do with the oneness of things. In other words, we're all one. We're part and parcel of God. In the Vedic view, they call, call that Brahman. Brahman simply means the rays of God. In other words, we're part and parcel of God. Uh, just like it's said in the Bhagavad Gita that all the drops of water of an ocean contain Everything that the ocean has, it's this that they're infinitesimal. So in that way, we're one. We're one with in, in spiritual substance. But what an astrologer or a palmist can talk about is that we're simultaneously one and different. The difference is that we're individuals. And the New Age world and the mind-body-spirit world have not come to that conclusion yet. In other words, in the Vedic view, they call this, in Sanskrit, nityo nityanam chaitanas chaitananam. It's a Sanskrit verse which means we are simultaneously one with God, where we are one, but we're different in, in individuality and destiny. And this is the beauty of what astrology uh, and astrology can do sure. because if we're all one, then it would be a boring world. But if yeah. if, if if we have individuality, like uh, y- y- you know, you're going to be the most famous talk show host in the world, and somebody else is going to be a great astrologer, and somebody else is going to be an arborist. You know, my job is to bring out, awaken the the, the giant within. That's what I want to do, and that's not. That's not an aspect of oneness. That's an aspect of individuality. So I agree with the whole thing about the idea of the, 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 the cycles of life, the, the spiral. And that has to do with nityo nityanam. That has to do with, yes, we're all one. We're, God created us as part and parcels, but we're not God. We're individual sparks of that energy. But what God did create for us is our individuality. And the most important thing about individuality is that with oneness, you cannot love. With individuality, that's where the devotion is. That's where, that's when we show other people our, our, our love and our devotion, that's, that's, that's the part of our individuality that cannot be harnessed by the oneness. How do people get a hold of you, Vernon? Palmistryinstitute.com. Simple as that. Simple as that. Palmistryinstitute.com. Fascinating. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief, Erna. Thank you for having me, George. Fascinating. It's all in the hands. Your future, your direction, your personality, who you are, what you are, it's right here. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief.
Oh, my goodness, everybody. Mm. That was simply, that was magnificent. Um, um, this is the nature of what Nasara brings. People finding out who they are and then being able to use the money to help people. As you know who you are, you know how you can help people because you've learned how to help yourself to a higher path. Um, I'm going to just take a moment. There is a... Uh, a very short piece that our, um, what's his name, Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, he's an interesting person. I just heard him say that on the agenda is to get everybody jabbed. And I know that the the forces of light along with the people are going to change that course and it will be done in the right way um, I don't pick up that he's uh, you know a do whatever you're told person uh, though I wanted to play this one section Let's see. Yes, just a moment here. I have it. All right. So, just holding up. You're talking about a narrative. Just a moment. <laughs> Having received a majority of the vote. No, 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 no. All right. Just let me go back here. Just one second. All right. Twelve. All right, now we can do it. Over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, Knowledge over kangaroo courts. Liberty over limitation. Maturity over Mar-a-Lago. Normalcy over negativity. Opportunity over obstruction. People over politics. Quality of life issues over QAnon. Reason over racism. Substance over slander. Triumph over tyranny. Understanding over ugliness. Voting rights over voter suppression. Working families over the well-connected. Xenial over xenophobia. Yes, we can over you can do it. And zealous representation over zero-sum compensation. All right, that was a new House Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, using the alphabet, the entire thing there, to contrast how he views his party as opposed to the incoming Republican House majority. Let's take a step back, though, on exactly how we got here. NBC's Ali Vitale has that for us. 
It's official. The Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. That was easy, huh? This chamber is now fully open for all Americans to visit. In the longest speaker vote in a hundred years, a dramatic and twisting political melodrama not seen in the modern era. And now the hard work begins. We will use the power of the purse and the power of the subpoena to get the job done. McCarthy allies expected him to clinch the speakership on the 14th ballot, thinking they had the votes. A speaker has not been elected. Shock reverberating throughout the chamber. Gates. As Congressman Matt Gates held firm as the man standing in the way of McCarthy's speakership. McCarthy himself begging for Gates' vote on the floor. Congressman Mike Rogers, a McCarthy ally, being held back from lunging at Gates. Members pleading with their colleagues, even calling former President Donald Trump for backup. Chaotic scenes we normally wouldn't have seen if usual house rules had been in place. Then, finally, Gates assuring a beleaguered McCarthy before all six holdouts moved as one on ballot number 15. Gates. That's what I was talking about yesterday. I was talking about that. Um, you can cl- check present, yet when you do it and you don't vote, that's when you check present. You're present, but you're saying you're not going to vote. So that means they're going to subtract the amount of votes that we're looking for. So if six people out of uh, 234 people, which is generally half of the members of Congress, were required, then uh, you subtract six from that. So then the date, the amount is down to 228. So 228 uh, divided by 2, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was 434. I've been saying all of Yeah, 434. I'm sorry. So that's 428. Okay, divided by 2 is 2. 2 is our 4. Uh, <laughs> two, uh, 1, 2, 4. Then they only needed 214 votes. I mean, it would record only 214 votes. And so he ended up still too short of what he needed. I'm just going to stop doing the, the math. Nonetheless, that was a trick. In other words, those six members, Republicans, decided that this was the way they could get this win that he want, that they wanted. And our sister Toriana was saying, are we playing Ring Around the Rosie again? And it was just going to do this all over again, round and round and round and round. And I'm just going to say that the answer is no. Right, Rama? There is a different... There is a different way this will be shifted and has to do with some higher energies it's about divine governance which affords us to use our higher consciousness which we just learned from this young 
palmister that was teaching higher teachings through his palmistry. Yeah, you do raw and this different way involves direct intervention from the forces of light. Need I say any more? Uh, well, it can be through each one of us as well, right? Yeah. Yet that's going to happen as well. We've been told, and patience is still a virtue, everyone. I just sense, and I wanted to share that things are moving very rapidly. That that uh, what he did, he used poetic prose to get his point across as to what we could do uh, to shift from the immediate past of uh, what we were all observing that's being gone, uh, done. I thought I'd say it just one more time. American values over top. That means at the very top of the list, American values. And then he said, colon, receive. And then he went on and said, benevolence over bigotry. That's the letter B. At the Constitution, the letter C, over the cold democracy, over demagogues. <laughs> uh, then, uh, the, uh, which was the letter D, democracy over demagogues. Over demagogues. And then the letter uh, e, economic opportunity over extremism. F, freedom over fascism. G, governing over gaslighting. H, hopefulness over hatred. I, inclusion over isolation. J, justice over judicial overreach. K, Knowledge over kangaroo courts. L. Liberty over liberation. M. Maturity over Mar-a-Lago. N. Normalcy over negativity. O. Opportunity over obstruction. P. People over politics. Q. Quality over QAnon. <laughs> Quality mm -hmm. of life issues over QAnon. R. Reason over racism. S. Substance over tear, uh, substance over slander. T. Triumph over tyranny. U. Understanding over ugliness. D, voting rights over voter suppression. Uh, w, working families over the well-connected. X, it's a polite way, polite way of saying it to everybody. Xenia over xenophobic. Y, yes we can over you can't do it. 
um, Z, zealous representation over zero-sum representation. Uh, blaze of violet fire, let's put it that way. Okay, um, let's do our music. And uh, let me just pull it down. Let's do our music. It's time for a little music, everybody. There she goes. We'll finish where we, we'll finish what we left off at from last night, everybody. Might be getting up to do a little jig here. (laughs) All right. A massive blockbuster, and it opens the door for Jewish stories on Broadway. He's talking about Fiddler on the the Roof, the longest-running musical in Broadway history. Two thousand eight hundred and forty-five performances a night. I'll back it up just a second. Fiddler on the Roof is not just a success. It's a massive blockbuster. And it opens the door for Jewish stories on Broadway in a way that's absolutely unprecedented. Their musical is about stories from the Old Testament. Their musical set in the Lower East Side with Jewish families. Their musical set in the suburbs with Jewish families. So the fact that you could have a successful Jewish musical just ushers in a tidal wave of Jewish-themed shows. The time was finally right for Broadway to take on the most sensitive theme in the modern Jewish canon. The rise of Nazi Germany. The creative team behind Cabaret fearlessly dramatized the intolerance that had forced Kurt Weil out of his homeland. They would use his wife, Lada Lenya, as the emotional centerpiece of the show. With time rushing by, what would you do? With the clock running down, what would you do? We were dealing with a historical moment in which Jews were very much involved. I will listen. The fact that one of the characters is Jewish is very important to the plot. If you me. It took place in a world in which anti-Semitism reached its zenith, obviously, with the slaughter. Uh, it's not about I don't think it's not about Jewishness. It's about hatred and the danger of not being aware of what's going on around you. I 
If you could see her through my eyes, was written for Joel Gray and a gorilla. It's a very gentle little vaudeville song which goes If you could see her through my eyes. love song to this gorilla across the stage and it ended with uh, if you could see her through my eyes she wouldn't look Jewish at all and it was clearly illustrative of what had happened to uh, Germany that line she wouldn't look Jewish at all was a real slap in the face we wanted people to realize what anti-Semitism is really like. What real prejudice comes with. Uh, comes with jokes. What I guess we were naive about was how Jewish audiences would react to that. And it came as a shock to realize that they thought we were saying Jews look like gorillas. The songwriters aimed to depict an aspect of anti-Semitism with a kind of dark humor did not play well with some of the theater-going public. I was not only the director, but the producer of that show, and I said, uh, we're going to change it. We're playing with fire all over the place. We've got Nazis on the stage. We're asking so much of an audience at a time when this is not the currency of musicals. Uh, I won't do it. But when the movie was made, and that was that many years later, the public had followed us and caught on to it and was more sophisticated. Oh, I understand your objection. I brought you some problems not small, but if you could see your own important contribution to this PBS station, we want to thank you. And if you haven't, there's still time. The anti-Semitism at the core of Cabaret may have seemed to some audiences like something long ago and far away, but it happened in America as well. When I was growing up, my father thought it would be good for us to work on a farm 
he was in the tobacco business and sent us up to a farm. And we saw right away that the young men were virulently uh, anti-Semitic. Everybody was the Jew boss, the Jew driver. So my brother and I made a pact to say if they should ever ask us that we were Greek Orthodox. <laughs> Greek Orthodox, because we were dark, you know, fairly dark. And uh, But one day they uh, said that uh, you guys are Jewish, my brother and me. And they started to beat up my brother, about six of them. And then they tied me to a tree. They tied me to a tree and put papers under it and lit a fire. I remember the smoke and inhaling it. And I remember them pummeling my brother. And then the straw boss, whose name was Murphy, came along and he said, oh, here comes, here comes the Jew boss. We better stop. And, and uh, he set us free. Didn't say anything about it. He said, all right, come on. Lunchtime is over. That was all. One of the ways that you can look at the sing and be happy optimism of the Broadway stage uh, is that it's a release valve. It allows you to sing your way into a new world. Gray skies are gonna clear up. Put on a happy face. Brush off the clouds and cheer up. Put on a happy face.
many have claimed that in the late 20th century, Jews became mainstream American culture, that in the literary world, in theater, um, in film, Jews were American pop culture um, in a way that was very different from the pre-World War II years, where no longer were they outsiders working in, but they were now insiders working on the inside. Um, and that's a huge shift. We made it. We made it. But then you have Sondheim coming along, Stephen Sondheim. He's another generation along. And he's sort of saying, look, we have everything. Aren't we supposed to be happy? And his shows consistently are questioning, is the American dream, in fact, fulfilling the promise? Yes, we've gained acceptance in this country. Does that mean we're happy? Isn't it rich? Are we horror story or assassination attempts on U.S. presidents, Stephen Sondheim's work has illuminated both the joyful and the terrible side of humanity. One who keeps tearing around, one who can't move. People do want you to come out and say something either positive or negative. They don't like the idea that you're saying something positive and negative. Even in the most simple-minded musicals, you know, you get a song, an early Berlin musical, where I hate you, but I love you. I mean, ambivalence is the stuff. I don't know what people have made so much out of it. It's just that I tend to deal with it on a more realistic level than it has been dealt with in musicals before, had been, I should say. Uh, and uh, what ambivalence is, what drama is about. Stephen Sondheim changed Broadway. He created a world where you can write about everything and anything and nothing's off limits. All sorts of music can be used to go from Sweeney Todd and, and passion to the pastiche work and follies or the contemporary music of its time that was accompanying on and on and on. But the bad part is he, he, he made it that everyone's expecting that now from everyone and not everyone can deliver that. And sometimes you go to the theater and you don't want that. Musicals started going in very interesting and offbeat directions. I had three major hits in the 60s. Milk and Honey, Hello, Dolly, and Mame all came pouring out of me. And I thought you just wrote a musical and it ran to seven years. But then by the 70s came, I thought that the kind of stuff I did was over and nobody wanted the, the quintessential Broadway musical any longer. In 1983, Jerry Herman and his collaborators brought the old-fashioned musical back with the classic Outsiders Seeking Acceptance theme. But this time, the central characters were a gay couple, one of whom was a drag queen. The drag character does what's become a, uh, a sort of anthem in our community. I am what I am. I am what I am. 
for any of them ever say I'm not me. because of what Jews did to create the musical. The 2001 Tony Award for Best New Musical, the producers. Behind me, you see a phalanx, an avalanche of Jews who have come with their, with their, with their talent, their money, their spirit, and their love for the theater. And that's what brings us all together tonight. We all love this thing called the theater. It was always my dream to marry comedy with music with dancing. That's called a musical comedy. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Winter for Poland and France. In 2001, Mel Brooks' outrageous musical, The Producers, won a record-breaking 12 Tony Awards. It brought Nazi characters back to Broadway, but this time, Jewish audiences roared with delight. I didn't get even with Adolf Hitler. I didn't get even with him. There's only one way to get even. You have to bring him down with ridicule. lifelong jobs has been to make the world laugh at Adolf Look at the musicals. Look at the musical comedies we have exported. They say happiness they say hope. They say we're tough. They say we can survive. They say we're sharp. We're hip. We're America. The Broadway musical distinguishes us from every other country in the world. Americans, we have this self-image that we are the refuge of the downtrodden. We have this self-image that we care about one another. And this music has defined to us and to the world how we care and why we care about each other. Sorry. 
supporter of that piece. I'm going to do a really quick moment here. Our sister Caroline had a few words to say. So I'm going to take a moment and share it with everybody. Of course, the collective with the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Fairy Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels and other divine beings known as the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to have this moment to speak with you today. Today, our writer has a question or two for us. My friends, these energies are completely out of hand. (laughs) Now, don't miss words, everybody. That's getting down to it. Question number one. Many are experiencing extreme dizziness, exhaustion, erratic emotions, old anger, trauma, rising up to the surface, disturbed sleep. I can't even count all the symptoms people are experiencing. Many will wonder, as they are suffering a serious illness of some kind, or re-experiencing old shocks and upsets over issues from their past that they 
they thought were resolved. As you have any insights on this, we had we would be happy to hear them. The news cycle is likewise in a state of confusion. A young pro football player collapses with a heart attack. I called it cardiac arrest, and I learned there's a bit of a difference between heart attacks and cardiac arrests. On the playing field the other day, a former president is probably facing tax fraud charges, which will only increase the extreme divisiveness in the United States. And the United States House of Representatives is in disarray over the House Speaker vote. Just because he got it doesn't mean anything. Now the real trouble begins, everybody. Among other even heavier issues, such as deaths and imprisonment from the human rights demonstrations that women and young people are holding in Iran. Yes, today they executed two two more people there, right, Mama? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 The facade that are usually held up in front of the old systems, look to the crumbling at a phenomenal rate. Even as all this symbolizes a time of awakening, many of us barely recognize the world now from what it was even a year ago. Even as that's a good thing, it's still hard to watch. As you have any insights on these issues as well, we are more than happy to to hear them. There's a picture of a bowl and there's one egg, it's got a sad face, and another egg that's got a happy face. The collective. What you are seeing, dear ones, is the end of the old order. Some of what you mention here has to do with false government structures, and some of it has to do with the brutality of the capitalist system. Other issues have to do with the attempt to silence the divine feminine. And much of this has to do with the race, with race. We will speak of race, as you mentioned a young man nearly dying on the, on the field. That is not to vilify the game of football. Rather, to assist those who are unaware of the exploitation of professional players, who are predominantly persons of color and mainly African-American. And as well, all contact sports mimic war in intention as well as strategy. The professional level of the game in particular presents its players as avatars on a field of battle. This appeals powerfully to the wounded masculine in the human psyche and supports the desire for aggressive and aggression and revenge amongst those who would like to feel vicariously that they are warriors seeking glory. The warrior archetype does have its merits, yet in this context, it represents subjugation, not freedom or strength. Regarding the government, the United States is a country that has long presented itself as a democracy, yet it covertly run, yet is covertly run by a dark experiment of both subtle and overt racism, economic separatism, a sharply divided social hierarchy, 
and suppression of human rights, most of those who are offered up as sacrifice in the war game, whether actual war enacted by the military or the simulation of such in sport, are too often non-white persons, whether male or female. You will see a parallel to this in who is chosen to perform slave labor in for-profit prison around the country. Many will say, but professional athletes are paid so well, to which we would say, yes and no. Looking at a professional football, at professional football, we see a cultural fascination with violence and brutality and a sacrifice of non-white lives that the white supremacist stance in the United States and elsewhere have systematically placed upon non-white persons, particularly amongst the white elite. The idea of bringing black persons from one continent to another to retain their DNA for intergenerational trauma, slavery, and dehumanization was part of a long-range plan for control of all races and social classes. To put non-whites or some other minority in an arena to to watch them harm or destroy one another for the entertainment of the elite and the masses is a very old idea, friends. It goes back thousands of years to the Greek and Roman empires and before. The prevailing energies now reaching the planet are such that it is impossible that the forms of exploitation that one sees in the arenas of professional football and elsewhere would continue without recourse. It is time to regain the dignity and humanity of those being exploited and of those in the masses who are being lied to regarding the kinds of life experiences that these players maintain. Severe and long-lasting head injuries are only one aspect of the issues faced by these men. You will also have heard how few black men are chosen as coaches and quarterbacks. This is due to the overriding philosophy within the professional league and the power structure that controls it, which has long been based on the idea that black men are not hired for their mental capabilities and should be not be put in positions of power and influence. Though there are there there are there some there some black coaches and quarterbacks. They are still comparatively few in number because of the overarching philosophy that seeks to retain white male control of the sport due to both social and psychological influence over the populace and the tremendous financial wealth that flows from the league's many many channels of commerce. It took many years for the league to drop its non-profit status, or rather, to be persuaded to do so. That this is the very definition of white privilege, in ways that would shame any organization. Moving on, we would say regarding the House of Representatives that the United States Congress is also based on white male privilege 
it was established as an expression of such to guard and ensure the protection of group and private commercial interests independent of the mother country, an experiment which has failed in many respects despite the increasingly powerful presences now of women and non-whites in that body. Many of the old earth control measures, including the propagation of a pretend democracy, have nonetheless, nevertheless remained. Until now, the presence of the divine feminine is now powerfully amongst you. So there's more, but that's where we came to in our conference call too. It's center stage now, and this is not about gender, it's about the divine feminine the ability to receive love. And I pass this talking stick quickly to my sister, Rainbird. I'm sure you have wise words to complete our, our, our evening tonight. Pass it to you with Excalibur and what's the quaddle on this talking stick and all those angels, fairies, feathers, and rainbows. Here it comes, Rainbird. Okay, I got it. And, uh, yeah, my words are of gratitude for fun a fun day, multidimensional all the way, and lots of gratitude for all of us for being here at this time and doing what we're called to do. So, with that, I'm passing this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. Tell us what you got here, honey. This is Ellen Watts, What We Are. What We Are by Ellen Watts. Here we go. have the sound on the bottom there up? Yeah. Well, that's not working. Uh-huh. Do you have a song, honey? Yeah. Let's just do the song. Okay. Something went silly with that. Yeah, that's too weird. Yeah, we got to go down now, so let's do the song. Why do you weep? 
To the West we are, here to stay, action with love. Satnam, everybody. See you in your dreams, and until we meet again, aloha and inshallah. Satnam? Satnam Di. Oh, we talk, yes. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, no evil. Namaste, everyone. Live long and prosper.